And welcome to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that's the equivalent of hard-boiling a chicken for two hours. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. And I just want to say, Brett? Brett? <laughs> uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm stoked on podcast. Anybody else stoked on podcast? Mike, you are such a viperous poison. And uh, this is Paul Oslison. And we are here, and, and I, I like that Paul had no intro prepared. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for being prepared. <laughs> oh, I love this show, Mario, almost as much as I love you. <laughs> yeah, for uh, people who have not listened to us in a while, it's been, what, four months or something since we've done an episode, so we are a bit rusty, as always, but uh, we will wait, do wait, our wait, best. Wait, 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 what, what, what are you saying? This, these podcasts are timeless, Mario. <laughs> Timeless. And, and, and to completely keep it timeless, I will say that in the time since we've last podcasted, an actual Survivor Samoa contested has gone onto another season of Survivor and expended their entire lifetime on that game. So just really shows how uh, we're setting everything up here. No, I was specifically going to say before we started, please no mentioning any foreign Survivor seasons, Mike, so you've already broken the rule. The rules are made to be broken, especially on Survivor <laughs> Historians, let's be clear. Okay, for to catch you up, um, this is part three of Samoa. We are going to try to wrap up the one of the most infamous and famous Survivor seasons of all time. Ooh, and, three uh, Amigos reference. Yeah, uh, <laughs> infamous and more famous, so yes. But uh, yeah, so where did we leave off? We left off, I think, right after the merge. And who was just booted? Was it Eric? It was and either we... Eric or just some, you know, nymphy tree sprite that was, you know, going through Samoa. And we've already eulogized Eric, correct? We have. I believe so, though it is interesting. I guess I had sort of forgotten in the mishmash that is the glue reverse pagonging here and the post-merge of Survivor Samoa. I don't know. I'll definitely will flood out the question as we sort of move through these next few episodes as to, you know, what is the biggest move that happens in these next few episodes? I had forgotten how much of a seismic shifts sort of happens in the game with Eric leaving. Because you would think, like, oh, he's, he was just a troublemaker on Galoo. They finally wanted to get rid of somebody. But if we're talking about, like, the whole shambo-flipping scenario, I would wager, and I think several Survivor Samoa contestants have wagered as well, that had Eric not gone in that position, there's a chance Shambo doesn't flip, and then things look completely different. And we really see that start to bear th- fruit over these next few episodes. Yeah, not only is it a seismic shift that Eric gets uh, voted out, it's funny how the show tries to present what happened. 
and it's we'll all point this out as we're going along in the the previously on or anytime they refer back to the Eric episode, they'll explain it a little differently how it happened. It's like the editors and the producers could not quite decide what the narrative was going to be here. Did you guys notice that as well? Well, it's interesting because this is sort of some intel that I, I read up on. Uh, you know, once we eulogize the enigma that is Danger Dave Ball, I'll refer to this big AMA he gave on Reddit a few years ago. But maybe one of the reasons why you're saying that, Mario, is because he said that things went a bit differently with this Eric Blindside, but apparently the vast majority of it wasn't caught on camera, perhaps purposefully. I'll talk about that later when uh, we eulogize Dave again, but... Maybe one of the reasons why they were trying to figure out how to spin it is because they really did not have the proper footage that they would usually want to do. Instead, we sort of got, we got like a couple scenes, I feel like, uh, last episode to set up one of the biggest blind sides of the season. I don't know if that was on purpose. It might have just been them working with the scraps they were given. I had, I had never heard that personally before, but that's very interesting because that does explain... Because, like, I'm really going to point out when we go through these, these previously ons that one time they're going to say Natalie caused it. Natalie caused the fall of Eric. And then the next episode they'll say Russell did it. It was all Russell. He caused Eric to get voted out. And then, like, in a, literally an episode after that, they're like, the Galoos thought Eric was a cancer and they voted him out. Like, it's weird. They just, they will always change the way they describe it. And it's funny because even to this day, I mean, this is one of the most pivotal moments in Survivor history and it gets debated all the time. And even to this day, people can't agree with what happened and who was responsible. So again, it's, it'll be interesting to delve into that, even though technically that was last episode, but it's going to very much continue into this episode as well. And uh, I, I just like to point out that just like with everything, I've, I've said it on so many episodes, and I'm going to say it here. We don't ever really know what happens out there. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, is that that's it's infuriating because there are so many people out there, and there are cameras everywhere, but we don't see all the camera footage, and we don't see absolutely everything, and they can't capture every single moment. And the problem is, is like all of these people that go on Survivor are alphas. And so they all come out of there thinking it is their story. They have their idea of events. And clearly that's not what's going on. There is sort of a truth thread that goes in there, but people don't know it. People are deceived. People don't know. There's other things that are going on. And it's like people can tell stories. Dave Ball can tell stories on AMA. And I don't necessarily think that Dave Ball is lying per se about anything, but it may not be the entire truth. It may be what but he knows, but it may not be what everybody knows. And it's just one of those infuriating things where we as sideline survivor watchers try to come through the truth and we don't know. So we're just having fun with it. Let's have fun. Everyone have fun. Mm -hmm. You having fun? Yes. Well, and particularly with the Eric boot, if you watch the uh, the Ponderosa episodes that accompany the season, which they're nothing that impressive to watch. I watched uh, most of them before we sat down to record. But something that comes up every time someone gets voted out is there's a conversation with Eric about what happened at the Eric boot. And Eric is still very much in the game. And so it kind of keeps coming back to this big decision and it gets rehashed again and again about what actually happened. And kind of the through line is that something that happened at the last minute was not thought through. And it was kind of this quick decision that was made, which obviously has huge you know ramifications for how the game plays out in these next few episodes yeah and just from a historical perspective this is something we always try to come back to in the show is that this is something that has changed over the years in survivor perception and the way survivor is presented to the audience is that in the early days of the show they would just kind of say 
Hunter got voted out. And you would kind of try to piece out in your head how it happened. But as the show has gone along, the producers have been more cognizant of trying to explain what happens and trying to spell it out. And sometimes that spills over into them giving credit to one person because they want to push that character. And I'm not going to name names, but there are certain characters they're trying to push. But that is just something you you just pay attention to as you go along in Survivor history, that the producers are getting more and more cognizant and intrusive with trying to push a specific narrative where one person is responsible for everything. And again, it's not just Russell. This will happen almost in every season after this. It just just changed the way that they really present the show. So this Eric boot, again, is really, really important to Survivor history because... Like I said, the producers can't even figure out what their narrative is supposed to be. It will literally change every episode. It's very interesting when you look for it. Well, to be fair, uh, and this might you know segue into the beginning of this ninth episode here, I feel like if you're looking for where is Natalie White's winner edit, which is mm-hmm. basically like a game of I Spy sometimes, I feel like if you look at these middle three episodes, episode seven, episode eight, and episode nine, that is the nugget encrusted in all of this other stuff around it. Because episode 7 was where Laura got kidnapped to Foa Foa, and, you know, she got dispatched to sort of do her prayer warrior stuff and really bomb with Laura over their faith. Episode 8 was where at least she got painted, te- maybe temporarily, as Mario was saying, but she was given at least the position of the one to really help push the Galoo woman to vote out Eric. And here we have her big rat-killing moment that earns her the nickname Rattly that Eric's going to write on the vote for her to win several episodes down the line. But you also get this big confessional from Jason where he even vocalizes, not even Natalie herself, you get some SPV here from Jason saying, oh, wow, Natalie has grown so much. She really shows you know, how much she's changed as a person. That all basically disappears from here on out, but it's so interesting how essentially, like, the very middle, the core of this season has these interesting Natalie positivity edits that really highlight her in good ways, and everything else around it is, oh yeah, she's, you know, uh, one of Russell's allies, and she just happens to be there. Okay, so let's sum up where we are going into this episode. Again, we're going to start with episode 9, which is titled Tastes Like Chicken, which is very fitting considering 90% of the season revolves around chicken. <laughs> Although, uh, well, so what's going on here as we go into this episode? So we have Eric has been voted out. The Galoos have had this huge lead. They were up 8-4. to four. Eric was voted out under some mysterious circumstances to this day. We probably still don't know exactly what happened, but they're still up seven to four. So they lost Eric. They've taken a little a chink in their armor here, but they're still well ahead and they're not too concerned. And we open the episode with what we have Shambo versus Laura, which is still going on and which will continue delightfully for a couple more episodes. And we have Natalie and Russell were uh, just working over the galoos, trying to get in there, trying to you know make something happen. And and like you said, Mike, right here at the start of this episode, this is where they in the previously on Survivor, when the narrative the producers have decided, they say Natalie's plan worked. Thanks to Natalie, they got Galoo to vote out Eric. So a hundred percent of the credit is given to Natalie here. Although again, in the next episode, they're a hundred percent going to give it to Russell. So it's kind of funny, but that's where we are going into the episode here. It's almost like they went back to edit this, like they had the whole season. They're like, shit, we need to like really pump up this Natalie thing. So here, let's pull up this episode here. And okay, we're going to insert this Rattly scene here. And oh, yes, we better make that align with the, you know, the previously on Survivor segment. We're going to we're going to call this Natalie's plan here. And they just kind of edit that without like checking, you know, what, what do we say in the other episodes? 
Well, okay, I, I wanted to bring something up here because this is something a lot of people don't know is that every episode is done by a different editor. They have a different editor or editing team or producers. So the episodes don't always align with one another because it's literally different people kind of doing the episodes. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. So that's why you can get little differences like this where the story is literally told from a different perspective one episode to the next. Yeah, I'm pretty so sure that uh, that episodes one through six and ten beyond were edited by uh, Natalie White's ex-boyfriends, some uh, jilted family members, someone, uh, a kid who, you know, she uh, she stiffed their tip on at a local pizza hut. Just She really got an unfortunate timing there with the editing. Well, I mean, Survivor is a, is a game where it can be won or lost in lots of different stages, right? Like sometimes people make an alliance on day one or day three and it sticks through the, the sort of the game with the twists and turns. Sometimes an alliance comes late. Sometimes you make a bad boot at the merge. Sometimes you get pagonged. There are so many different times when someone can sort of win or lose Survivor. And as you're saying with these middle episodes, you know, as the tribes are merging – you know, this is a very good time for Natalie and and working all that stuff in. But I think here you're seeing, not just with different editors, as Mario said, which is true, but is this now the cacophony that is created between, you know, Natalie is well-liked and is making inroads versus this narrative of we must pump up Russell because he is A, television gold, and B, he's on the next season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's a... It's like a cognitive dissonance, just all sorts of things going on here. And just like my personal perspective is the only thing that's important is that Eric got voted out. Like anything else is just noise and style points. But that's clearly not how most people watch the show. They're always looking for who did this? Why was this important? How does this help their win? And like you said, then the producers have their own agenda building up Russell for several really good reasons. I mean, those are not bad reasons. That's if you're a producer, you're legitimately supposed to build up Russell and make him the star. So like you said, the cacophony, great word. That that's really what's happening here. So many things kind of converging all at once in this little silly TV show. Wow, I stunned you guys already into silence. I'm impressed. No, we were doing a moment of silence for that rat that Natalie <laughs> shillelaghed in. <laughs> okay, yeah. So here, here's what happens at the start of episode nine. So Russell has played his idol in the Eric boot. He is now idolless, and he is a little nervous because now he knows they're down seven to four, and he has no idol. And Laura even says, she's like, yeah, that was a good move that Russell pulled off, but he's not going to get another idol. Like, there's no way he's going to do this again. So I'm not too worried. So all that's going to be fine. And then we have the scene, very famous scene, Natalie kills a rat, y'all. Did you catch, I didn't catch it till this time watching it, The what Natalie tells Russell um, in the night scene before we get to the next morning when Russell's all kind of in a tizzy. Natalie tells Russell, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Which Aww. I didn't hadn't really caught till this time. I'm like, oh, good thing. Thank you, Natalie. So sweet. <laughs> Do you think the prayers worked? <laughs> uh, clearly, they worked for her, not really for him. I don't but, know. Uh... He, he did find an idol, so maybe it was like divine providence that sent Russell under that bridge, much like the other trolls, to find that idol. <laughs> Yeah, so again, this is a very insignificant scene. It means nothing to the season, but it will come up later, and people to this day still talk about it, where Natalie's out, and she sees a rat, and she's, oh, my word, oh, my lord, oh, I'm sorry, y'all, and she kills the rat, and it's a... Eat your snack. <laughs> yes, Goodness, so. gosh, gall, garn, gall. Like, I, I just love... It sounds like <laughs> Natalie was actually swearing, but it was like the basic cable edit of like those 
you know, those R-rated movies where they try to put in, like, the worst dubbed <laughs> words possible. Like, it's as if, like, Natalie was out of, out of a Quentin Tarantino film, so everything out of her mouth was an expletive, and they just re-edited her to say, like, oh, gee, golly, gosh, darn it, oh, horse apples, et cetera, et cetera. This, so is, like, legi- this is a legitimate question. Do they still do that? <laughs> what they like usually do is they do the, they do the Joe Pesci route, where he says just rats of fratza. <laughs> Yes, they do that, Jay. I've seen that on TV. The TV edits, they will replace it, dub it, or replace it with something ridiculous. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't seen a movie on, like, basic cable with commercials in years. See, I haven't so seen I don't a movie ever, that. so I'm, like, no help. <laughs> yes. I've seen many movies, and, yes, they still do that on cable edits. It's a time-honored TV tradition, Jay. I know. My favorite one is when they put Major League on the uh, – on the thing, and there's that scene at the end when uh, uh, Corbin Burnson's character like goes to uh, Charlie Sheen's character, and he says, "Strike this motherfucker out," mm-hmm. but they bleep out the 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 curse word, and they literally put "guy" in there. So like, there's just this. <laughs> and it's like so it's like strike this, and you see his mouth moving, and then you hear "guy out." <laughs> I wish they should have held it out for the duration of the word, like "strike this guy out," <laughs> as if he had a brief stroke. <laughs> in the middle of talking to Charlie Sheen. It's the time that Major League betw- became Kung Fu Theater for one episode. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, look, I am I am not, you know, obviously people are absolutely starving out there on the island. That's why Natalie kills this rat. But I'll admit, this rat looks more unappealing to me with Natalie bringing it to the camp with it curled up in a coconut as if now you're going to eat this sleeping rat. Yes, spoken by the guy who's had three warm meals today and sleeps in a nice bed. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's, I mean, look, I'm, I'm definitely speaking from up on my pedestal here, but I guess if I'm comparing this to, you know, the bastion of rat-eating scenes with the Survivor Borneo, we have come a long way, but I don't know. Maybe it's the, you know, the, the PETA side of me speaking out. It was just in a such, such a supple position when Natalie brought it back into camp. I can understand why in a secret scene, Shambo said how it was absolutely disgusting for everyone to eat the rat. And you don't know if Mike had three hot meals today. Like, you know, don't ever underestimate a good wedge salad lunch, you know? <laughs> That's not hot, Jay. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah, the rats... <clears throat> Whoa, that was a nice voice crack. Sorry, you can edit that out. <clears throat> no. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> never getting edited out. <laughs> God damn it, I hate <laughs> you, like, play that, like, ten more times in a row. Thanks. This isn't staff picks, Mario. This is historians. We don't edit here. What are you talking about? God damn it. Well, luckily Tim's not here, because Tim would put that in the episode 55 times. <laughs> Accompanied by a lemon tree each time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so anyway, as a man would say, yeah. So the rat scene happens and Natalie kills. And again, it means nothing to anything other than we needed to have some footage of Natalie doing something. So, okay, this becomes Natalie's little winter edit. And now we go right to the tree mail, which is a, uh, it's like a, it's a digital display cipher puzzle. And and all we know, at the, or all we hear at this point in the episode is everyone saying, hey, tree mail. And Russell's like, I'm going to find another idol. I'm going to get another idol. So really, that's that's what's going to happen here the rest of the episode. To be fair, I just like I guess sort of put ourselves in, in Galoo's shoes here, because the entire episode is a couple of people. You know, you have your, your Johns and your Monica's being like, well, Russell may have found another idol. But I don't believe, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong here, had someone found two idols in one season before in Survivor history? No, I don't uh, – no, this has got to be the first, right? Yeah, so I guess they were sort of like re- relying on on historical precedence, I guess, from that perspective. I mean, technically, James had two idols, but he didn't find both, but he did have two. 
Right, but this is the first time we've seen someone have an idol, play uh, play the idol, and then find, you know, f- find it again and and be be poised to play it again. I mean, right. we can't underestimate how impressive that is. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. know that this is more of a negative. You know, I, I know that most of us come down more on the negative side of Russell and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to appease Russell fans or or anything like that. But again, to put it into historical perspective, this is not just a, a guy finding multiple idols in a season and all that sort of stuff. It's that he wants to find them. He finds them. He finds loopholes. Like this is all just unprecedented. Like it happens all the time these days. But the fact that you know, he's the first guy to do this. Like, I remember just watching it going, this guy is bonkers. Like, it's such good TV. Yeah, I we we will definitely come down, I think, especially near the end of this podcast on Russell. But I will admit, this episode, and particularly the idol play at this tribal council, is pretty damn badass, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk more about this later, but it really comes down to... Do idols really have anything to do with Survivor, or is he just really good at doing idol stuff? That's because that's you can sense my stance on this already. Like, well, yeah, he's really good at finding these idols and disrupting the game. But like, again, this is the era when idols start to become super prominent in Survivor, and I was always like, well, yeah, it's great he's doing this, but like, it's not making him any better at Survivor. So that's that's the argument. I know I, I'm I, I I'm anticipating hundreds of angry emails over that sentence alone, but that's that's where I have always stood on this. I mean, we'll get into that. This this is a conversation to be had, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, it's funny because we've been talking for, for a while here and I'm wondering, like, we've talked about Eric's boot again. Now we're talking about Russell idols and we are going through the episode a little bit, but I'm like, man, we have got a lot of dancing around this Kelly boot episode. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. So here's, here's the thing. And I don't want to stop down too much, but I know that Mario, you really popularized the CGI Brett thing, but I would make the argument that Kelly is much, much more of an insignificant person on this season than Brett. Brett at least had the run near the end, and, you know, he actually was poised to nearly win the game were it not for, like, a statue falling off a pole. Kelly, I'm sure if you list the people on this season, she is definitely most likely to be 20 out of 20 here. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, that I think you're correct that Kelly is more insignificant in the long run, but if you just watch these episodes up until the point when Brett makes his run, he is literally never in any episode ever. Like, there's scenes where they're a tribal council, and they'll just cut to Brett, and I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Like, it's just, it literally looks like they just inserted him in there just to make sure that there was a presence for when Brett's mom watches the show. So I would say up to this point, Brett is still more irrelevant, although I don't think he will be later. All right, so so here we go. So we're going into the re- reward challenge here in episode nine. And this is the one where they have to uh, get these poles with black and white coconuts, and you like arrange them on a uh, blah, board. Blah 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 blah. What? <laughs> that was me just yada yada yawing. <laughs> these stupid <laughs> team challenges of like, ooh, like who, the, like who the hell cares who wins this epic well, challenge? Anyway, here's, here, sorry, well, no, here's the here's the thing though, Paul, because I, I think it's interesting. I believe this is the first time. That all the reward challenges this season, which there are only three, but all the reward challenges that are post merge this season are all team challenges. I think this is yeah, the I first time we don't we don't it. get yes. yeah, we don't get any individual reward challenges here. Sans the auction, I hate it. If you're if you're gonna do team challenges after the merge, they better be damn good and super fun to watch. This was just these are just so boring. I hate these, and I hate that this kind of. I mean, they've obviously done this before, but I feel like after this, it really just becomes the norm that we're not going to do any individual challenges. We're going to do all team. Which I mean, who knows? Throw an individual challenge in there where they have to knock each other out. Who's not to say that Russell's going to get pissed off at someone taking him out of the game? Like, I just feel like 
creative wise, this was kind of lazy how they uh, how they put together some of these reward challenges. Yeah, and I will agree with you because I literally have to take like half a page of notes to be reminded who's on which team. And at a certain point, I just gave up. I'm like, I don't care. I'll just r- circle purple one at the end. <laughs> That's literally my notes for this episode. So well, yeah. my, my, my notes are literally, unless these group challenges are amazing to watch, don't waste my effing time. <laughs> wow. You do full sentences in your notes? You are a teacher. I, this one I did, and I spelled out effing, E-F-F-I-N-G. <laughs> thank, you for doing, thank you for doing the basic cable edit of your notes there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> don't waste my gosh dolly darn time. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we have this group, stupid group challenge here, and Dave Ball's team wins. Whoever, as if if you need to like if you update a Wikipedia entry or something, the winners are Dave, Kelly, Monica, Shambo, and John, which are like all Galoo people, and they get to go on a reward, which is they get to go like to this rock slide waterfall, right? Yeah, the sliding rocks, which it looks pretty awesome, though, right? Let Let's narrate this challenge, and how we narrate the challenge is Paul is the heart and soul of this podcast. He says it sucks. Move on. So we don't get to talk about it. But no, but when we get to this reward, it becomes Kelly, the OG Kelly Purple. It's like her biggest character moment of the entire show. We get to see her sliding down a rock uh, into the water and a confession follows it. Like, does it get any bigger than that? How dare you say she's purple? We learned so much about her. We learned that Kelly is scared of water slides. <laughs> I literally have I cannot tell you what she said in this con- like what she said in her confessional here or exactly what happened with her sliding down the rock but I just was so impressed that we got something happening to her and a confession that I was like whoa this must be her boot episode. So anyway the galoos are all on this reward and we learned that Kelly is scared of water slides and they get a clue to the idol and they're like oh there's another another idol back at camp that's great we'll find it we'll share it amongst ourselves and Russell will never find it and ha 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 but now we find the first glitch in the Galoo machine where they're all talking about who's going to get voted out next and they want to vote Russell out. And Shambo, of course, our, our, our delightful heroine, says, no, I don't think so. I don't want to vote out Russell. I'd, I'd like to keep him around. And they're, they're like, Aroo? and she's like, yeah, well, Russell, he's no threat. He'll never win a challenge. He doesn't do anything. So I, I choose not to vote him out. And <laughs> this is the first time we learned that Shambo may not be on the same page as everybody else. Okay, so this is where, again, the, the Galoo girls are worried that Shambo might be a little crazy. There may be something wrong with this woman, and we're just going to double and triple and quadruple down on that later. But for now, maybe Shambo may not be the best ally. But now we go back to camp, and hey, guess what? Russell's going to find an idol. It's uh, unprecedented. <laughs> As he describes it at the end of the scene, it's unprecedented. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. So again, just a, another scene of Russell just looking around for idols, like a pig hunting for truffles, and he just he knows there's gonna be they're gonna be around a uh, landmark, and he finds one under a bridge, and this is where we get in like I think confessional number ninety five and ninety six of the season, where Russell says, "I have a gift. This is what I was born for. I'm so good at this game." So yeah. So Russell has another idol, and here we go. Second verse, same as the first. But this one's going to be a bit a bit shorter. I think it's the third one. That's the bridge of the song of Russell that I think really takes it home in terms of the idol shenanigans. 
Yeah. Although let's let's talk about this bridge for a second because this is one in particular that really got under the craws of the the galoos. If you know what happened after the season, that all the galoos were bitching about the fact they're like, well, the producers were giving Russell these idols because every place he found one is a place we had looked right before that and it wasn't there. And so they were, I mean, this is right down the line. Every single one of them was saying this. And this is one in particular that I know they always pointed out was the bridge. This is one, if you read all the AMAs and the post-game interviews, they were really sour about this bridge find. Paul, I turn to you for backup. Oh no, I have nothing to say here. Uh, Mike's Mike's the loser that reads all the AMAs. Go to him. Hey. Oh, we we wait. We we've upgraded Mike to the official loser. <laughs> I thought I thought by giving me the name Temp, I was the perennial loser of this podcast. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, uh, there's no interviews with Renee Seiler from these people, so uh, don't ask me. Though we do get, a, I didn't think later, Paul. We I think we get a random B-roll shot of Natalie hanging up her laundry on a branch, and I thought back to all the great early show footage we got back in the day that we are now criminally robbed of. <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> fine, fine. We'll skip by. Just just know that the Galoos hated this scene. This is one they really referenced, and they, they were mad because they apparently they had searched this bridge in this exact place. So anyway, we go to the next scene, and this is where all the Galoos come back from reward, and Shambo's there, and, and Russell pulls Shambo aside because, you know, they have this cross-tribe alliance, and Russell's like, I found an idol. I have another idol. And, Laura, and uh, Shambo is so excited because... And this is, I think, we will, the first of we will hear about 20 different medieval torture things that are going to be done to Laura, where Shambo says, I'm so excited we can lop off Laura's head. With a samurai sword. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then she uses the word dude far too many times in this, uh, in this scene as well. Yeah. As the season goes along from here, we will hear all these horrible things that Shambo wants to do to Laura, like lopping off the head, like posting it on a stake. I like I think at one point she like I want to slam her into an Iron Maiden and have spikes driven through her face. I'm trying to remember all the things she says, but this is Shambo's storyline now is murder Laura. Give her the plague. And then Russell comes up with a really cute nickname for Laura. Oh Medusa. Medusa. <laughs> Laura will not come off well in the rest of the season, especially because the entire season is narrated by Shambo and Russell. It's I think they edit this. It's like so intense about all the things they're gonna do to Laura and you know, and she's Medusa and stuff, and then they kinda have to throw it at the end. Oh yeah, Kelly, she's really threatening too. Like cut to next scene. <laughs> like, yeah. Just so just to put that in there, just so it it makes a little bit of sense of what's gonna happen at the end of this episode. <laughs> The only, the only challenge she'll fail at will be the water slide challenge coming up with the final five. Other than that, she's big in this game. Laura is the worst thing I have ever seen in my entire life. I want to vote Kelly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, we get this big, long monologue where they talk about all the torture devices that they're going to use on Laura. And then they say, you know, the only thing that could happen that could stand in our way is if Laura wins immunity somehow tonight. And guess who's going to win immunity tonight? <laughs> As long as our alliance has a basic understanding of shapes, that will not happen. <laughs> yeah. So go to the immunity challenge. And yeah, this is the one where they have to fill out these, this pegboard with like all these different shapes. It's like this kindergarten IQ test, basically. But we know from future seasons that Laura is like the puzzle queen. And she just absolutely dusts everybody in this challenge. And it's even more impressive because she like gives them a head start. And then she just kind of saunters up and kills everybody. It's pretty impressive, actually. 
To be fair, you said this was a kindergarten, you know, type of challenge, and Laura is probably the person that has the closest contact with kindergartners as of late, so maybe it was just something that was at the top of mind. And she's also against Shambo. Let's point that out. The crack competition involves Shambo trying to figure out a shape puzzle. And unfortunately, none of the shapes were a chicken. (laughs) And then Mick and Mick's there, too. (laughs) Yes, Mick. Oh, yeah. I always forget that Mick is also in this season. (laughs) He's so boring. (laughs) That's the crazy thing about the season, though, when you think about it, is that you've got, like, I mean, we, you have characters that have, like, really stood the test of time in, in Survivor. You've got, like, Russell, and, I mean, Laura is one that is brought back. And, you know, Shambo's a great one-off, but we talk about Shambo all the time, or, or Shambo, and things like that. And, you know, we've talked about Eric and whatnot, but we have Brett, Kelly, Mick, and they go far. And it's like, we, oh, yeah, and Mick's there. It's like, okay, I guess if you say so. And, I mean, Jason, we haven't heard in, like, forever. So, you know, hey, life. Yeah, the more the more I watched the season, I think Jason came really close to winning the season, and I think he was really integral to everything that happened strategic wise and everything with Foa Foa. And the editors just absolutely cut out his kneecaps and got rid of him, so you wouldn't you wouldn't remember him. I mean, that's the thing. Jason really gets screwed. You think Natalie gets screwed? Jason really gets screwed. We can talk about this down the line. I wonder if his failing health might not have made him necessarily that conducive to like talk to production a lot. There is one thing I noticed a lot about Mick on this rewatch, and I'm not sure if you guys did, but Mick might be coming for Amanda Kimmel's title as the most blurred Survivor contestant. The further he gets along, the lower that blue and yellow bathing suit sinks. So I feel like at every single moment, we are looking at blurred out Mick trimming pube, basically every single episode of Survivor Samoa. His mom is going to kill him. (laughs) So does that mean Mick is officially Paul's second favorite player now? Well, I mean, he's from Idaho. He was like the first person from Idaho, next door neighbor. I mean, maybe it's a thing. (laughs) You guys need better fitting pants up in that area of the country, Paul. (laughs) Like I really, going into the season, he was like one of the first people I was rooting for because like I had a friend who, a good friend who went to school outside Boise and went to Boise a few times. And like, that's, he was kind of my pick geographically similar to Amanda Kimmel. And, you know, they always make it to the end, don't win. And, you know, their pants always fall off. So (laughs) I just, you were saying you were rooting for him going into the season. Can you imagine somebody sitting through the season and loving Samoa and coming out and saying, you know what? I really like Mick. Mick was my favorite player. He was the same. Mick was fun. He was fun. It's probably, the person who doesn't know what feckless means <laughs> yes okay so anyway so anyway like i said uh shambo and russell have this plan to take out laura and you know flay her alive in front of the the, the the peasants in the village but laura wins immunity and so all that's screwed and they go back to camp and we get this wonderful scene of of shambo having a pity party where i the first time i saw it i thought she was joking but she's no. not yeah she's like Laura, 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 <laughs> Talk about kindergarten. I mean, it's it's like she has the weirdest, like she has, I agree, Mario, it's such an over-the-top pout face she puts on. She goes, oh, the challenge sucked because Laura won, and now we can't vote her off, and my heart is broken, and I'm really sad and pissed, dude. Uh, but I'm just, I'm, I cannot believe, I'll say this, we've said this many times, I can't believe she's an actual person. I cannot legitimately <laughs> believe this is an actual person that exists on this earth. This is where I point out that Shambo is a Marine, and she is the best of the best. <laughs> yes, when, when she does stuff like this, this is like when I used to teach kindergarten, and someone would cry after losing a game and would be acting like this. We'd have to recite it as a class, if we don't win this time... 
there's always next time. <laughs> We're just going to ignore her right now. Right now, Shambo's feeling sad, and that's okay sometimes but we're going to ignore her and we're going to keep on learning <laughs> I think we just found the stinger for the end of the episode good job Paul <laughs> you're welcome um, I, I didn't want to I just want to get this in here before we get away too far from that but I, I really want to hear that all the that that shamba moment but one thing I'm kind of picking up on as we move through these episodes are the little subtle things they do like I don't even know that that intentionally put in to show Natalie and and how well she's integrated with uh, with everyone in the tribe. But like I noticed when this immunity challenge comes to an end and we have a quick confessional from Laura, she says something about you know we're gonna vote out Russell and I think Natalie's even gonna vote him out too. And then as we go on, there's a few other scenes I'm gonna point out where they work where physically where Natalie is positioned within the different players in the game. But I think by watching these subtle hints, you really see how well Natalie was integrated into the other tribe. But yet as they go out, you never hear any like really ill will about Natalie in the game. So I just want to point that out before we get too far down to the um Shambo versus Laura stuff. Yeah, here's Paul heroically trying to insert a Natalie winners edit that we all know isn't there. Like I said, may not even be intentional, but like it's more I think of a not necessarily of an intentional edit of 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 more of like making sense of why Natalie wins rather okay. than what was right. shown to us. Because I think we have to dispel that. Because I and and we may have mentioned it in the previous podcast, but I think there there's this. I think people have sort of expectations as to what Survivor the show is supposed to be. Not necessarily even Survivor the game, but Survivor the show. And I think that you know when people look at you know, when there's edgic involved and all these sorts of things, I think people sort of try to look at, you know, the game is going to be narrated or talked to to sort of explain how the winner wins or how, you know, the second place person loses or something like that. And if there's there's this whole sort of like they're going to show the winner's edit, you know, the winner edit is a thing. And it's like, I think right now you have to basically realize that's not their objective this season. Like it is just not their objective at all. Some people are like, oh, you don't see Natalie White's winning edit. It's like, no, you don't. They didn't tell it, like, on purpose. Well, I'd argue not only is it the, not their objective, they don't have to do that in the first place. Like, it's nice if they want to do that, but I would argue as a Survivor fan, you're really getting greedy where you expect that has to be there every season because they're under no obligation to do that, in, from my, right. in, in my opinion. Right, but I think that we'll definitely talk about this with the with the post-mortem on this season. This might be the first time when the editors start really thinking oh, we got a big old backlash from the way we edited our winner here. And you see sort of a more concentrated effort, not to say that they haven't done this before, but I do think that moving forward, there sort of is a paradigm shift where you don't really get any more of these, you know, Bob or Natalie-like edits. It does feel like the winner is at least going to get, you know, a good amount of screen time, a bit of, you know, input as to the stuff that's going on. So that when they do win, there's at least some sort of reception from the overall audience and not a huge outcry like they see from something like Samoa. Yeah, no, without question. Yeah, this is a game changer of a season if i can use the term <laughs> but yeah we'll see this more later so anyway let's let's go through the end of this episode um so russell has the idol and he starts showing everybody in his in his alliance like jason and he's like let's all vote for kelly tonight because we can't vote laura and this is where we get scenes of other people they start talking about how amazing russell is and this is of course will build up into this Russell is the greatest player ever narrative. But Jason is like, I really love that guy. He's amazing. And Mick is like, yeah, he's so good. So this is how we're leading up to the vote here. 
And then on the other side, we have the Galoos. And like I said before, you have it's, a, it's actually a, a quartet here. I think it's Monica, John, Dave, and Laura. And you have Monica and John, who apparently have been like always against each other on Galoo, again, if these AMAs are to be believed. But they're both on the same side here of like, do we really want to vote for Russell? Because he might have found another idol. And Dave <laughs> and Laura are just both like, no, that's not going to happen. And John actually uses the phrase, it's not rocket science when it comes <laughs> to finding the idol, which... You can only imagine how many times, as like a rocket engineer, he's actually used that in his lifetime. Bangarang! <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, so uh, Dave Ball in particular does not come off well here because he's the one flat out saying, "No way, we have to pile all of our votes onto Russell. That's the only logical option. No way does he have an idol." So Dave Ball, as much as I love him, and I'm sure other people love him, this maybe is not his shining moment in Survivor Samoa. You know, heaven forbid you think that you give the person with the most votes, that person goes home. But um, times have changed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, never mind. I I won't go into my idol rant. We'll save that for later. But yeah, so the Galoos are going to pile all their votes onto Russell and all the FOA foers are going to vote for Kelly Purple, the original here. And uh, this is where we go into tribal council. There's some misdirection where Russell thinks he hears they're going to vote for Natalie. But again, none of that's important. Let's go to the tribal council because this is actually kind of a fun scene. Well, tribal council is so weird because they all just like pile on Eric right away. Like there's so much like Eric bashing like right in front of him. (laughs) It's bizarre. Well, Eric is definitely taking a tip from Eliza in terms of like when you're the first juror, act like you're 10 people at once. Like he's fist pumping. We're going to see him in like future episodes. He's like doing double guns at Jeff probes. He's like (laughs) mouthing along with him. I think they, yeah. even though it's it's a huge like seismic shift again as to what happens in the game, they picked a good person to send as the first member of the jury to sit in at every tribal council because Eric is quite a character, even when he's not allowed to talk. Yeah, you kind of have to be like Calculon from uh, Futurama, you know? Just, <laughs> I'm sad, angry, happy, anguished. <laughs> well, it, it does back up the point that you guys brought up earlier that in these AMAs they all infer that Eric did something horrible or there was some big moment that they couldn't trust him. So like the Eric boot, we don't really see what happened. And like you guys said, right at the start, all the juror, all the players in the game, they start answering questions that are all like taking dumps on Eric. Like, well, cause Eric sucks. So he had to go last night. Like even his allies are saying that. So it just backs up that belief that something happened in that episode that we didn't see. But it's like you see all this, you even have like J-Saw being like, maybe there's another Eric out there. And then it shows Eric like biting his lip, like furious. And then you like compare that to like Natalie's answers and Jeff kind of gives her some crap for this where she's talking about, you know, the glues have been really nice to us. They've been welcoming. I feel with them. And he really kind of, you know, pushes back on that. But I feel like it's another little indicator of of Natalie, whether it's how much is intentional and how much is her just being a nice person. Like, guess what? That works in the game of Survivor. Like, you go to Tribal Council, you don't bash on people. Guess what? People will like you. That's yep. sage wisdom from our Montanan friend there. You're welcome. Yeah. Sorry, let me pull up my pants. <laughs> I, I had no idea your pants were down for the podcast, Paul. This changes things a little bit. <laughs> me, Mick, and Amanda always got to pull them up. Good thing there's no video. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we we don't video these. It's it's only audio, and and maybe there's a reason. <laughs> unless <laughs> unless you donate, then we'll uh, we can we can make something happen. <laughs> okay, so put okay, shoe so, on uh, head. Yeah. So uh, we go to the vote, and of course, all the Galoos vote for Russell as per the plan. Seven votes on Russell, 
And uh, this is where Russell pulls out the idol. And again, even people who don't like Russell probably enjoy this moment where Russell kind of stands up all cocky afterwards and pulls out the idol. And he's like, I ain't finished playing just yet. Keep hope alive. Or he, he <laughs> trademarks his little phrase here. Yes. For that phrase, I know this is jumping ahead seasons and we don't want to do that. But just like it kills me because every time now I hear Keep Hope Alive, I just go back to Redemption Island with Sandra like posts on Facebook after he gets voted off. Keep Hope Alive, more like Keep Hoping. <laughs> so like every time this like Russell says this, that's all I can think of in my head. <laughs> Paul, do you think that your sore loser chant is something that Russell said to himself every season he left the game? Yeah, probably. Russell lost. It sucks. <laughs> Russell, when we d- <laughs> if we didn't win this time, <laughs> we'll go to another country. <laughs> we'll try it in another country's format. <laughs> Okay, if, so... if we didn't win this time, we'll do the same thing every time. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't solve if you didn't solve the math problem this way, try it. No, do the same strategy again. <laughs> Bunch of bitches and their logic. <laughs> Russell, <laughs> go move your clip. You're on yellow. You need to think about your decisions. We do not use those kind of words. <laughs> I picture a little kindergarten Russell calling his classmates <laughs> bitches. <laughs> bitches. Shut up, mother. Shut up, guy. Calls his teacher Medusa. Okay, Mrs. Medusa. <laughs> For some reason, now I'm imagining like little Russell. Like this, just like little. <laughs> well, like, you know, he's the ball same of a, Yeah, like this little ball of a man. Just um, no facial hair. <laughs> it's like Muppet Babies. He's got the little hat. <laughs> I found this cookie under my cubby. I was born for this. I was born three years ago. I piddled in my pants. I have to use the bathroom. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. So anyway, all the votes go to Russell. They all get negated. And this is where Russell's big idol play has changed the season yet again. And the Galoos just sit there with shock and open mouth and like oh my god what just happened and then they see the four kelly votes come up instead and just like that now the eight to four galoo lead was cut to seven to four and hey now it's six to four so it's cutting down a little bit even more and this is a it's a big moment in the season and this is one that russell fans will always point to and how awesome he is and and we get the great quote at the end of the episode where or uh laura says he just stirred up a whole lot of hell is what he did and then we get this great shot of Shambo looking over at her like, what the fuck? <laughs> but like, kind of like shakes her head like, yeah, uh-huh. I think she's, I, just, she's just imagining like her being uh, drawn and quartered. That's a, That was what put the look on her face. I can seriously never, I cannot get enough of Shambo and Laura that feud because it's so funny. And Laura doesn't even know that Shambo's there and Shambo hates her with such a fiery passion. It's like, Madeline Kahn and Clue, the flames on the side of her face. It's just, now, but again, this is just one of those little moments I just love that look that Shambo shoots her. Now, at the end of this episode, it's interesting because Jeff makes it a point to tell everyone, hey, this idol is going to go back into the game. He didn't say that the last time when Russell played his idol. Do you guys wonder why he did that this time? Um, I didn't think about that. Uh, so he never did before. Now he mentions it. Does it? I don't know. What are your theories on that? 
I have no idea. I wonder if I mean it might have just been like a, a fairness thing because I mean in theory only the people who went on the reward challenge this episode should have known about the idol. But maybe they decided like okay we're gonna make it everyone know there's an idol. Hence you know the sort of foot race we get next time. I just thought it was an interesting choice how they didn't do that for the first idol play this season, but for the second one they let everyone know like hey there's another idol out there. Maybe they are trying to create like a big TV moment out of everyone searching for it next episode. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think it also might just be like an, an evolution of understanding of okay, now we're entering an era here where where people and by people it's right now it's just Russell are finding idols without clues. So to do that, we need to, you know, this is how we need to approach this and not just rely on you have to get a clue at the reward challenge to get it. I feel like maybe it's just an evolution of, of where they see the game is is how it's how it's going forward. Yeah, no, more than likely. I mean, they know that these are big TV moments and they're like, hey, we're a TV show. We could use more TV moments. So let's make sure everyone knows there's idols at all times everywhere. So, yeah, you can kind of trace where the history of the show goes kind of starting right around here. Like, oh, look, idols are fun. <laughs> Okay, so I assume no one wants to eulogize Kelly. Do you have anything more to add? I, I just, one thing I know about her, she she's scared of water slides. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's like I mean she truly is like is the actual like Kelly Purple because people talk about purple Kelly so much that it's like you know exactly what that means, but then you have to like you take so many levels of clarifying which Kelly you're talking about to talk about Kelly Sharba. So she's the true Kelly Purple. Yeah, she's no denim queen. <laughs> well, and I you don't brought want to... that up, not me. I I bit my tongue on several occasions. <laughs> Who's the better yeah. Kelly, best Kelly that ever was? I think we all know. And I don't want to spoil it too much for people who are listening to these seasons chronologically. But re- at season twenty-five, once we get up to it, it is Kelly Purple against Kelly Purple. You remember that was a fun season. Yeah, the tribes were different shades of purple and made things extremely confusing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's the last we'll ever hear of Kelly. I'm sure she's a nice person. But let's go on to the next episode. And this is episode 10, the Laura episode. Spoiler, Laura's going to get voted out. But uh, we, we start the episode with, uh, in the previously on Survivor, again, I always point these out, Natalie is still getting credit for the Eric vote. They still, in the, in the previously, Natalie got them to switch and Galoo is falling apart. So they're still giving Natalie credit, but that is going to switch starting next episode. So get ready for that. Right. And this previous on Survivor is just really going to highlight the Shambo-Laura feud. Like, that's really what they're going to drive home here. Yeah, and this is especially fun. So here we go. Russell is back at camp, and he's just, you know, did this great idol play and got Kelly voted out. And everyone is, like, congratulating him how cool it was. And even Dave Ball is like, that was amazing. Great job. And Russell's like, this is almost as great as my kids being born. So... It was a big moment. Again, everyone's celebrating. And then Laura kind of grites about it. She's like, well, we should have expected it. All Russell does is snoop, and he's always looking around. So we should have known he'd have an idol. And this is where Shambo goes to Russell. And this is where, going back to the scene at the end of the last episode where Laura said he screwed everything up. And Shambo is just gleeful. She's telling Russell, she's like, Laura was so mad at you last night. Oh, my God. She was like, Russell ruined everything. And and Shambo's like cackling and giggling. It's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And this is the scene, I think, where they go off on all the nicknames they've come up with for Laura. Well, this is also the one where Shambo ends the scene cackling, as you said before, saying, I'm going to find another idol and I'm going to give it to Russ. Like, Shambo, (laughs) no, you keep that idol. (laughs) Don't give it away. (laughs) Shambo really came to play, really came to win. <laughs> Again, Shambo is a Marine. She is the best of the best. 
<laughs> I think this is also uh, where Russell's uh, gives this big dramatic confession of like, "This is my, I am Picasso. This is my piece of art." <laughs> yes, he compares himself to Picasso, and this will not be the last hyperbole that Russell will have where he compares himself to someone amazing. <laughs> yeah, you just think of Russell Hance, you think Picasso. Yeah, world I think, famous artist. To, to be fair, they're both probably had the same same level of mental stability, so maybe the comparison's pretty warranted. And isn't Russell's Russell's like half of his face is on the other side of his face? Isn't it the same? Isn't that Picasso? I mean, he's literally two faced, so yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, see, he's a Batman villain. <laughs> Did we literally just say a human was a was a was representative of cubism? <laughs> <laughs> I think we did, Jay. That's the kind of level of uh, intellectual discourse we have on this show. I mean, you could have been like, is he ever going to get out of the blue period or, or anything like that? No, cubism. We went to cubism. That's what we do. That's how we roll around here. God, this podcast is like Guernica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> so Picasso Russell... jokes, ladies and gentlemen. Picasso jokes. I'm just going to let you monologue. You're going to keep going? I'm good. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, Russell gets up early the next morning to look for the idol, and he's like, I- idols are like magnets to me. They- they're attracted to me. And this is where uh, Shambo, yeah, Shambo, like I said earlier, Shambo comes up with all these nicknames for Laura. And she says, like, Laura has to go next. Laura is a demon. Uh, what's uh, 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 The head viper. Uh, yeah, the, the viper queen. queen. Yeah, queen, beast. The viper queen of Galoo, a beast. <laughs> yes, a monster. Yeah, so... <laughs> Shambo is just gleefully reeling off all these nicknames. And this is where Shambo has officially decided that nothing else will happen in this game. Laura has to go next. We must torture her and humiliate her and kill her. And that's the only thing I will do. And where Shambo will start going around to other people, right? And she goes to John. And she's like, I think Laura should be voted out next. And John's like, fuck that. So anyway, Shambo's kind of a wild card at this point again. And doesn't she have the line here about it takes balls to jump into this arena? <laughs> Like, that's part of her pitch of, to John to, like, get on board with this. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's the rallying cry. That, that's what you say at the beginning of your class, right, at the start of the first day of school. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's what I, I – in kinder, I'm in high school now, so not anymore. But in kindergarten, that's definitely a part of the chant, you know, following the pledge. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, what does it take to jump into this arena? Balls! I got <laughs> big balls, Mr. Asselson. <laughs> are you the Cobra Kai? Is that what you guys are? <laughs> Miss Medusa, I got balls. <laughs> Here he goes. Let me see him. <laughs> Wait, I thought you taught German. How do you say it takes balls to jump into this arena in German? Man braucht Bella, um in diese Arena zu reinzuspringen or something like that. Oh, that sounds badass. <laughs> I'll work on that one. <laughs> I know you just made that up. There's no way we could call you BS on that. But yeah, <laughs> okay. Someone, someone fact check that, please. Our, our large German listening audience. <laughs> Uh, okay, Paul, why don't you describe this next reward challenge for us? <laughs> um, okay, I give it like a, I, this is kind of like a blah, blah, eh, kind of fun, blah, 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 blah. Like, at least it was a little stimulating to watch, but, um, yeah. I mean, the best part for sure is the introduction of the Palm Pre by Sprint. <laughs> Wait, why is this stimulating to watch, Paul? I'm going to follow up on what you just said. I mean, there's people swinging around back and forth, and, like, it, it makes you think, like, oh, like, why the hell would they make John do this challenge? Like, so Yeah, that is, why not Monica? It makes you, like, think, at least. I mean, at least there's a little thought. Like, this challenge is not the worst in the world. I mean, to be fair, Shamo did just tell me he needed balls to get into the arena, and maybe he thought that's what that meant, was to step up and be the person in the sex swing in this reward challenge. <laughs> the sex swing? That's where we're going with this one? 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is the, I think this is like the only, the second time we're ever going to see this, right? Because I remember this was uh, in an Exile Island, then we get it here, and Natalie basically wins it for another assortment of, of purple people, which is uh, her, Russell, <laughs> Laura, Brett, and Dave. Yeah. Natalie actually does pretty well in this challenge. She is the big standout, and she legitimately wins. And yeah, like you said, they, they get to go on a picnic. It's another, literally another group challenge. We get to go on a nondescript picnic. And this one, they have a camera. So that's the, that's the fun thing about this one. That's the only way to differentiate from the last one. So we, uh, let's go to the island here for our reward. And they're all taking pictures, and they're eating hot dogs and pie. And, and this is where uh, Russell finds the clue to the idol, right? It's literally on the camera this time. Yeah. No, it's on the it's on the memo board. Oh right, right. First they get like is there like a picture, and then they have to go to the memo board on the phone to find this. And there's also a video. It's like it's like a scavenger hunt through the Palm Pre. <laughs> yeah, they show like a three second clip of somebody, some like dream teamer lifting up the rock where the idol is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is uh, okay. We'll we'll see this in other later seasons. But th- is this the first time this happens where they've been given a clue and they have a picture of where it is? So all these players get back to camp right after, and there's a big race. Like, everybody's going to look for the idol, and they're following Russell because they know Russell's going to find it, or the producers are going to hand it to Russell, and they want to be there. And so, yeah, it's like a big race of everyone scrambling trying to find this idol back at camp. I mean, sort of. I think ideally what the producers would want is essentially what they got in Survivor Kagayan, which is like, to, as we would describe it, like Sonic the Hedgehog running around. What they essentially get, because... Russell has sort of enlisted uh, Mick and Jason, who are, again, once are sort of like on their last legs in terms of malnutrition. Like, they're barely turning over rocks. The real uh, head-to-head we're seeing here is basically between Dave and Russell. And surprisingly, Russell is able to outrun Dave here, so much that he's, he's able to, uh, you know, shake him loose and then double back to the rock structure and find the idol. <laughs> is Russell a marathon runner? Did I miss that part? Because he's, he's way more cardiovascularly strong than Dave. And Dave's like a yoga teacher. So there's this shot some, of them running. Yeah, and, and Dave's out of shape, and Russell's like darting in and out like Rudy the Rabbit. And you know, he took tips from uh, Ashley Trainer. You know, she does a lot of cardio. <laughs> yes. So Russell's in tip-top shape, and he eludes everybody, and he goes and finds the idol, the, like you said, the spot where the Dream Teamer literally had put his hand and turned over a rock. He's like, he found it. So Russell finds idol number three, and this is where, again, we got to listen to this shit, where he's like, this game is way too easy. I'm too good at this game. Everyone else sucks. I was born to do this. So anyway, enough of that shit. Let's, let's go back to Galoo. Yeah, so Monica, so this is where, like, so Shambo is, like, slowly but surely telling people uh, that she's flipping. And I think this was also uh, while the others were on the reward. I think this is where uh, Monica talks to Mick and Jason. And Mick and Jason are basically sort of hint to her like, hey, listen, you might want to flip over because we already have a fifth one. Mm-hmm. And here we go. This is when Monica goes to Laura and is like, hey, I think Shampoo's going to flip. But I think Laura is still, again, sort of in the dark here. Like, nope, this is not going to happen. She's giving me fine look. She's not promising any sort of ill will towards me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This is the scene where Monica warns Laura. She's like, you know, they're all coming for you. And I don't trust John. I don't trust Shambo. I don't trust anybody. Laura, you have to be careful. And this is where Laura, it's like literally exactly what happened last episode. Laura's like, well, I just have to win immunity. Dun, dun, dun. So here we go to the immunity challenge. Okay. This thing is kind of bullshit. (laughs) I'll take the poll hat this time. (laughs) Specifically, the first round of this is kind of bullshit. Uh, so it consists of two rounds. The second round is like a, you know, throw a spear at a target using a crossbow, 
for some reason, because they probably saw the Borneo challenge, where they're like, okay, people can't throw spears. <laughs> uh, but the, the first challenge is, so they have three tiles each, and they have to throw one rock, and one rock only, and hit whatever tiles that they can. That just seems ridiculous to me like at least give them three rocks give them more than three shit maybe it's because at the time i was like it kind of took all the the air out of the challenge to see laura immediately go out in the first round even though shamba mm-hmm. was so celebratory at the time but like i don't know i don't understand the choice to have them just throw one rock the island is not you know uh there's no rock shortage going on they could have just thrown they could have thrown at least more than one here Okay, yeah, we'll paint it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, okay, we'll paint a picture here for people who don't know this challenge, who don't remember it. They there's these targets, these little tiles, and they throw a rock at their tile, and you only get one rock. So if you don't hit a tile, you're screwed. And if you hit a tile, you get a spear for the next round where you get to throw it at the target. So it, literally, it's one shot. And I totally back up what you said. This is BS because you know I played baseball for years, and I was a pitcher, and I'm pretty good with my control. Even I, even anybody who's a pitcher knows full well that first pitch is going to be all over the place because you got to get in shape and you got to get your arm warmed up. So, like, imagine people who don't throw rocks for a living and they have to hit these tiny little tiles in one shot or they're done. But yeah, it's complete BS. So like, nope, they're, it's amazing anybody hit those targets. I mean, this is the season where Jeff Probst didn't even show up to a challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they probably the, the producers probably pitched it to Probst where they were like, well, we're going to give them like three rocks a piece and then they'll throw it to the tiles and just like, not one. I only got time for one. <laughs> exactly. I got to get to my talk show, you guys. One rock, that's it. Contract. He does, that, he, he does that like superpower move where he's like tapping his watch with the other hand. Like, hey, uh-uh, guys, nope. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't watch this episode, this challenge close enough for this. Is there a chance it was edited to say it was just one rock? Like, is that a possibility? Because so many, so yeah. and so in this era, they really start edit, editing things down so much. Is that a possibility? There's always a possibility. There could be a voiceover where they show probes where they inserted later. So, yeah, you have no idea, but it looks pretty straight up like they really just had one shot. I mean, well, let, let's, let's break it down because uh, what Mick and Jason get a tile. Uh, Dave gets one of Monica's tiles, and then uh, what Brett gets a couple tiles, and so it's like, out of all these people, not very many people get spears to throw, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, only four, four people make it to the second round, and like Mike said, this is the big Laura's big, you know, showdown against Foa Foa, and she's out in one shot. She just misses her rock toss, and it's completely anticlimactic. Although it's saved by the fact that when she, when Laura misses her shot, Shambo starts laughing as loud as she can and high-fiving people. <laughs> Shambo's a great social game player, by the way. I also I just love the irony that like between you know Laura lost the challenge because of her inability to throw a rock and she loses the game because John does not want to force rock. So really, rocks just screwed her over. And ironically enough, her daughter's going to love rocks. So really, I don't know what's going on here. Survivor is such an interesting social thing where, like, some people, like, okay, I don't know her background with everything, but, you know, let's say that Shambo was given the prerequisite amount of Survivor to watch before going out there on the island. Like, there are people that go on the show, especially in these later seasons, that are, you know, big Survivor fans and have seen a lot of episodes of Survivor. And then there are people that, you know, were recruited or just, you know, decided to sign up, sign up and go on the show. And they've only seen sort of episodes or seasons that the producers told them to watch. They've seen, I guess, the bare minimum amount of Survivor. And there are people that have seen the bare minimum amount of Survivor and yet understand 
you know, I need to keep my mouth shut at times, <laughs> listen to people, do things like that. It, it, it happens. There are so many people who actually win the game after watching just the bare minimum amount of Survivor. And then you have Shambo who watched, I'm, I'm assuming, like the bare minimum or close to the bare minimum amount of Survivor. And she's like, you know what's great? Laughing in the face of people openly at challenges. Like, that's a cool move. That's the way to go. Now, Paul, what would you do if a student in your class did that? When they laugh? When, they, when someone fails and someone else in class laughs. I'm sure you have a pre-prepared speech for that too, right? Well, see, then we take the balls that are required in the arena and we just, like, chuck them at the student. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow, Montana, hardcore. Montana public schools. I don't know, maybe because all the kids' pans are down because you're from Montana slash Idaho, but I guess that makes sense. And there's this, you know, there's a little, there's a little small um, loophole. You can also opt to use rocks, but you only get one throw. <laughs> wow, one rock. Today, today I learned that Montana is like Thunderdome. <laughs> well, kids, sure. jo- Johnny failed at recess, and uh, Gary laughed at him. So we all know what Gary gets, boys and girls, a stoning. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of stoning. Uh, Laura loses this challenge. Mick, of all people, will win immunity. And with Laura not being safe at the vote tonight, now we get some more confessionals from Shambo. What's going to happen to Laura tonight? Where, let's see, they say we're going to lop her head off tonight. And I think at one point she says we're going to guillotine her and then kick her head around like a soccer ball. Yeah, I love how we're like... I love how like, we're like saying the winners of, of these challenges with these purple people in the edit. It's literally like... Yes! Weather, it's like a I weather know. forecast in Los Angeles. It's just like... It is 75 degrees. It's like Mick has won the challenge. And then we move on. I was literally just I was literally just going to say that I like after Mick won this challenge, I remember thinking like, thank God, never in the history of, of all the different survivor trivia things I participated in. Thank God no one ever asked me who won the challenge in this episode because I would have gotten it wrong. I knew it was not Laura. I would not have come up with Mick. Well, no memory Mick, of it. Mick can use the necklace as a belt, at least. <laughs> Well, I'll spoil it that Mick not only wins an immunity, I think Jason wins too, and I had no memory of that either. Well, well, we'll talk about we'll talk about the bowling later on. There'll be some comments reserved for bowling. <laughs> okay, yeah, so Mick wins immunity and Laura is vulnerable and Shambo is openly laughing and high-fiving people about this. And I wrote a funny 115 entry. I just remember about that. I, I was always tickled by that scene of Shambo's lack of social largesse, I guess would be the word. And uh this is where Shambone starts openly going around to people and telling them, there's no more galoo. I'm voting for Laura tonight. Laura's the devil. We must vote for her. And, you know, she tells Brett, and Brett has a sad, and Brett's all upset. And she tells John. And John, of course, you know, John is good for one thing. He will tell you when things are not logically correct. <laughs> incorrect. John, yeah, he's incorrect. Yeah, John is, goes on a little tirade here that all these people are doing factually incorrect moves, and it offends me. And this is not what people should be doing. Yeah, well, so I think he says it's continually impressive and bordering on annoying how pathetic the analytical skills of the Galoo tribe are. This is like the two-episode arc where John suddenly hates his tribe, maybe even more than Shambo at this point. Because basically, uh, what is this? Dave and Laura go up to John and say, like, oh, we should vote out Russell. And John says, no, he might have another idol. And therefore, he pulls out the old Stacey Lee argument and says, oh, no, let's vote for Natalie because she's probably the person who is least likely going to have the idol, which is sound, but as always with the game of Survivor, you can have the right move, but the way you approach it is going to make the key difference here. Yeah, and there's there's a big, long, convoluted scene here, and 
I hope I don't offend you guys by why I'm just going to try to summarize this as quick as possible so we can move through these episodes. But the short version is uh, Monica goes to the FOA FOAs to theorize voting out John instead of Laura because Monica's trying to protect Laura. And they're like, well, maybe we'll vote for John instead. And Russell tells John and John's like, well, I don't think voting out John's a good idea. So maybe if I flip and vote with you, then you won't vote for me tonight. And basically, this will all come down to a purple rock situation tonight where John is going to cave because he is just not prepared to take a rock and he'd rather sell Laura out. Did I explain that correctly? Well, it's, it's interesting because I actually feel like, you know, looking back on these episodes, sometimes when you wonder, and I am dating this a bit, but like when Monica Padilla got a purple edit, uh, not to be confused with the original Purple Kelly that she played with in Survivor Second Chance, I think a lot of people were like, okay, why did she need to be on the season in the first place? And what I feel like she does here almost shows, you know, why she ended up getting that, that popular vote is because what she's pushing here, which is essentially... She was trying to push John as a decoy to get a 5-4-1 to four to one vote. Because let's remember that everyone at this point, Shambo hasn't been like voting correctly whatsoever. Basically the what? entire time in the game. So they were trying to say, okay, if the four FOA FOA vote for John, Shambo's still going to vote for Laura. And then we all pile our votes onto Natalie. We're going to get a 5-4-1 to four to one going and get rid of Natalie by plurality. Yeah. And again, I... I love Monica in this season. She's one that I have built up for years. I think she's really fun, and she has a really good ep episode later. But, yeah, she is working her butt off here. And, there's again, this is a very complicated where I'm really not doing it justice explaining how we get to this point. But, yeah, it's really Monica is trying to F over the FOA FOAs and not have them vote for Laura. And John knows exactly what's going on, and he sells out Laura to save his own hide. But, yeah, Monica is really the linchpin here. of The second half of the season, Monica is the glue that really stands out the most to me. Which admittedly is not saying much. Yes, it's like saying who's the tallest kindergartner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so we go to tribal wait, wait, council. Wait, 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 hold on. Yes, Jay? But in Montana, when we get the tallest kindergartner, do we stone them down to size? <laughs> um... It's like the lottery. He must be punished. <laughs> Yeah, we teach that. That's part of the kindergarten curriculum. Is we teach the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it's like Japan. The one who's the, the, the tallest nail gets hammered down first. <laughs> that's a semester one text. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope our listeners know the lottery. That joke would be way funnier if they do. <laughs> Listen, if they didn't stop at the Picasso jokes, I think we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we go to tribal council and it's going to be five to five. And again, because Shambo has effectively flipped, although it's not so much that she's flipped, she just fucking hates Laura. <laughs> so she's going to vote. It's literally the Dr. Sean situation in Borneo where Shambo's going to vote for Laura. So, hey, the rest of the FOFO is let's vote along with Shambo. And now we have five. So it's going to be five to five and everyone's prepared for this purple rock. And even Dave Ball says, yeah, let's do it. Lady Luck, let's let's go for it. Let's have fun. And the first vote is a tie between uh, Laura and, is it, who's the other one? Laura Natalie. and John? Natalie's. Uh, yes, Laura and Natalie, sorry. 5-5, five, five, Laura and Natalie. And then on the second vote, John caves. He will not go to the Purple Rock. He sells out Laura, just he's not willing to take a punch for her. And with that, we lose the Queen of Galoo, the Queen of Mean, the Viper Princess herself, Laura, is voted out of the game. 
I have such a strong memory of like of this. You are a viperous poison line. And I remember watching it with some, a friend and some roommates. And um, that was like our phrase for like months after that was to be calling each other. Like someone would come show up late to something and you would just turn and look them dead in the eye and say, you are a viperous poison. And it's interesting if you're talking about like who did it first with the Purple Kellys long before Survivor fans were castigating Cochran for flipping on his allies at the merge. Lo and behold, John Fincher was doing the exact same thing in terms of voting with his tribe in the first vote just to make sure that nothing hinky was going on. And then once it was confirmed that Shambo flipped, he decided to do it at the last second. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is Laura is a really major character here. A lot of people might not remember that if you haven't seen Samoa in a while. She's a pretty big, this is a big uh, domino to be toppling here, that once she goes, Galoo's kind of screwed. And again, she, she becomes a bigger character in later seasons, but she's fairly prominent here. And when she gets voted out, you think over in the jury, you see Eric pumping his fist and cheering. And you see Shambo again laughing loudly. And then I think she masturbates after that. I forget what she does after that. But Campbell was very excited. That God. Laura voted out. Please don't put that image in our heads. Gross. Yeah. What? What did? How did? How did the? Uh, how does cable TV edit that one? Like what? Uh, what do they put in place during that scene? Uh, they put. Uh, I don't know. Some sort of like uh, public domain footage of like <laughs> I don't know somebody square dancing. <laughs> it's a commercial for the Marines. They replace it with <laughs> the, the few, the powerful. The Marines. Uh, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> the Historians is on their 50-something episode, Jay. That's what happened. I've lost my damn mind. <laughs> Laura's super... I know, Jay, coming into this, Jay, you thought you were going to be the one that was, like, exhaustion-filled, like, feverish, and it turned out the other three of us made up for it, but Laura's yeah, I, really... I've had a bit of a day, and I come in here, and, I mean, you know, it, it's such fun to hear the whimsical voices of the three of you that I can't tell apart, but, you know, it... it <laughs> Three then, squeaky then I get this. <laughs> well, it's not like I said anything bad. I just said Shambo was jilling off. Come on. Oh, 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 God, oh don't ah. use that term. Now, we're, now it's going to be horrible when we get to Survivor Nicaragua and there's actually someone named Jill on the show. Uh, or when we get to Jack and Jill the movie. Laura's super interesting because I, I don't know how you guys felt when she came back for Blood versus Water, but I was pretty pumped because she did, like Mario said, she did stand out and she's also such a unique casting type i feel like there's an entirely different podcast we could do about the quote-unquote older women that get cast on survivor especially in its latter day but she's in such a unique situation where i think she's what in her early 40s and she came in as a grandmother 39 39 yeah she's in her late 30s she's six years younger than shambo if you could believe that uh (laughs) but she she has a grandchild she has a grandchild so like she comes in with this totally different life experience that i think almost makes her sort of older and wiser no matter what the edit may tell you so i always thought she was just a super unique piece of casting who had a really unique story to her and i mean she i guess now i can sort of you know go back to this question of you know between eric getting voted out kelly getting blindsided and laura getting voted out here which do you think was the biggest move that led to galoo's downfall well again they were never tight with eric so it's hard to say that really did much to them they were still up seven to four so I think this is the one that really kills them because Laura is kind of the heart of everything. It all goes through her, although admittedly she was never close to Fincher. So, I mean, I don't know what the proper answer is here, but I just I think Laura was a big character and I think it was really her. Anybody else perchance? I'm I think I mean, I agree with you this. That's this is like the final nail in the coffin. But for me, I think the Kelly vote is like the biggest total momentum swing, because with that. 
that's what evens it up, right? With with the with Chandler being on their side, and so that's what. Yeah, I think the Kelly the Kelly vote for me, I would say, it was like the the biggest shift in momentum. Yeah, I mean, it, it's played right here, you know, and and whether it's done by purpose or by accident or by coincidence or or any sort of thing like that. I mean, the fact that Shambo hates Laura so much, if you pull the trigger on Laura sooner rather than later, then you still have this galoo advantage in numbers, right? And then Shambo can, you know, the wind may blow and she may go back to the other side and you don't know. But the fact that they were able to pick off a couple galoos and get the number down to where Shambo really hates Laura and wants Laura gone, now you can use this to your advantage and go. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, probably the Eric or Kelly vote is, I think, the more damning vote. But this is this is clearly the, well, glue's done at this point. They're toast. Yeah. And again, just one more time, I just have to say, I love Laura in this season. I love her in her future season. I just, I think she's a great character, although it's funny that you pointed out that she was the grandmother, which means she technically fulfilled the same role in this cast that Sonya did in Borneo. So let's just uh, let's just consider that. But Sonia fell down. Laura did not. Sonia is better than Laura. <laughs> did well, you I, know? I love how formal you sound with that, Paul. <laughs> Sonia fell down. It is a fact. <laughs> it did, did you guys know though that Laura will be voted out by her daughter? Wait, what? What's this now? Oh, that's this Laura. Oh shit. I, I, I know that I'm springing this on you and, and that no one has ever said this before in the history of anything Survivor, but Laura's daughter is going to vote her out in a future season of Survivor. Hmm. Well, that will be interesting. I will be um, interested to talk I about that I don't know, Jay. Day. I feel like if this had happened, we, we would have heard something about it. We're Dude, Survivor I'm, historians. I swear it's there, and, and I, I can't wait till we get to that season where I'm going to show you the subtle things in the edit that's going to point to that, but it's there. Oh, I remember that. That's one where Parvati got credit for it, right? Probably. <laughs> okay. Yes, we will get to that. Very excited to talk about that. But uh, let's move on here because we are going to move on to John Fincher, the fallout from him flipping. But and first, I know you're going to talk about the recap. It's talk, a recap. Talk about the, the recap, recap time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul, fine. What did we see in the recap? I actually didn't watch it. Mike's the bigger nerd. Mike, tell us what we missed. Here comes the recap from the loser corner. Uh, I mean, there's not really anything here. Uh, Jason gets really pissed. Oh, my God. (laughs) We need to talk about the recap, guys. There's not much there, though. So Listen, I'm I'm fulfilling my obligation here. Uh, Jason gets pissed off at John Fincher for elbowing him during Schmergen Brawl and calls him out. Yasmin calls Shamo Shamu. Uh, let's see, Laura tries to, Shambo actually breaks down with Laura on the beach, they have this, like, heart-to-heart moment where Shambo talks about losing two of her siblings, she's one of nine siblings, and Laura tries to comfort her, and Shambo is not having it, and it, it ends with, uh, Shambo singing Eye of the Tiger, and then messing up the words at the end, completely forgetting the lyrics, so that's the <laughs> recap. <laughs> oh, and Eric finally catches the chicken after getting clotheslined. Wow. I feel like I know this season so much more now. To be fair, this was all new scenes. They they lay out the season in the beginning. Because I know that the stigma of the recap is like they literally just recap the season and maybe throw in some new scenes in here. This was at least all new scenes. Again, this this is, I think, like the fourth to last recap episode we'll get. But at least the, the editors are trying to say, okay, we'll give you some new stuff with your Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> now, did they have any Russell scenes in the recap? Or did they, did they just use all of those during the season? 
No, actually, this is one, one recap that, I'm glad you asked, this is one recap scene that actually bears fruit down the line. This is the episode where they show Russell telling Mick that he is a millionaire, which is going to come to the limelight in a couple of episodes from now. So it's weird that they saved it for the recap episode and not on the episode proper, considering that it actually played a role in the main storyline. But yeah, that's, that's one of Russell's big scenes here. All right. Important uh, recap update from Mike Bloom. Thank you. All right, so here we're going to go into episode 12, the John Fincher boot. And le- again, let's see, let's see how it works out for John that he flipped on his tribe and joined the Foa Foas. Guess what? It's not going to work out real well. Although, before uh, we get into that, I have to say, the, the previously on segment, which is, again, my, my bread and butter here for the season, there's actually a very fair and realistic recap, one of like, the most reasonable one of this entire season. Where this is how they recap the season up to this point. Again, they don't attribute any credit to anybody at the, in this one. This one, this is how they present it. Galoo went to the merge, and then they lost two of their members. That's the, really how they present it. It's like, oh, cool, we don't have to say someone was responsible for it. They just say what happened. Then they say, then Russell found a new idol. Then Shambo would only vote for Laura. And then Fincher, instead of voting for Laura, bailed so he wouldn't have to for- face a tie. Like it's the most reasonable recap it's I have way seen too in a objective long time, for my taste. Yeah, I they want don't... I want a storyline shoved down my throat. <laughs> yeah. So really, what they're just pointing out is that Galoo is in trouble, but it's really refreshing because literally, I think the next episode is Russell did everything. Galoo sucks because Russell mind fucked them. So that's where we're gonna go from here. All right. So what's going on in this episode? I think uh, Fincher is now flipped. It's now five, basically five to four for counting. Uh, Shambo is a Foa Foa, and this is the first time in the game Foa Foa has had a lead, and Fincher has made a deal with Russell at the last episode. If you vote out, if I vote for Laura tonight, you vote for a Foa Foa next, and Russell's like, sure, and let's see how that works out. Yeah, very akin to the Boston Rob, like, you didn't really think I was going to stick with that deal, right? (laughs) Yeah. Although we do get some nice uh, footage of Shambo here laughing even more that Laura is gone, where she says, Medusa has been dethroned, isn't that just hysterical? So again, even when Laura's not here, Shambo's dumping on her. I'm not sure. I don't know. Shambo, I don't know if you're, she's exactly an, uh, a beacon of historical knowledge, but I don't know how I feel about the anachronisms that come with mixing Greek mythology with medieval history, as she seems to be doing here. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember, yeah, Medusa, I don't remember her being dethroned. Like, I don't remember her being royalty at any point. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so Fincher expects Russell to uh, stick to the plan and vote for a Foa Foa next, and this is where Fincher starts getting all super douchey, and again, he's been kind of douchey up to this yeah. point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he continues being douchey, where he's like, you know, last night they voted for Laura, and I flipped, and uh, everybody last night made the correct move. I will not have you guys besmirch Mr. Parvati Shallow that way. Are you a Fincher fan, Jay? A Fancher? <laughs> What? Are you a fancher? <laughs> is, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, there's groups. There's Yahoo groups and stuff all over the place. The fanchers, it's a big thing. Oh, my God. No. I don't know. If there is a fancher out there, please write us and let us know because we're making this up. So I, uh, we're not aware of there being fanchers. Jay's at least a semi-fancher. <laughs> uh sure (laughs) okay getting back to it monica is furious that john has ruined the game for the galoos and everyone's mad at him and john is kind of persona non grata here and 
Luckily, we're time for some fun and some mirthment in the season, and we're gonna go to a food auction. Yay! It's this not a group auction. Challenge. Sucks. Oh, screw you, Paul. This auction is. Blah, 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 blah. Well, Why? Uh, enjoy it because enjoy it because it's the last one we're getting for about five seasons. It's just it's so and like I think it's because I was kind of trying to take detailed notes on it. It just was like not good. Well, go, moving into it, um, I was watching it with my wife and my uh, sister in law, and they were making comments. I think that's kind of put put a damper on it too. Do you notice that Jeff's hair looks especially jet black at the beginning of this auction? I hadn't noticed it till um, one of the two pointed that out, and it looks like he just got his hair dyed after Tribal Council because it's like really, really, really black. Maybe that's why the last challenge was one rock only because he had the hair appointment. And maybe the hair appointment was with Kelly. Ooh, <laughs> it all comes full circle. Producer manipulation. <laughs> yes. We need to get the hairdresser out here. This is not a good sign. You know, we come together as Survivor historians. We do this podcast. And, you know, Paul, after these 50-some-odd episodes we've done, I, I count on you to, I don't know, I've got a very dry negative sort of look about things you got mario that's you know uh, we're now in the game tarnishing part of you know his rant towards survivor and fan fiction and stuff like that and you know mike bloom is just calling it like it is being the rock star that he is and i i count on you paul i count on you to come in here and go you know what i like i like these things and it's like what have i heard this entire episode so far about all of the reward and immunity challenges they all suck nope they suck this is the commentary from uh, martha and alice peanut butter and jelly sandwich that bread looks like it sucks the chicken <laughs> wow that's a really small chicken boring next one sh- shower and clean undies oh it sucks that you have to shower there in front of everyone cheeseburger they didn't even melt the cheese apple pie and i quote martha here that pie looks like shit <laughs> so, i love that i love that the the sisters uh Kreble are the uh jebediah atkinson when it comes to the survivor Samoa <laughs> seriously <auction. laughs> so it just was everything just blew uh during this challenge during this auction so that's uh i'm sorry jay i'll try to find something positive after this because uh this auction was not doing it for us because man i am i am just down you know <laughs> Well, there, there's, Paul, are, are, the, are things okay in your house, Paul? <laughs> there's a lot bang your on. bang your mic once for yes and twice for no. <laughs> yeah, oh, so 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 yes twice is what you said. <laughs> yes, Help yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, somebody get the directions to Montana. We're going to have to get him. All right, everyone, put your pants real low. We're going to Montana. We've got to fit in. Follow the pants. As When they start dropping, <laughs> you're getting close. Mike, we'll, we're, we'll we're, send in the Marines to, to rescue. We're going to have to load the back of your car with rocks, and once we hit the border, we're just going to have to start flinging them. We're just gonna <laughs> we only, got, we only got one shot, though, Jay. It's Montana law. <laughs> this is a goofy episode, and I love it. Paul, when you don't like a challenge, what do you do? Do you be <laughs> negative about it, or do you be positive and think of the good things about the challenge? We wait for the next one. Which will suck. <laughs> yes. So anyway, there's this shitty reward auction here where <laughs> nothing happens, and everyone gets crap, and at the end, what happens? Jason gets like a, an advantage, and John gets a clue to an idol that Russell already has, and it's just Jason terrible. gets a it's, stupid advantage, yeah, and John gets a dumb clue. Blows. Well, there's okay. There's some stuff in here. Maybe this is me sort of playing Paul here. Uh, there is an exchange between because I I feel like Jeff is trying to treat Shambo a bit like coach in terms of the as Jay put during Gabon the get a look at this guy Cam, uh, where you know Shambo gets the dud item. She gets the uh, 
sea noodles and slug guts with Parmesan on top. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Shamo goes like, oh, does it have nutritional starch value? Do you know? And Jeff just deadpans, I don't. Uh, and then you get some nice, uh, you know, again, I don't know who the editor was in this episode of Survivor, but they really love Natalie White in that shower, in the uh, Susie Blackboobs <laughs> Memorial shower item. Paul, you like that part at least, right? I mean, with your wife sitting next to you? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. um, I had to uh, agree about that it was a uh, horrible, horrible, horrible thing to buy at the auction. Does your wife know that Natalie killed a rat? Um, I don't know if she's there for that that part of the scene, but they uh, they definitely did not like um, Shambo's failed humor during the when she got the mystery sea slugs. They thought the hidden immunity I had a clue was also a waste since you know someone already got it, and um, we're not impressed that the with the clean undies. So just very unimpressed all all around. But are they stoked on pie? No, it looked looked like shit. That was the direct quote. <laughs> there is a great moment here at the end, though, which I love. It's perfectly fitting with Fincher's character, where he wins a piece of pie in the challenge, and Probst is like in in the auction, and Probst is like, "Well, you can eat your one piece, or you can forego that, and like four other people get a piece of pie. Do you want to be a nice guy and share?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> so what do you what do you think the sisters thought of that decision? They were against it. <laughs> dumb decision. Really dumb. Very Rafe-like towards the pie usage. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So the auction passes, and, and Paul hated it. And uh, so now we go back to camp, and this is where the, most of the rest of this episode revolves around chickens. And I am delighted because I love this episode. I had so much fun with this episode in particular in the Funny 115 where First off, they're going to kill a chicken for dinner. They're going to kill one of Shambo's beloved chickens and eat, her, eat him up. Yes, though she promises them, I'll talk to you when I get to heaven. <laughs> well, so I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> little chicken uh, Bill Murray. But uh, yeah, so... Oh, we uh, have so many friends. <laughs> for some yeah. reason, I just imagine Shambo ascending to heaven and it just being full of chickens. All the chickens she's had <laughs> in her life. They send her to the wrong heaven, the chicken one instead. They're like, yeah, we're good over here. How about you go over to that one? So anyway, uh, Shambo, she uh, talks to the chickens and explains that they're going to die. And it's a very sad moment because, you know, she's bonded with them. And this is where she even goes into the silence of the lambs where they're going to kill one of her chickens. And she's like, please tell me when the chickens stop screaming. And like, she's not joking. She's totally serious about that. But then on a dime, it flips from somber Shambo to Chef Shambo. She's like, "Well, you killed one of my friends, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna broil him nicely for you." That's right. The uh, the creature that once melted my heart is now going to melt in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, this is where Shambo becomes the uh, chicken chef, and she starts boiling up the chicken. And and like this is something I alluded to at the start of the podcast, where Shambo decides she's going to do a hard boil on the chicken for two hours. And Dave Ball rightfully walks up and says, hey, that might not be the optimal way to prepare chicken. It might be kind of rubbery when you do that. And Shambo shuts him down. What, what are her exact words here? Uh, well, I know she chalks it up to a bad case of PMS, but that's all I wrote down. Yeah. Well, she says, um, you know, I have a little knowledge about cooking. So if somebody comes up to me and questions my cooking, it's time for me to say shut up if you're me. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're really working with her on those uh, speaking standards in kindergarten still. <laughs> when you, she's, when a, you... she's a two emergent. <laughs> what, what is that like? Is that like second person, third person? In what manner is she speaking there? I would say shut up if you're me. I got the blue perfect, if I recall. Something like that. We'll, we'll get some uh, English majors to weigh on on that one. But yeah, again, kin- again kindergarten rules. standards says to get a three, which means proficient, must must maintain one one perspective <laughs> throughout the entire sentence. She gets a two emergent. She she switches point of view during simple sentences. So you're saying Shambo needs an RSP? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so Shambo and Dave get in this big fight over the chickens. And again, Dave seems perfectly reasonable. Like, that might not be the way to, to cook a fresh chicken. And, and, she, and he even points out, you know, I won the chicken. I should maybe get a say in this. And she basically says, you know, fuck off. And so this fuck is... Fuck off. Yeah, well, I love this because Dave just presents an argument, presents an alternative. She tells him to go away. And then she goes on for the next 10 minutes about what a huge fight they just had. And, like, I don't think Dave would call that a fight. Dave was just like, well, this is the wrong way to do it. And she's like, we just had a blowout. It was terrible. Well, it's not like Shambo has done this before, uh, misrepresented the way a certain conflict turned out. Dave is a viper. He's the viper king. We're going to lop his head off. We're going to put a firecracker in his mouth and blow his head off. Yeah, can we, can we get to the dream? Because this is... This is incredible. If anyone wanted to wonder what would happen if David Lynch directed an episode of Survivor, this is what it is. This two-second nugget. You know, it's funny as I literally wrote David Lynch dream. (laughs) We're right on the same wavelength. Yeah, this is, there's no way to lead into this properly. You just have to see it to do it justice if you haven't seen it in a while or have never seen it where Shambo literally has a dream that involves chickens telling her what to do. (laughs) It's just, it's incredible. So... I guess if you can describe it, first off, it's all in black and white because it's, uh, you know, it's night out. But she, it's, it's mono- voiceover by her talking about, you know, God made me really special. In my lifetime, I've had some dreams about situations that I'm pondering. And sometimes, you know, she says that she's had clairvoyant dreams. She's had maybe 30 clairvoyant dreams in her lifetime. And she thinks that it's God's divine intervention. This dream apparently involves some odd imagery of chickens, uh, an eclipse, I don't know if we got, like, the Willy Wonka weird tunnel thing of, like, uh, <laughs> bugs crawling over something. But apparently she had a dream last night where she voted out Dave. And that's all the sign that she needed. Despite the fact that I think basic psychology would tell you that it's understandable to dream about the person that you just got in a fight with. Wanting to vote them out. Like, this is very base-level psychology. But the dream said it, and so she must carry forth with the order. This is why I love you, Mike, because I literally wrote in my notes, David Lynch dream, and underneath I wrote Willy Wonka fun ride. <laughs> God damn it, you always take exactly what I'm about to say. That's why you're the temp, or I guess we can't use that anymore, but yeah, yeah that's, why, that's why you were chosen. Yeah. So yeah, so Shambo interprets this dream that God basically told me that we were going to vote Dave Ball out of Survivor, because as Sesternino once said, God has a very vested interest in this game, apparently. So Shambo now starts going around everyone telling people that God told me in a dream we're going to vote off Dave. And Russell, this is one of my favorite Russell scenes. Again, I don't, I'm not the biggest Russell fan, obviously, but I love this scene where Russell just giggles. He's like, yeah, that's God. That's God telling you what's going to happen, Shambo. We have to do that. <laughs> He's a so true anyway. prayer warrior. <laughs> yeah, Natalie prayed for him, and this is what happens. Now you have to pass it, play, pay it forward. 
Shambo has dictated Laura has to go because she's the devil. And now because God and the chickens have given her, (laughs) come down from the burning bush and given her words in the dream, now Dave has to go next. So this is the storyline of Samoa, in case people have forgotten it. You may just remember it as being Russell saying how great he is and, and just over and over saying he's the best ever and then getting screwed at the end. But there's so much more fun little details like this with the chicken dream driving the narrative here for a while. I'm I'm here for Shambo of Ark, where she feels like the, the spirits are literally telling her who she needs to vote out and how she must follow their orders. It makes me wonder, like, did her dreams tell her who to vote off beforehand? Why is she Why is she so sure that this is one of this is the 31st clairvoyant dream that she's ever had? <laughs> yeah, well, it does remind you, like you said, reminds you of Coach, where Coach says that thing at Tribal Council. He's like. I forget the number. He's like, I've had 30 or 40 life or death experiences. And Probst is like, wait, 30 or 40? So it's literally the same thing with the clairvoyant dreams. Okay, so we're going to go to an immunity challenge here. Again, this is the entire episode is the stupid chicken dream. And the immunity challenge is they have to hold up a log. Paul, what do you think of this challenge? Um, yeah, that's about it. But Paul, now I'm mean, sorry, sorry, Jay. I'm sorry, Jay. Oh my god, you guys! I I actually love this challenge. Um, it just really harkens back to you know that that final immunity challenge in Survivor Borneo when the three of them were standing around a log, and it kind of just takes a modern twist on that. So there's this is just really a great moment, and I just I love it so much. Well, Paul, I, I think I thought you would like this one, considering that this is yet another Natalie Nugget where she comes in what third in this and even jeff remarked on how surprised he is that she lasted that long considering she's essentially holding her entire body weight up well and i believe as she falls she actually kills a rat in the process <laughs> so she kills two rats she's the she's the ratinator yes that's why i also love this challenge it's one of my top five um individual mini challenges of all time yeah well for people who out there who are the Jason fans, this has got to be one of your top four or five Jason moments of the season. Where Jason funny because there are them. four or five Jason fans out there, so that's kind of ironic. <laughs> yes. So anyway, he wins immunity for those. I have this like I have this like him. vision of like a small gym or like a like a conference room in a hotel or something like that. And there's like the sad banner up ahead that's like welcome john fincher fans, welcome Jason fans, right? And then like there's like five people in there and like they're like around a punch bowl or something like that. And someone's just like, so, Jason, huh? Yeah, I like him. Yeah, me too. So yeah. wait, that's your vision? That's like that's- your dream. So you're saying we should form this fan club for Jason and, and, and Fincher. Uh, it's, Jay, sounds like you want to be the anchor of it. I elect you club president. I mean, I, I feel like I get that by default, but Sure. You are the Fancher. <laughs> Semi-Fancher. You're the Semi-Fancher. Okay, so skipping through this episode again, this isn't one of the more exciting episodes, but Jason wins immunity, and it's really going to come down to are the Foa Foas going to go with Shambo's chicken dream and vote out Dave? Or at the kind of the last minute, everyone starts scrambling, and they realize that Fincher is kind of dangerous, and they're like, hey, let's vote off the super smart rocket scientist who flipped on his tribe last time. So this is really what's going to happen. Fincher pays for his arrogance last episode, and flippers never win, as a, as a wise man would later say. So to be fair, I think Jason does have a good point here, considering that they are working with the rogue nuclear element that is Shambo. 
I think Jason, maybe this is you add it to the, the four or five moments that the Jason fans are celebrating in that hotel conference room that Jay's hosting, where, you know, he makes a good point of, hey, when Galoo didn't listen to Shambo, she flipped. We're doing the exact same thing here by not telling her to vote out John and not voting out Dave. Who's to say she's not going to flip back on us? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I remember... I remember watching this episode today and I saw that and it's all like, wait, if we blindside uh, John and don't tell Shambo, she's going to be pissed and going to go crazy like she did before. And that's like a huge storyline. And then all of a sudden the next episode, they just drop it. And Shambo's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> like it, it goes literally nowhere, but I forgot that Jason really does make a good point. But I do kind of wish it had gone somewhere in the next episode because Shambo's right there in step with them again next episode too. All right. So the tribal council, we get the tribal council here and, this is a good Shambo moment. Shambo, again, just a bull in a china shop. She's a complete disaster this entire season. And it's perfectly on, in, on uh, evidence here in Tribal Council where, where they're talking about, you know, what happened to camp today after the tri- after threat of the immunity challenge? And Shambo's like, well, there was no strategy today. It was just pleasant. We all just stood around and held hands. And Russell's like, are you kidding me? It was all strategy. Everyone was scrambling. And Shambo's like, really i don't remember seeing scrambling <laughs> so and even probe starts laughing at her he's like what are you doing like this it's very interesting to see maybe in like a post coach era slash like jeff coming into an executive producer role he can be a bit more vocal i think paul mentions it before when he sort of got onto natalie's case of like why do you think it's one big happy tribe and we see it here as well where he's like shambo i cannot believe that you do not think there's actual strategy going on right now I didn't have a dream about it, so it couldn't be happening. So, yeah, so uh, we get to the vote, and there's a, a wonderful quote here, and this is one that I had fun with on the, on the Funny 115, where they go to Dave Ball. And again, everyone, every, it's, there's going to be a blind side tonight. Somebody's going to get blindsided, and Probst is going around asking everybody, will you be shocked if, if uh, you get voted out tonight? And everyone says yes, and he goes to Dave, and this is, if you thought you had fun diagramming Shambo's sentences, Paul, try this one, where Dave says, if this vote tonight goes the way I'm expecting it to go, I will be shocked. Two. That's a two? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure Dave would love to know he's on the same level as Shambo when it comes to speaking ability. Yeah, that's, that's a big gray area between a one and a three, so. <laughs> but even Probst laughs at the logic of that sentence and I'm not sure if that's Dave Ball trying to be all profound and weird or if his words just come out oddly but yeah it's just a funny quote and uh, nobody knows what's going to happen tonight and then by John John Fincher gets voted out 7 to 1 to 1 even even some of the glues have turned on John and voted him out and so with that we have Eric and the jury you know pumping his fist and cheering again because he hates Fincher and and our smug rocket scientist gets sent out into orbit and into the arms of Parvati. Yes, although let's not forget, great quote here where Shambo, she's the one person who didn't know Fincher was going to get voted out tonight. She's like completely stunned. And over in the jury, you see Laura laughing. She's like, Shambo has no idea what happened. <laughs> All right. And with that, we now move into the famous double boot episode. Which is a great format. I wish they would do this every single episode. It's so fun. It's like, take out all the fun parts of the show and just show us the mechanics. I love it. See, Jay, I'm being positive. <laughs> those of you that can't read sarcasm, uh, basically those of you that are from Montana and Idaho, hope your pants are on. Uh, basically, so this is like 
I would call this like a hurry up episode where they do essentially they do two rounds here where they do two immunity challenges and two tribal councils. And we see this here next season. I want to say we see it, uh, you know, in a couple in the, the, some of the Redemption Island seasons. And that's basically it. So, yeah, this is a I don't know. I know some people say that they actually are fine with these episodes because it's sort of like just going through the motions. We know that Dave and Monica are the next two out. Well, I know, Paul, obviously, you've just made your uh, feelings prevalent. What do you guys feel about about doing this? Do you feel like if it's, you know, if the inevitable is going to happen, this is sort of a fine way to tell the story and get to, you know, more juicy stuff later on? My personal opinion is that I hate these things because I think it's very disrespectful to the players. Like, I think Dave Ball is enough of a big character. He should get his own episode. Monica, in particular, I feel gets, should get her own episode. Like, and, and I always remember they get like interviews after they get voted out. And when it's a double boot, they don't get their moment to have their little interview and talk about the game. So just from a player point of view, I always thought it was disrespectful. Like, I don't care if it's inevitable and that it speeds up the TV show. I just agree with Paul. I'm assuming Paul would say the same thing. that it's, I really feel it's disrespectful to the players that really deserve their moment in the sun for being out there in this game. Jay, would you like to weigh in on this? No, I'm good. Okay. I think Jay fell asleep. No, he's planning the the Fanchler convention. (laughs) By the way, we did not eulogize Fancher. We just, I just want to say the one thing you said, he ended up with Parvati. A lot of people might not know that. We just kind of were flippant about it. But as survivor historians, Mike, please explain what you were talking about there. Uh, So, you know, I think Fincher was, you know, he was single for years after being on Samoa. Actually, I believe at one time he appeared on Rom Has a Podcast and they tried to, he actually went by the name The Finchler and they're trying to, you know, see who who he could hook up with. It turns out that he had to just go right back to Survivor. Uh, He ended up getting with Parvey, I don't know how many years ago, but they are married and they recently had their first child. So congratulations. So John Fincher does become a prominent figure in Survivor history. So there you go. That's the John Fincher legacy. And Jay, of course, will put it in his newsletter, the Fancher newsletter. I mean, do I print a newsletter? Do I do I do I do a like an email no, release? You, like what? You print it, you tie it to a rocket, and then you launch it to the other people's houses. <laughs> a rocket or a rock? Because. Are we in Montana? Are you we? You only get uh, one of those, Jay. So you better okay. pick the right person. <laughs> okay. If you shot a rocket over Montana, it'd be like fucking War of the Worlds. They'd think the world was ending. They'd never seen such a thing there before. I don't think it'd be like the Coke across the whole state. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty big. Okay, double boot episode. So we go to the double boot episode, and it starts off with the previously on Survivor, and I am. So happy to tell you that now the previously on Survivor has changed. And now, like I said, Russell is now getting credit for everything. Where previously on Survivor, uh, previously on Survivor, Russell controls the game. Russell is on cruise control. Anybody who gets in his way gets mowed down. Russell told everyone to vote John, and John got voted out. Russell was responsible for Eric being voted out. Russell controls everything. And even it even says everybody but Shambo followed Russell's lead last night. So this is where it's really going to start getting obnoxious, where he will get credit for every goddamn thing in the season. All right. And speaking of Russell, we lead into the first scene here where this is where Shambo's mad that they overrode. How dare they? They overrode the chicken dream and they didn't vote out Dave Ball. And Russell's like, well, you know, Fincher was trying to vote for you. So I just saved you. And she's like, oh, OK. And really, that's the end of Shambo's anger. So that went nowhere. <laughs> This is too easy. Yeah, although Russell does drop here, and this will be a prominent plot point in this episode where he says, I'm the richest man here. I don't even need this money, but I'm just screwing with all of them. And 
So this, it will come up later in this episode that Russell has told everyone he's a millionaire and it's going to almost come back and bite him a couple times in this episode. Yeah, it's interesting, even with these two parts, it's kind of like two chunks of this here, because that leads into this next morning when you have Monica and Jason, Brett laying on the beach, and it kind of talks about Russell being a jury threat, and you know, and Jason reveals that Russell said he made $2 million last year, and that just kind of like hangs there, and then it doesn't really become, doesn't really blow up until the next uh, half of the episode before the next tribal council. And it's interesting that you were talking before about Jason's edit, because we get a little a little thing here where he's like, yeah, we get a, we're starting to get a lot more talk. You know, I think once it becomes more prevalent that, hey, Fofo is going to be sitting there at the end, we, we know that story's done, let's move on to something else. I forget how much Endgame would talk we get here, especially mm-hmm. for the people who don't get to the Endgame. Jason here is talking about, like, listen, I know if I go with Russell, it's going to be a bit hairy, uh, unlike Russell's head. But I'm going to say <laughs> that, you know, I, I hope to win over the jury by talking about, you know, group decisions and how Russell was being too aggressive, which is sort of what Natalie ends up sort of implementing here. But I just, I think it's interesting. And like Paul said, this is also where Jason, uh, you know, t- also out, like, I think Mick already knew and Jason knows, but now he's going to tell Brett, I believe. And this is going to start spreading like wildfire. Yeah. One thing I want to say here is that I, I literally had one of our listeners email me today. He heard that we were going to talk about Samoa part three. And he's like, one thing I want to know, because I didn't watch the show when it was airing, who did people think was going to win Samoa? Did people really think Russell was going to win going into the last couple episodes? And I don't know. I don't want to answer for you guys. I never thought Russell was going to win. I always thought he was being portrayed too aggressive and villainous, and people were just talking about what a dick he was at this point. I never thought he was going to win until we really we got right to the end. But this is the episode where Jason is starting to get a little bit of a winner's edit again. So I would probably say at the time I probably thought Jason was going to win. And it is the episode where he even says that, you know, he's been a part of every, you know, uh, strategy discussion in this game. He's been pushing Russell out there to be the, you know, the meat shield and everyone hates Russell. But I've been making every decision. And he's like, maybe I need to step out a little more and let people know that I'm here. And this is where he starts selling out Russell and trying to get people angry at Russell for being rich already. So, like, this is the one episode I feel that Jason also starts almost starts to get a little bit of a winner push here where you start to think maybe this guy is going to win the season. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that. I wouldn't have exactly counted out Natalie because, again, we did have those three episodes in the middle where she had a big thing. And, you know, we, we've had unconventional winners like Bob or you can even say someone like Danny beforehand who are, you know, pretty invisible. But I would say if I'm thinking back to, like, late 2009 Mike uh, as me, to quote Shambo. Yeah, I I guess because I, I thought that Russell was probably going to lose as well just because he was so big and so out there and we really hadn't had someone portrayed like that in such a magnanimous way that it, it wouldn't really make sense for him to take it all. So I thought maybe someone like Jason, maybe even Mick as well, mm-hmm. because Mick, even though Mick was just sort of there there was enough stuff going on every episode for you to say oh yeah mix us as mix gonna say in the final tribal council he's a solid guy and sometimes that's all you need to vote for somebody yeah i'm curious about paul and jay what did well how would you answer that question did you when you were watching the season for the first time think russell was going to win no, I totally co-sign what you were going to say is that like the whole time it was like, no way, no way, no way. And like you said, it wasn't until right up to the end we go, oh my God, he's actually going to win this thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely had my eggs in um, Jason's or maybe Mick's basket for sure. It, it's tough for me to say because I didn't think he was going to win this whole time. But I will be honest with you. It was one of those 
things where like I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe Laura's our winner and then she gets voted out and then Jason sort of comes on strong here. But it's like, you know, in, these people fall by the wayside. And the problem is, is that when we got sort of near the end, when it's Mick and it's, you know, Brett and it's Monica and it's Natalie, like, honestly, when they get to the end, like you sort of sit there and you're like, well, I guess he has to win because mm-hmm. no one else is going to win. Are they? Yeah. And I'll be the first person to say I was stunned when he lost right when it happened. And I think I said that in part one yeah. that my thinking changed later, but I was shocked that he even got to that final vote. And I'm like, oh, my God, he is going to win. And we had never had a winner like this before, this abrasive and this just aggressive. So I was a little shocked he didn't win. But again, it all makes sense later. But yeah, so I agree with you. You get to a point in the season where it's like he has to win. Nobody else has been given a story. Right. At this point right now, I don't think he's going to win, but I also don't think that he's definitely not going to win. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much attention on him. You're like, well, he's in the mix, but you're like, there's probably someone else that wins. And, you know, Russell kind of makes, you know, gets near the end and fails or, you know, some idle thing backfires. You know, you, you were thinking all these other things, but, you know, him winning is it's in the mix, right? Like, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say oh, yeah, I thought at this point he was 100% not going to win. Like, he was a percent to win, but other people were percents to win. But then the problem is, is that they, like I said, they get fallen off by the wayside, and literally you reach the end, you're like, well, there's no one else that's had camera time but Russell. I mm-hmm. guess he's your winner. Yeah, I make, the, I make the argument that once Jason goes, that was the moment for me where I'm like, oh, all right. Because I agree that I, I thought he had a good chance of losing, but there was definitely still a nugget in the back of my head of like, they, he's doing so much. Like, I, I wonder if this is actually going to, going to pay off. And once Jay, and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but once Jason went out, in my opinion, I was like, okay, well you've got, you know, Natalie, who we've gotten this whole coattail minion edit the past several episodes. We've got Mick, who's been surprisingly more invisible than Natalie the past few episodes. And you have Brett who literally just appeared out of nowhere and would yeah. make absolutely no sense, even less than Bob, who also like won a bunch of immunity challenges. Like, he even had more visibility than Brett. So it was sort of like the leftover option, and it turned out being the incorrect one. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's save that for the finale. But yeah, I was very curious to get your thoughts because, again, I had people emailing me, and just they were curious what the thought process was. So anyway, we got Jason starting to get a little bit of a winner's edit here, and he's starting to sell out Russell, just going around and telling people that, you know, Russell's a millionaire, and Russell, you know, he's kind of a dick. I'm not sure that guy's going to win. So anyway... As we, we go from that into a challenge that I'm sure Paul loves, and I know Mike has already expressed hatred for it, the bowling challenge. Hey, you know what? I was a bowler for many years, and this is the one time a, a challenge I think I would be actually good at. So I don't hate the bowling challenge as much as other people do, even though it is uh, pretty like kitschy and uh, like what were they thinking? Like what? You know, they ran out of some ideas on this one. I'm, I'm just surprised they threw more than one ball. Yeah, I was going to say, well, in all fairness, they get two balls. Well, they I mean, they were following more of the Simone rules and the Montana rules, where, I mean, it's a very quick game bowling in Montana, you know, because you only get one throw. <laughs> then you have to go run down the hill to get the ball back. So when people talk about getting, like, have you bowled a 300? I'm like, no, but I bowled a 10. <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty good for one ball, though. That's like a perfect game. <laughs> exactly. Perfect score. And with okay, a rock, yeah. it's kind of hard to get. Yeah, it's funny if you watch this challenge. There's all these coconuts sitting all around that they can pick up and roll down to knock over the pins. But they're all like lopsided and misshapen, which would not be conducive to bowling unless maybe you're like Fred Flintstone. 
But when they're actually bowling, they have these perfectly round coconuts, which are clearly not the ones that are in the little posts and little holders. So I don't know where they get these perfectly round ones, but it's it actually goes off surprisingly well for being such a lame challenge. I think I'm I'm less angry about this iteration. I think I'm more peeved at when it's used in Heroes versus Villains because Heroes versus Villains they really advertise it as like we're bringing back all these big challenges from the past 19 seasons. You can tell they're like, yeah, we're in Samoa. Let's just repaint these bowling pins and put them in here because <laughs> I would not say bowling is uh, one of the elite. And survivor challenges that everyone was frothing at the mouth to bring back for the 20th season. <laughs> okay, to summarize for people, they get two balls and they have to see how many pins they can knock over, as as the Samoans used to do, apparently. And uh, the the four that advance from the first round, we got Shambo, Russell, Jason, and Dave Ball. And Dave gets a strike. Although, my question here when I'm watching this is, how the fuck is Dave Ball not a left-hander? It's so weird seeing him as a righty. Like, that guy was born to be a left-hander, but he's a righty. So it just it blows my mind a little bit. Wow, I don't think I ever thought about people having a certain left-hander look to them. Oh, you've never played baseball, yeah. my friend. I was going to say, obviously, you've never taught kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. No, I have neither played baseball nor taught kindergarten. I don't fall in that Venn diagram. <laughs> Why Mike's are you like, on that's this accurate. podcast? <laughs> yeah. No, in baseball, it's well-known that left-handers, left-handers are insane. It's well-known. It's a, it's a trademark. Well, is this the time to bring up what hand I bowl with? Oh, get the fuck off the podcast, Jay. Okay. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> You're I'm, a lefty. I'm a lefty. Wow. Well, now this is awkward. A almost, Paul. Yeah, it almost, almost sounds I like I'm making it. kind of obvious that Jay was a lefty, honestly, Mario. Your lefty, your detector was, uh, was off a little bit. <laughs> My left dar. Yeah, you didn't have a dream yeah. about it, Mario, as to who your left-handed co-host would be. Well, I guess anybody who joined, who starts the Fancher fan club would be a left-hander, so I guess it makes sense. It's true. I mean, you know, when you're a semi-Fancher, what, you know, what else can you do but, you know, write with your left hand? All your love letters to John Fincher with your left hand. <laughs> left-handed. I smeared the pencil on my, on my hand. <laughs> I was going Apologies for the graphite smears. <laughs> No, see, Jay's got the the, uh, the restraining order against him from Fincher, so he has to write with his left hand to disguise the handwriting so the cops can't catch him anymore. Well, I write with my right hand, and it just looks weird. And they're just like, this This looks like a child did it because it's right-handed, and it's so bad. Paul, how do you reprimand a kindergartner who wrote an odd letter to a celebrity? <laughs> um, it's You get one stein, and you get to throw it or like kind of bring it down onto the left hand, and then boom. <laughs> And that forces you to pick up the pencil to your right hand, leading to zero left-handed people in Montana. I feel like for as cruel and as backwards as we're painting Montana in this episode, you also have to talk about the code of ethics that's there. Everything must be on the honor system because they just get one thing and everyone's just like, well, <laughs> that was my one. I guess I'm done. <laughs> it's like bowling. It's how they bowl. That's why people turned on Amanda after her return. It was like you had one shot and you lost. <laughs> Get okay. out of this now, now get out of this one horse town with the one horse. <laughs> I think that horse is spoken for as far as we know in the Kimmel family. <laughs> well with that, see oh see there's the exception. More than you get more than one shot with the horse, if you know what I mean. Well I was gonna say that I'm, I'm sure they appreciate monogamy, so the horse could only get with one Kimmel sister. <laughs> okay. Okay, so going back to Samoa, thank you. We have uh, 
So Jason ends up winning this bowling tournament. The fantastic Samoa bowler Jason wins his second immunity in a row. And like I said, he's almost starting to get a little bit of a winner edit here. People may not remember. And uh, with Dave Ball being uh, vulnerable, Shambo tells us in a confessional, bye-bye, Dave. The chicken dream's going to come true. The vengeance of Lord Chicken is going to come down on you. So Dave Ball is in trouble now. No, let's let's. I mean, this is really Monica's last stand, even though it comes over the course of two rounds. And this is where she's going to go to Russell and be like, "This is where I think Monica's making a right move here." And that the plan, the thing you want to do to Russell is appeal to his ego when it comes to the end game, because it's so inside by being like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, she is somehow able to convince Russell at least somewhat to think about the fact that Shambo might be a jury threat. I don't know how she's able to do that, but he." Whether or not he's, it's actually sincere, he proposes this idea of, okay, if he, Dave, Monica, Brett, and Natalie decide to blindside Shambo at this point. Yeah, well, okay, to sum up the long story short here, why Russell loses Survivor, there's a fantastic evidence of it right here in the Dave Ball scene. You guys know which scene I'm talking about? Uh, apparently not. Okay, so there's a scene where Dave Ball's on the beach and Russell goes down to him. And Russell's like, why aren't you talking to me, Dave? You should be scrambling. You should be coming to me. Like, I'm the one can call in all the shots. And he's like, I'm your best chance to stay. So he's like totally condescending to Dave. And Dave's like, all right, it sounds like maybe you have some thoughts. Let's hear your thoughts. And Russell's like, well, I could vote you out tonight or I could vote Shambo. And he basically gives Dave all this hope. And then he immediately goes and votes Dave right out. So if you're wondering little details on maybe why Russell doesn't get jury votes, here's one good piece of evidence. Yeah, I mean, this... I think we'll definitely get to this later on when we're talking about, you know, Russell's overall game. But I think that Russell confuses his overall foible, I think, is he confuses playing hard with playing well. Mm -hmm. And they're two very different adjectives. And I think he sort of comes in with this idea of like, look, if I essentially make alliances with everyone, to quote Big Tom, he'll make an alliance with a bush even, uh, he'll be able to, you know, then they'll respect him. But essentially what he's doing is sort of undermining his own work. Instead of, you know, picking a, a few key allies and going with them, he's sort of, like you said, we'll see this with a few of the Galoos, he sort of is just giving them false hope at mm -hmm. this point, which isn't necessary. And, it, and it's interesting, I think people might represent Russell as, like, mocking people on the way out, which I wouldn't say he really does here, uh, not until, like, Danielle in Heroes vs. Villains, where he really does that openly. I think it's more so this, like insular stuff where he says hey maybe i won't vote you out and then he still votes you out yeah and when you knew you were going in the first place and dave ball would be like why did you even have to do that i was gonna go anyway what was the point of all this kaboom dance we had to dance through that i was gonna be safe tonight yeah it, it, it's it's sort of uh i mean it's not even poking the bear that's not even like a good analogy i'm 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 failing at, at analogies tonight uh, you know the fan club is just taking over my brain but uh it, it's just you know that it's exactly that mike it's just the fact that like he doesn't have to like it's almost just like taunting on the way out but not not openly taunting but just just the sense of you know i just want to i just want to talk to him and and sort of get my two cents into this person on the way out you know and 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 it's like you don't you don't have to do that. Like they can just go home, you know, and a lot of times like people will come to final jury votes and basically say, hey, you know, you voted me out or something like that. And you could just say, oh, you weren't in my plans. And the thing is, is that Russell comes over and says, I can make you a part of my plans. Will you do so? Yes, I will. And then you don't. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And then again, Boston Rob did that. Um, Lex, to an extent, kind of did that as well. He'd explain too much to people on the way out. Like, you don't have to tell them everything that's going on sometimes. Yeah, but Russell is especially bad at it. And again, we'll see it more later. But yeah, for now, we're just going to fast forward. And and uh, Dave Ball is voted out seven to one. It's not even close. And now it's down to four to three. Now there's officially four FOA FOAs and only three Galoos left. And one of them is Shambo. So who knows where the hell she is. But I think uh, after Dave gets voted out, it's kind of they just know Galoos toast. They're all dead. And over in the jury, you even see Laura kind of telling Brett. Brett is like the golden child. He's the only one maybe who has a chance left. And she's like, stay strong, Brett. And this is where we start noticing that there's a Brett on this season, which is very exciting. Uh, Mario, I know since you made a big thing out of him on the Funny 115, do you want to you, do our mid-episode eulogizing of Dave Ball here? I like Dave Ball. I mean, it, this, it's been said. It's always said that Samoa is a one-character season, that it's just Russell. And it's really not true. I mean, I... I love Samoa. I really do like this season. Even when I watch it now, I, I find myself being kind of entranced by it. It's, it's got some flaws, but I think the flaws make it interesting and fun to watch. But on the Galoo side of the, of the chart, there's always these fun, goofy characters. And again, they don't get a ton of screen time, but you could argue a, a lot of great characters didn't get a ton of screen time, and they still managed to stand out. And Dave Ball is one of those guys that he's just so awkward and weird and and the more you watch the season, the more you realize he's like one of the, the leaders, if not the leader, a lot of the times in these challenges and in strategy, like everyone defers to him. You can make the case he might have been the center or the biggest character in Galoo once, you know, Russell Swan was there or even before Russell Swan left. Maybe he was the biggest all along. So he's just one of these guys that always stands out to me. He's just odd. Again, I'm not sure why he was cast, what archetype he fills. Like, how did this guy get through casting? I know he was like super bright and super witty and just weird and funny and awkward. And he just has a weird way of, of phrasing things. And I think I read somewhere he's like the highest IQ or at least one of the highest IQs in Survivor history, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how he competes with Heidi. But yeah, so he, he I'm reading it through this AMA that he did a few years ago, which again, like, if you're into Dave Ball, read in it, in it because it, uh, or on it, I don't know why I'm, Dan K with my prepositions here, but uh, yeah, she's he's, he's such an, an interesting person. Yeah, he definitely has the highest IQ out of the cast. Like we're talking genius level. Apparently, he was an alternate for Survivor China, but didn't hmm. end up making the final cut. So if you can imagine Dave Ball in Survivor China, maybe Dave Cruiser replaced Dave Ball, which would just be <laughs> insane in its own right. But uh, to answer your to remark what you said about you know his edit, it's super interesting because like especially you know, pre the bocce ball challenge, I feel like we don't see anything from Dave Ball. And apparently, according to his AMA, it's because he took a page out of the Danny Boatwright book. And apparently he purposefully did a lot of his strategizing away from the cameras because he was afraid that the information he would disclose to them would be possibly manipulated and being used against him. So if you're wondering, you know, a bit as to why we didn't see that much of Dave Ball outside of, you know, a little booze and a little wench in, or, you know, on the inside I was screaming, uh, you know, making loves in my sport, that type of stuff, it's because I think he actually made an effort to say, like, look, I want to make sure I'm playing a clean, solid game. Let me try to keep it away from, you know, the, these prying cameras. Mm-hmm. Dave is a character where, like, I don't, I don't know, because I feel like on the one hand you can say that with the attention brought on to Russell Hans in this season, 
you know, some characters that might have been bigger fall by the wayside. And I feel like Dave Ball is a, is one of those characters. So I feel like on, on one hand, you can be really upset that, you know, perhaps we were deprived of more Dave Ball. But on the other hand, the, the things we saw of him and the things we didn't see, and especially with Mike saying that, you know, he was playing his cards close to the vest and stuff like that. The question is, if we got more Dave Ball, would it be better or mm-hmm. would, he, would, would it just dilute itself? Yeah, I I actually have a personal story about Dave. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but it'll 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 give a little spice to him as a character here that I was always a big Dave Ball fan and there weren't a lot of people that were talking about him. And I know when I did the uh, second funny 115, that was one of my things. I want to I want to give this guy a little spotlight and maybe I can help turn him into a little bit of a cult figure a little bit and just give people one other reason besides Russell to like uh, Samoa. So he was really my pet project. And what is funny is that Dave Ball is the only survivor who has ever like flat out publicly dissed me in the and on Twitter or, or Facebook. I remember one time before, long before I'd written anything about him, I was planning all this stuff for the Funny 115, and I'd written a comment on some survivor tweet or something. It was a joke. And Dave Ball, not knowing me or we'd never interacted before, he just wrote, hey, you know what's good when you make a joke? Maybe you try to be funny next time. And I'm like, well, that was kind of rude. <laughs> so so I, I, I had it in a mission. I'm going to make Dave Ball laugh. He doesn't like me. He, he thought I wasn't funny. He thinks I'm a hack. I have to make this guy laugh. So it became a pet project to make this guy to write something that this guy would read and think was funny. And what's happening is I eventually, I think I had three or four entries on him on the Funny 115. And there's one in particular where I compared him to uh, King Leonidas in 300. I had Dave Ball screaming. And I said, tonight we dine in hell and we dine on Shambo's chicken. And Dave Ball, he, he read that and he laughed. And he, he even emailed me behind the scenes. He's like, you know what? That was funny. I tipped my cap. He made me laugh. That was good. Thank you. So I eventually won him over. But he has a notorious hard laugh. And he is a very, uh, I wouldn't say snippy. He's very, uh, when he writes things, he's very incisive. And he will say things as they are. He does not cut. He does not pull his punches or cut corners. So. Again, if you get a compliment from Dave Ball, you can uh, you run with that because it's it's uh, you have to work very hard to get that. So I'll always say that Dave and I have had a little bit of a uh, back and forth relationship on social media, but I, I eventually did win him over. So I was very excited about that. And again, I will point out that I think it was very disrespectful that a character that fun and that prominent on Galoo only got a double boot half episode. Again, I just think players deserve better than that. All right. So we'll That's go to the right. second. So we'll go to the second half of this double boot episode, and this is the Monica, and it's really, you know, Monica's it's a last bitch episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. I love this episode. Monica has a lot of spice here. And when I wrote my fall of Russell entry for the funny 115 in Samoa, a lot of it is based on this episode of Monica just toying with him. And really, this this episode is a good example of why Russell loses. And we'll go into it here because Monica puts up quite a fight. Okay, Let's so do I'll it. Skim- yeah, I'll skim through it. Let's see. I know we're trying to get through to get to the finale here. So uh, so Brett is really the last hope on Galoo, and this is where all the FOA FOAs all realize that they're like, he's too likable. Everyone loves Brett. He's going to win the jury vote if he gets there. We just cannot let him win immunity. So uh, fast forward. What's going to happen, Paul, at the immunity challenge? Well, it kind of sounds like Brett wins. <laughs> uh, come on, it's Stompede. It's from Survivor Africa. You gotta at least acknowledge it there. There are All no right. goats. It is not fun. <laughs> yeah, there's things on the ground, and they stomp on a thing, and the thing gets flipped up into another thing. Is that good, Mike? Yeah, that's fine. 
forgot a couple of <laughs> but yeah, close. So Brett wins immunity. And again, this is only half of an episode. This is a double boot episode. We only have 10 minutes left. So Brett wins immunity and Monica is the last remaining galoo, basically. So it's going to be everybody against Monica and she is not going to go down without a fight. So what exactly does she do here on her way out? So first she goes to Mick and says like, hey, look, uh, I'm pretty sure that Russell plans to take Natalie and Shambo to the end because they're not going to get any votes. So you might be, you know, on your way out. And Mick basically mulls it over and thinks that she might be correct. He compares it to, you know, uh, the scorpion and the frog, or as he says it, the kid and the snake, I guess <laughs> was a very similar type of story. That's the medical school analogy. Okay, yeah, that's what, uh, you, when you learn as an anesthesiologist, you know exactly what <laughs> what numbs you in a good way and what shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the snake from uh, Greek mythology, the one that Hermes has. I think that's something that the Caduceus or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Monica starts all starts to stir up all this doubt with Mick, and Mick is like, he goes to Jason, he's like, you know. Monica kind of makes a point. I don't think Russell is going to take us to the end. He wants Shambo there because she's fucking nuts. And he wants Natalie there because she, I'll lower my voice here, she didn't do anything. And then, uh, so now there's all this uh, paranoia over what's going to happen at the end. And Monica's kind of sitting pretty. And this is where Monica goes to Russell. One of my absolute favorite scenes in the season. Oh, uh, do you guys like this one as much as I do? I mean, it's it's fun to watch, like, because it basically, I wouldn't say she makes or breaks it, but I think, like you said, this really sets up, and even though we, we, like we said at the time, we're not necessarily, you know, believing that, oh, this is where Russell loses. I think this is, looking back, a good microcosm, as you said, of sort of the general jury mentality against Russell of, like, hey, look, you might be doing all this stuff on the island, but at the end of the day, the jury votes are going to matter. Yeah. And Russell flat out says he doesn't really care. And Monica's like, you know, if you put me on the jury right now and I'm angry, that's a bad time to put me on the jury. You could at least give me a little fighting chance and vote out somebody else. Like, you put me on the jury right now and I can make your life a living hell. I have a lot of say on that jury. And I, I personally love this. I love when players are just dicks like this. I think it's fun. And Russell's like, no, nah, that won't happen. And so now he's basically daring Monica. He's like, I'll put you on the jury anyway and you'll still vote for me, whatever. And she's got this look on her face like, like hell, that's going to happen. She's like, you know... I'm going to cause trouble for you. I'm going to cause problems. And uh, yeah, so this is just uh, it's 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 a perfect microcosm of how Russell kind of works on Survivor. He's going to put people on the jury and they will just respect that he played hard. But she's flat out telling him what's going to happen here. And again, it will happen whether Monica is responsible for it or not. It, it is what's happened. So you can see it in this scene here. And uh, oh, and this is the other thing where Monica also points out, you know, I know you made $2 million last year. Natalie's told me, Jason, everyone tells me, and I'm voting 100% on needs. So screw you if you think I'm ever going to vote for you, dick, or whatever. And so, and now Russell is furious because everyone's telling his secrets. Yeah, this really highlights why Russell should have won. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, he confronts Natalie, he confronts Jason, and they're just... I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? So Natalie or Monica has stirred up all this crap and everyone's mad at everyone and all the FOA FOAs are like fighting with each other. And Monica's just sitting there, you know, laughing. And, and this is where we get the quote, the one that you just said, Paul, right? Where, what, what does Russell say about, he has some nice things to say about Monica. I don't think I have the, the direct quote. I just, just simply have the little bitch stuck yeah, in I my head. It's like a Monica's a little bitch who runs her mouth. And yeah. then it, uh, so when he votes for her, yeah. And then when he votes for her, he's gonna be like, stupid, stupid little girl. 
bad strategy. I don't know if that's a two, Paul, but it's a very <laughs> short sentence. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give it a three. There's some punch behind that. <laughs> His audience is very well known. He stays in one point of view. I think he's uh, he's ready for first grade, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I do have a question about this, though, because it feels like I'm trying to because I think, you know, Monica was making an interesting thing with the mixed up. But with the Russell stuff, do you think she was actually making a play or do you think she was just trying to like, you know, go as they keep saying, go out with a bang and say, like, look, I'm going to make Russell like shake in his boots a bit because he hasn't done this his entire game. I I personally think it's two things. It's blackmail. She wants to blackmail him because then at least if you have no power, now I have some power if I can blackmail you. And I think in general, she just wants to be relevant to the season. Yeah. Like, you know, Galoos are just going to be steamrolled by this guy, Russell. I want to be shown on TV as the one person who stood up to him at the end. So I think she's just making a play here that people will remember her. I mean, this is what gets her to come back. Like, she yep. does not have this final thing. She, there's no way she gets asked back. <laughs> oh, what about you, Jay? What do you think here? Do you like the little bitch? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I... I agree in the sense that, you know, this is part of why Monica was even considered to come back. But I think that, you know, yes, this is a play, but I think at this point they they are realizing at least you have to realize on the island, even if you think the narrative is about you, you have to realize that Russell has stirred a lot of pots. He's found a lot of idols. You know, there's a lot of attention on him. And so. I think if you recognize that there's going to be attention put on somebody, you're going to try to glean a little bit from that. And so I think, you know, Monica probably knows that she's probably toast at this point. So she's going to confront Russell, you know, because I think that a will play well uh, for TV. But B, I think she's got a legit point here. She's just basically saying, Russell, be nice to people. And he basically says no. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, Everything you need to know about Russell and how he plays Survivor and his success ratio, you can pretty much watch this scene and it explains it. So anyway, yeah, Monica has stirred up all this crap and everyone's mad and Russell just is absolutely furious with her. And we go to Tribal Council and they're, they're still bickering. And I have to say, I pointed this out, I noticed this and I wrote it in my notes, that Propes notices that, Mo- that Monica has given Russell all this crap and she's like playing real hard. And I love that Propes gives Russell credit for it. He's like, look, Russell, you got Monica to play hard. Good job. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we should also note in this, uh, since Russell is, you know, for the first time really in the game, besides the time he played his idol, is getting, you know, some some sniffing of uh, doubt going his way, he decides to put the idol around his neck but doesn't play it. And I can't remember, this might also be the first time that somebody does this. And we're going to get this, you know, in many, many future seasons. And it's sort of gotten to the point where now it's sort of stigmatized where if you put the idol around your neck, uh, you probably aren't going to play it. Uh, And so people can call your bluff. But here, he did sort of revolutionize this in that he created a big threat by saying, hey, here's the idol around my neck. I'm going to play it only for him to say, no, you know what? I'm not going to do it this time. Yeah, and it's a good power move, but... Of course, Monica uses it against him in front of the jury as he pulls out the necklace and she immediately goes to the jury. Look how cocky he's getting. Like he's just laughing at us. He's mocking us. Look at what he is doing. And Monica is continuing to take digs at him and digs at him. And Russell is furious. At one point, I think uh, even Brett says, you know, you have to stay humble in this game. And Russell isn't very humble right now. 
And Russell tells everyone, he tells probes, tells the jury, he's like, you know, she told me if I put her on the jury, she won't vote for me and she'll ruin my chances. And Russell's like, you don't talk to me like that. And so again, just a huge showdown. Monica just going down an absolute ball of flames, just laughing at Russell, pointing at him and mocking him in front of the jury. And again, he gets legitimately pissed here all the way up to, like you said, when he votes for her, he calls her a bitch even again, I think. And I should point out, fan favorite, Russell Hans. And that's not his best episode. And like we said, I think looking back, uh, it really shows the cracks maybe in that in that edit of saying like, hey, here's a reason why he may have lost in the end. Oh, yeah. And before before we finish off this episode and eulogize Monica, I have to say a quote that is near and dear to my heart. This warms my heart as a survivor purist that hates the idol era where Russell says, I've been playing hard this whole time. It's why I'm here. And Monica says, well, that and idols. <laughs> so I have to give thanks to Monica for, for spelling out my viewpoint personally that, yeah, you're only here because of idols. That has nothing to do with Survivor and playing hard, but nice try. And then Monica's voted out of the game, and really, it's really a foa foa run to the end at this point. So do we have yep. any uh, eulogizing for Monica, or do you want to move on to the next episode? Any final thoughts here, Jerry Springer? I mean, she's more fun than Kelly, probably less fun than Laura. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we, you know, if we're talking about like historical context, we talked about this with Laura, but I don't think we can under, you know, sell this idea that coming out of the season, we were a bit scant when it comes to Galoo, just because, again, a lot of them were so underedited that I will say two of the people that came out of this season were Laura and Monica, specifically, like Paul said, because of essentially this entire half episode for Monica and Laura because of the storyline this entire time. I'll admit, I have completely forgotten that there have been four people returning from Survivor Samoa, just because of how lopsided the edit is, you would think there would be a lot fewer. But no, Monica, Laura, and both Russells have come back, which is a bit surprising. Yeah. And again, I I love Monica in this season. She's more interesting than she ever gets credit for. And this episode is really fantastic for both her, for the storyline, and the evidence of why Russell doesn't really win Survivor. So again, I think she should get more credit for it. And I don't know if she really should have come back because she didn't do much in her second chance. But again, she is one of the few Galoos fighting and going down with a fight here. And even though, admittedly, Russell gets credit for it, which I think is a piece of crap, honestly. Well, she shows a proper way to to fight, you know, because, you know, there was Sheehan and All-Stars and things like that. And it's sometimes when you're in like a feudal position, you're you're basically, you know, you're going to get voted out. And so what you want to do is you want to kind of like warn the jury against someone that's left and stuff like that. And I mean, unfortunately for Sheehan, the jury didn't like her very well uh, as it was. And then, you know, she's warning them against Boston Robin Amber, who just happened to be the final two. So, you know, yell all you want. You got to vote for one of them. But you know, in this case, it's not a final two situation. It's not a power two or anything like that. It's literally just Russell. And I think that she does a good job at it. And I I, I think I agree with you a bit, Mario, in the sense that, uh, you know, she, she doesn't get the credit she deserves because not that she single-handedly takes down Russell, but I think she does the best job so far mm-hmm. of trying to discredit him. Yeah. I mean, one could argue Russell can't win at this point. I mean, maybe I guess he could if he's against Shambo and maybe Mick. I don't know. But yeah, it's this, I think really does do a lot of damage. And again, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we get to the next episodes. That's, that's for a later talk, but yeah, it's just, again, I just wish a character like Monica had been given the respect of having a full boot episode as opposed to a half she had to share with Dave ball. 
All right, so now we are up to, uh, what, episode 14? I think it's, what, 5 to 1? You got uh, the five FOA FOAs against Brett at this point, right? Yes, we're almost there, almost to that finale. You know, these like the season that start with 12 people at the merge, they really, like, it's a lot of episodes before we actually get to this finale. Yeah, Brett needs a miracle to get through, but uh, if there are people who might be affiliated with miracles, it might be Brett, considering what we find out about him in this episode, the penultimate episode. We're finally getting some primo Brett content. The bronze we'll medalist. Throwing of, some character scenes. Yeah, the bronze medalist of the sprint fan favorite this season. Finally, getting some content here. Uh, you know, three hours before a winner's crown. I don't know. Well, what you're, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he was primed for greatness right from the beginning of this season, Mike. How dare you? Wait, do you have a fancher for Brett too? I mean, look, I can't hide it. <laughs> but like Brett, it's mostly invisible. So you know, <laughs> you just got to basically figure it out from there. Love that joke. Yeah, is it like a weird self-defeating philosophy for like if if you say you're a fan of Brett, then you're not because to be a fan of Brett is to be completely silent about it. <laughs> oh, so you just pointed reminded me this is the CGI Brett episode, isn't it? Sort of. I mean, I mean this is the one. Yeah, from here on out, he really gets. So we don't the, know. <laughs> he gets the biggest edit out of anybody in the season all of a sudden, and I, I was just noticing this when I was watching the episodes. Like, like people remember Brett just suddenly showing up, but it's not so much that he just suddenly shows up in this episode. Like, he's legitimately the biggest character for the rest of the season. Right, and that's what you know. I everyone sort of makes uh, the joke of like. How did Brett, of all people, end up placing third in the fan favorite poll of the season? First, uh, the edit was very wonky, but I mean, it really, with that fan favorite, when they used to do that thing back in the day, is very much, what have you done for me lately? I feel like the other big example we got of this is Brenda in Survivor Caramoan, who was actually pretty similar to Brett, had basically no edit up until like maybe two or three episodes before she ended up going out, but because there was a big storyline revolving around them that ended up sort of getting this final burst of attention right where it counted the most. And as a result, they ended up sort of getting boosted up in the popularity polls probably more than they should. Well, yeah, explain that to people because, again, we not everyone knows about the Sprint Favorite Award. People are just getting into the show now. Explain to people what the Sprint Fan Favorite Award was and how Brett factored into that. So before social media, uh, they had to find a way to gauge who was popular amongst the fans. This is a post-Jesse Camacho CBS.com world where you can just <laughs> log onto the website and, you know, uh, obliterate the, the results there. So basically what they did starting in season 12, I believe, but I think that 15 was when they started doing it for money. Paul, you might want to correct me there if I'm wrong, but... 12 was the car, right? So you yeah. got a car. I, th I, think, tw I think 12, thir 13 12 and 13 was the, was, was the car. I don't remember what Yao Man won. Yeah. Was that money? I'm not sure. I won a lemon tree. <laughs> yeah, he wanted just a big lemon tree. Um, but I just, So basically, it got to money at a certain point, but basically, I think in either the penultimate episode or like two weeks before the finale... Because uh, the finale, you know, used to air on that Sunday right after that Thursday night episode. Uh, basically, they opened up these fan lines on, you know, sp via Sprint where you could basically text 
your favorite player to that number, and essentially they collect the votes, and whoever was the most popular player would get either a car or money or a lemon tree. Uh, so we had Sari win it, Ozzy won it, Yao Man won it, James Clement won it twice. We had back-to-back winners win the fan favorite as well in Bob and JT. So again, before social media, if you wanted a good gauge as to who the quote-unquote people on the street were enjoying based on the edit they were being given on the show. That was a good way to sort of gauge it. And that ran all the way up through Survivor Karamoan. And so since season 27, we really haven't had it. It's amazing that we have to explain how, you know, you had to call a number and vote for somebody when literally like, you know, this this is like the age of American Idol where like that was how, you know, all this stuff gets done. And it's like, it's just not done that way anymore. Like, it's just everything is it's moved on from that technology. And it's 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 crazy. Yeah. And I I will always say I hated that Sprint fan favorite award. I bristled against that right from the start because and I think I, I assume I've, I've mentioned this in other seasons before because it really creates this illusion where there were two winners for a season. And I always hated that. I mean, it go back to all stars. Amber won, but Rupert won too. Yay. And like, that's, that's the mindset it kind of created in the fans. And this fan favorite award is going to absolutely drive this belief that Russell was the greatest player ever because he's going to win it here and next year too. But yeah, just to back up Mike's point, it's, fascinating that brett wins it this season although like you said it, it only they only open the voting like the last two episodes of the season people can vote for their favorites and lo and behold who gets the biggest edit and the biggest underdog fan favorite edit of anybody in samoa it's brett the last two episodes so it's not that odd that he finished third if you think about it and you know the logistics i mean who else was going to finish third in the season like mick or jason or something like i don't think so i'd make the argument for jason had he not had a couple of bad episodes leading into it. Because, uh, again, we had that really strong edit during the first few episodes with the Ben stuff, and he got a couple of interesting episodes near the merge. But at this point, uh, you know, from what I've been reading behind the scenes, this is where we get, like, really sick malnourished Jason, who probably was not willing to give confessionals. Uh, I want to offer up a question here. Is this a good Natalie episode? I know we talked about, like, the Eric episode as a good episode for... Natalie is this stuff with Brett and you know the the God Squad type of stuff do you think this sort of helps count towards this mysterious winner edit that she may or may not be receiving did Natalie get any screen time whatsoever well she got like yeah a little I mean not really even that many yeah a little then yes it was a good Natalie episode (laughs) well and the thing is it's this is kind of what we were talking about earlier in the episode well, it feels like forever ago since we were talking about this. But when we were discussing, it's not necessarily about even finding like a Natalie edit. It's just about finding like what made sense or like what justifies what happens in the end for Natalie. And like this is like a glimpse into, you know, everyone talking about that out there that there's a, a Christian undertone to this vote when it gets down to the tribal council. So including the scene helps give some some background onto the connection she made i would not say it necessarily you know gives her that much more of a of a winner's edit yeah i mean i don't think there personally is a good natalie episode in this entire season there's just varying degrees of like jay said is natalie there and then what you'll get at the end is all of a sudden russell will just have increasingly negative stuff right before the vote where i think that's kind of the storyline they're going for like well we can't really build up natalie but let's just show russell being a dick and we'll show why he loses so i don't know if is this a good natalie episode is really a valid question 
Yeah, I mean, maybe it goes back to this whole idea that has sort of been perpetuated, especially, uh, you know, today about, you know, is the social game able to be portrayed on the show in a natural way? Outside of someone saying like, hey, I really bonded with this person over the fact that we both enjoy comic books. Maybe this will bear fruit down the line. And maybe that's sort of, maybe what I'm alluding to here is that we get this in the beginning. And yes, it does sort of segue a bit into the reward challenge when Natalie picks bread. It fills in a bit more there. But it's 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 always just a tough thing to sort of illustrate, you know, the day-to-day things that are happening on the island. These much smaller moments aside from the big power plays that are being made. And I feel like this is one example of it. Storytelling in Samoa is wonky to say the least, and this might be an example of it. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard to show a good social game. It's very easy to show a bad social game, which is what I think they fall back on more. Well, not only that, but, you know, Survivor is, well, it, it's hard to pin down what Survivor is. Uh, I mean, I've, I've said this on this podcast so many times, not necessarily this specific podcast, but podcasts in seasons that we've had in the past and stuff like that. Like we, we try to quantify this game. I mean, we're podcasting about Survivor, but like after every episode of Survivor, current Survivor, there are so many places you can go to to get recaps and all that sort of stuff. So for an hour-long television show, you can literally listen to like seven, eight hours a week plus Plus, at least seven, eight hours, but even more of people like breaking down what happened in this hour of television. Mm-hmm. And they're they're talking about, you know, like, uh, you know, how people are moving forward in the game. And really, the only way that we can quantify it from watching at home is through major landmark things that happen, which happen to be like challenges or vote outs and, and, you know, these sort of like major landmarks where somebody gets eliminated, someone goes home. And so we tend to then sort of use those landmarks as our gauge as to who's playing well. Right. And the problem is, is that, you know, people who steer votes and people who, you know, make quote unquote big moves and flip on people or use an idol or do these sorts of things that looks good for television. And we rank it as such, but it may not actually be what's winning Survivor. And as we know, a lot of Survivors literally just, are you bonding with the people that are out there in, in a way that they will vote you a million bucks if you're there at the end? And it's such a hard thing to sort of show. And so the problem is, is that Natalie is doing all these things or like other people do them. And, and where editors get in trouble is, is if other people are more entertaining than the people who are actually winning and making bonds, then you have this cacophony, this dissonance of like what is actually happening on the island versus what can we see and therefore rank from what we are watching. Yeah, I believe uh, Dave Ball actually mentioned something on this very lines in his AMA uh, <laughs> about basically how, you know, fans are always writing commentary and uh, analysis of what happened on Survivor. And zero percent of it is valid because nobody has any idea at home what actually happens in Survivor. And so, yeah, so it's the, again, I, I know you talked about it earlier, but the Dave Ball AMA just railing on fans thinking they can write a, write analysis is one of the greatest things ever. Well, and I think that it compares really nicely to the reunion, which I know we won't spend probably a lot of time on because this is going to be a long enough podcast as it is. But for my money, this reunion in particular might show the greatest disparity between what the audience experienced and what was actually happening on the island. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to the editing because, you know, going through the reunion – 
I was surprised at how divided the audience was. There were some people that were, you know, cheering Natalie's win and, you know, cheering Russell's downfall. But it really did seem like, you know, much like Russell gloated about, uh, you know, during the merch feast, the audience was sort of eating, feeding him grapes every time Russell would sort of claim something. There was a big uproar in the audience. And Jeff sort of points out that, like, the the, the jury did not have a, or the same reaction to that even in the room. And so it's it's so interesting to see how the audience was, you know, really drooling, salivating over him. We'll definitely talk later on about the general reception to him in this season. But you can see firsthand the people that were actually playing there without, you know, the edit being involved had the exact opposite opinion when it came to interacting with him. Yeah, okay. Let's let's save that because we're going to get into that at the end here. Let's let's race through this episode because we got to get to the finale here. This is what a, like going to be a four-hour podcast. Um, so we get a, this is the Brett episode where we learn that Brett's a prayer warrior and he's like amazing and everybody loves him, which again, we've never even heard of this guy most of the time until here. And then he starts bonding with Natalie. We see him and Natalie praying and they're becoming close and Russell's getting a little skeeved out by the fact that Natalie has a friend over there and we're not supposed to like this guy. And anyway, we go right to the reward challenge, which is surprisingly a challenge that I think is pretty fun. I actually really liked watching this one, Paul. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I'm not going to harp on this one too much, except for I think this would have been with six people left in the game. I mean, it's like, why not make it individual? But if we're going to do another tribe team style challenge, let's make it Island Jenga. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kerplunk, isn't it? It's like you have all these things up, pull out these ropes and have as few coconuts fall as possible. According to Jeff's uh, EW blog, by the way, the reason you would think like, oh, they should keep repeating this. Apparently, this took four hours to do. So that's one big reason why they're not going to do it again in the near future. Really? I, I've never heard that before. That's funny. But yeah, okay, for people who don't remember this challenge, it's a little like Jenga. Like, like uh, Paul said, you're pulling out ropes underneath this big net of coconuts, and the goal is not to let any coconuts fall to the ground. So you're trying to pull out strategically the proper rope, and it gets a really long strategy game, and it's a, it, it's a fun one to watch. But like Paul said, it's ridiculous that it had to be in teams, but it is a fun one, and there's a wonderful moment. I forget if I wrote a funny 115 entry about this where Shambo somehow predicts exactly how many coconuts Natalie's going to drop. Like she, Natalie, pull, the, the, the Natalie's team is winning and Natalie pulls a rope and all these coconuts fall down. And Natalie's like, Oh my word. And like right before that Shambo had said, I hope she drops 58 coconuts. And that's literally exactly how many she drops. So that's the one big standout scene here. And then uh, what else? There's also the moment where Natalie picks Brett to be on her team and Russell gets all pissed off about it. Do you think, like, was Shambo better than Rain Man? Because Rain Man could count the toothpicks once they fell on the ground, but Shambo was able to accurately say, you know, how many coconuts were going to drop before it even happened. Well, I think she also had an advantage in that the chickens were appearing to her in dreams and telling her stuff like this. <laughs> she saw 58 chickens. Yeah, so yeah, so Rain Man did not have the chicken advantage. <laughs> Yeah, there's um yeah, that's this is where so they do the schoolyard pick and they actually show it, which you know when they show it it's usually gonna, you know, bear some sort of fruit. And yeah, Natalie picks Brett. Not only does she pick Brett, but picks him as her first pick. And I think she reveals in a secret scene later on that she actually picked him because she was loyal to Russell. She said, like, I know that if I win, like I'm not going to flip over to Brett, so I'd rather not leave him over with people that could flip over to his side, but Russell takes it completely the wrong way. 
Well, yeah, and I don't understand that because, I mean, Russell says, you pick Brett first for your team. And, like, all Natalie has to do is say, well, I want to win a challenge, y'all. Like, he's good at challenges, and I'd like to eat. Like, why is it a thing of loyalty that she wants to win a challenge, which I don't really get. But, again, Russell perhaps not always playing with a full deck, maybe especially towards the end of the game here. He's going a little crazy. But, yeah, it's a storyline that'll come up in this episode that Natalie's going to flip. Natalie's too close to Brett, and it doesn't go anywhere. It bears no fruit, but it just gives Brett something to do. And, hey, it gives Natalie something to do, so that's nice. So they both get storylines. So you're telling me that Russell misinterpreted what someone else was doing in the game of survivor yeah i'm sorry this is the first time it's like every time everybody has a first this is where russell finally misinterprets something what (laughs) to to be fair i think that at this point i don't know at this point it feels like the game almost turned tribal again and you have to feel like the foa foas are pretty much feeling like elated that they might actually complete their mission here and successfully dismantle Galoo. And so that's what Russell is really pumping forward, as Mario said, this sort of five-to-one narrative. So much so that the reasons why he's going to get rid of Shambo and Jason are almost like it's going back to the pre-merge phase, where he's saying, we need to get rid of the weak people. We need to keep the strong people in, because they're going to beat Brett. It's like they're, it's like it's essentially Foa Foa going up against Brett in some sort of weird post-merge Palau-like situation. Yeah. Literally, for people who have not seen the season in a while, and even I was shocked. I thought I remembered Samoa pretty well, but I was watching it today, and I've forgotten that Brett is such a major character to the last two episodes of the season. Like, literally every scene from here on out is about Brett, how they have to beat Brett. Every strategy decision is beat Brett. Like, he gets this larger-than-life edit, and it's so crazy because he's been so invisible, but this is why I, I say, like, if Brett had actually won this season, and, and it will spoil it that Brett doesn't win, but he comes damn close. And I have always wondered what this season would look like if Brett ended up winning. Like, because it would be one of these rare dual comeback seasons where Foa Foa comes back from nowhere to overtake Galoo, and then Brett comes back from nowhere to overtake Foa Foa. <laughs> like, it would be this rare double comeback. And I think, I mean, honestly, if that had been the storyline, I think this would have been one of the most amazing, entertaining seasons ever. And people will give me crap. They'll say, well, Brett sucked. And I'm like, if Brett wins, they're not going to edit him to suck. Sorry, he's going to be way more amazing. So I just, I always wish that maybe Brett would have pulled this off. It would have been such a fun story. And apparently you all agree with me because of your silence. or Unless you're filibustering. Or we're not giving that much thought to <laughs> Brett. Damn it, we're the historians, Jay. It's just we're the hard voice to picture. It's just hard to picture, but I know exactly what you mean. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, but the point there is that Brett gets a massive, massive edit here where literally every scene is about him. So that's what I want to get across to people. Brett is not just some joke character. He is every single scene until the final tribal council. Okay, so let's see. I got Jason and Shambo and Russell are on a reward, and they go to a feast, this Fiji village. Anything happen here noteworthy? Uh, Shambo decides to make a big toast to the people of Samoa, and the and the, the locals are like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, that was super meaningful." <laughs> Wait, really isn't that the crazy that. chicken lady? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they love the tribute until they watch the episodes on TV. They're like, "Yeah, that was the lady. She was here. She's nuts." <laughs> Shambo also said the experience superseded her expectations. <laughs> Well, there's also the scene where she's like uh, draping herself in like uh, 
cloth and trying to pretend she's like a little kid and jason's like you never grew up did you and she's like no i'm still seven years old and she's like pretend she's a little kid <laughs> she was she was dancing around and there's like i i just noticed at this time she's like when she's dancing with the villagers you hear russell say get it shambo work it <laughs> i want to get that on a t-shirt we should sell historians t-shirts that say that <laughs> get it shambo work it yes <laughs> That would make yeah. I, I could only imagine Russell Hans like in the club scene, like, yes, we're queen. Get it, yes. <laughs> Damn it, we're three hours into you can't make me start doing a Russell voice, it'll tear up my throat this late. <laughs> and this is really gonna hurt when we get to the uh torch walk and Marissa shows up again. It's gonna kill me. I can't do that voice anymore. Your your, your voice sounds pretty remarkable for having been podcasting for this long, Mario, so good job. <laughs> It's a marathon. That's what we do. We we sell our bodies. We give them up for you, the audience. Okay, That's so anyway, what we yeah. do. We sell our bodies. Yes, yeah, working Mario. <laughs> well, it's more like rent my body, but get it, Queen. <laughs> All right. So uh, so we'll Work go to. It. Are you guys done? We get yeah. yelled at when we don't talk. We get yelled at when <laughs> yeah. we talk. There's like this There's is no must, winning. must be what it's like to be in alliance with Russell, a dictator. Oh, I was gonna say Shambo. Yeah, this is what it's like being in an alliance with a bipolar Shambo. No, Mario, Mario, you're gonna pull us aside and talk to us for two hours, like Russell promised he would do to Natalie, uh, to Jason and Shambo once he found out that you know she picked Brett for the reward. You guys are a bunch of little bitches. I'm the only one doing anything on this podcast. Nobody else does nothing. I mean, that may be true. <laughs> All right. So the reward. Look, we have a lot to get to, Jay. Stop stalling. All right. So we, uh, we have a re- the immunity challenge here. Again, this is the we have to beat Brett episode. So we go to the immunity challenge. And this is one where they have to like uh, go to a different bunch of, bunch of different stations and count objects, right? And then use them to solve a lock. Yep, and it's uh, well, they've got some coconuts because it's Samoa, and apparently that's like literally the theme of this season. My favorite were the uh, the pen of live pigs, shades of Vanuatu with the pig wrestling challenge. Yeah, so those are what are, what are the six things they have to count? Pigs, coconuts, crabs, squid, Russell confessionals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And Russell uh, jury votes for Russell. That's one of them. <laughs> that was the easiest one. <laughs> yeah. That was the gimme. Yeah. So anyway, spoiler, Brett wins again. This is his second, second, right? Second immunity win in a row. Mm-hmm. And everybody's insane. They're like, we cannot let Brett win. It's all of us against Brett. And Brett wins again. So yay, Brett's safe. And now we go back to camp. And sadly, somewhere Taps is playing off in the distance because we are about to meet the end of Shambo, our favorite Marine. <laughs> Taps uh... are playing, but then they forget the lyrics in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a chicken cluck. But it's time. It's time to get rid of her. Yeah, it's time to let her go. This episode was spoiled for me. I was with my friend Emily. I remember when it aired, and that we couldn't we couldn't watch it the night like the the hour it aired, but we had it still recording on a VHS. I'm sure back at this time, um, and we were like driving from somewhere home to go watch the episode. Her mom calls her and is just talking to her randomly, and she goes, "Okay, mom, I'm gonna go. We're gonna go watch Survivor now." She goes. Okay, bye. Shambo gets voted out. <laughs> what? So, um, we, uh, I, I did not have any suspense here if I knew it was actually going to be Shambo or not. Wow, you've heard of Minnesota Nice. That's Montana Cruel. Yeah, and uh, all done with her pants down. 
It's crazy. <laughs> oh boy. Nope. That's if someone just tuned into this podcast, which why would they? Because obviously we did not take any breaks between recording parts of this podcast. They would be catching us literally with our pants down when you make that reference completely uh unreferred. It would be catching us in Montana. <laughs> That's an expression. <laughs> is it? Well it is sure. now, I guess, yeah. Alright, so uh so we get back to camp and it's gonna be uh, or, it's or, really or no. easy to make an expression in Montana. Like you just have to tell like three other people. And that's already ten percent of the state, so it's an expression. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, hey, Steve, hey, Jimmy, Bob. Like we're gonna say this thing, and they're like, okay. <laughs> okay, so we go back to camp, camp after the immunity challenge, and Brett has won immunity, so it's gonna be Mick. Mick is the one they have decided is gonna be voted out. But there's a very telling scene here, and I have to point this one out, all joking aside, is that they get back to camp, and Jason immediately pulls Russell aside and says, Shambo. Shambo's worthless. Get rid of her. And I point that out just because, for any of these people who still believe that Russell just walked around and told everybody what to do at all times, because that's what the edit says, if you watch this scene in particular, you'll notice Jason is the one who walks up, tells Russell what they're going to do, and then leaves. So... Let's not just keep perpetuating this myth that Russell would just wander around, tell people what to do, and they would blindly do it without thinking about it. So there's one scene right here where you can see Jason was a very equal partner in the Russell decision-making. Yeah, though this is, I feel like, you know, if you're pointing definitively to the moment when Russell's game really starts to unwind, you could see it a bit with Monica trying to rattle him, you know, the last episode. But it's here, which they even reference in the reunion, him deciding to you know, acquiesce to, to Jason's wishes and take out Shambo here. It's going to prove to be a pretty costly error just considering how big of a goat Shambo is. But the, the rationale, again, is so interesting to me because it's basically like, okay, we could, you know, get rid of Mick uh, because we want to keep, because Shambo's loyal to me and she can be a goat, or we can get rid of Shambo because we need strong people to take out Brett. Again, it's just yeah. so odd to me how much groupthink is going on of like you said mario since the goal is to beat brett now we've sort of reverted back to this mentality of keep the strong and get rid of the weak once more yeah it's crazy how much brett drives the end of samoa like yeah again that's something i'd even forgotten that like that's why that's literally why shambo gets voted out because we have to beat brett we got to keep all our people strong and again it probably unravels russell because he has one less ally now that he can depend on it's just so interesting how much brett really mucks up the ending of samoa all right so yeah so russell has decided okay well i guess we'll vote out shambo tonight because he agrees with the logic that they need to keep mick there that maybe mick can help stop brett and Russell has a great confessional here where he pulls Mick aside and he says, Shambo needs to go. She's stupid. She's annoying. She's a close talker. We got the Seinfeld reference. And her breath smells like ass. So <laughs> Shambo does he's not get so a real good sweet. editor. Yeah, fan favorite Russell, by the way. Why wow, His social game is so good. He's, he, he's so nice. To be fair, yeah. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that's why Shambo didn't get the fan favorite words because America doesn't want to vote for someone with ass breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it's it's funny because even Mick here, like Mick has realized he's like, you know, Russell's kind of unethical and maybe a little flighty and not the nicest guy in the world. And he's like, I was amazed how fast Russell turned on Shambo and started talking about her like she was the worst person ever, considering that she was his tightest ally. Like, wow, Russell's even worse than I thought. 
So anyway, yeah, that's the end of Shambo. Shambo, we go to Tribal Council, and Shambo is completely shocked that she gets blindsided, and they spare Mick. And so really, at this point, there's no more Galoos left. It's four Foa Foas, the original four, against uh, Brett, as before. And Shambo was voted out with her mouth open in shock because she could not understand that somebody could possibly blindside her. So anybody have any parting thoughts on the amazing Miss Shambo here? The fact that she never comes back is something that's incredible and makes me probably appreciate her even more is that she's just this crazy entity in Samoa that's never her legacy is never tainted. And um, I I think Shambo was a great addition to this cast, and I think she should just stay in our minds as a one time thing in Survivor Samoa. That's a great point though, Paul, because I from what I recall, I think Shambo got asked back for either heroes versus even heroes villains i'm pretty sure yeah or or caramon one of the two but she has like forsworn survivor because she claimed she did not like the edit that she received do you guys feel like that's warranted at all well i mean if you read some of the amas from some of the galoos they're saying that she got one of the greatest edits ever because they made her look fun and not just batshit crazy so, yeah, I mean, she, I, if I were her, I would probably take some offense to the edit, but that's only if she doesn't have very good self-awareness, which I kind of suspect she doesn't. I have heard the reason she didn't want to come back is because her life got too crazy. Like, she couldn't, like, go out in public because she was too popular. For people who don't know, she won the second place in the fan favorite behind Russell. And, like, she comes from a re- fairly small area in Washington. It's not, like, super populated like Seattle. And, like, she would go out and, like, everywhere she went, people would want pictures and want to talk to her on the phone. And she just didn't like what it did to her life. And between that and the edit and just having to deal with crazy Survivor fans, I heard, yeah, she just didn't want any part of it anymore. It just wasn't her world after the first time. Can I say that Shambo... 100% made this rewatch for me. Uh, and I was not a fan of her at the time because I was not a fan of Russell. So I was like, okay, well, why are you aiding and abetting this person? And, you know, especially like the one side of you with Laura, this is also coming off of when I wasn't liking coach in the previous season. So I was like, please get rid of these camera hogs. Now I've sort of come around on the concept and, yeah, she hooked me from this rewatch since uh, Russell picked her for the puzzle, and she said, "Oh God, no! Please help me, Lord." I mean, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, it's it's. I think she's. If you do not take her seriously, she is wackadoo, but she is a boatload of fun to watch. Between the the Laura stuff, the chicken dream, just you know, uh, her, her claiming she's like a big chicken enthusiast, only to lose one, not knowing that they can fly. Uh, re- <laughs> the epiphany that there are fish in the ocean, like it's. I can understand why she again got second place, sort of by default, is because she got def- definitively the second most amount of material in this season, and I think it's for good reason because the editors realized just how crazy of a character she was in the best way possible yeah i was gonna say she's really the coach of this season and again we're following right after token Chain, so you're gonna get one of these types of characters in most of the seasons from here on out and excuse me <clears throat> and she's one that i wrote about pretty extensively on the funny 115 and just like coach i got a lot of pushback about that people saying you know she's not funny she's a try hard she's just trying to get airtime stop trying to make shambo happen so 
it's really the same type of archetype. They're playing the same character. Obviously, Coach is in a whole different league, but she's really on that path to being a character for the cameras, getting a lot of airtime because she's just quirky. And again, I've always liked Shambo. I think she's a great character. I think the season is far worse without her. Um, clearly, she's not like the best player, the biggest strategist. She was never going to win. She's just like a monkey wrench in everybody else's plans. But I like personally, I personally like characters like that on Survivor. So I can see a place for Shambo, and I am more than happy that she was on this season. I think she had a lot of good scenes. All right. So with that being said, we are now going to the finale. One of the Ooh, most. Hoo-hoo. Yeah. I wonder who's <laughs> going to win. Here we go. One of the most controversial, well-known, uh, one maybe <laughs> might say important episodes in Survivor yes. history. This is a very, very big one. And I was just talking to my wife. I'm like, I got to go in there and we're going to record Samoa finale. And I'm going to talk about this, maybe the most important moment in historians history where we have to talk about this finale. So uh, 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 t- uh, toughen up, guys. We're ready. It's time for it now. Yes, I can't wait to breeze through this really boring, you know, finale, and then just to really get into to talking about how this finale ends and what that tells us about Survivor and how that impacts Survivor moving forward. I'll, I'll volley up a question here. Is the, I don't know if I'd say the episode, but is the result the most controversial thing that's occurred in Survivor history so far? Obviously... There are other things that might uh, define that term more, but I feel like in terms of an uproar, I can't really think of anything. Even something like Aubrey and Michelle, this came first. This sort of paved the way for those types of things to come up in future discussions. Yeah, I mean, there's other controversial stuff, like you know, Richard winning was controversial, and and Mike falling in the fire, and there's stuff in Worlds Apart, the Jeff Varner v- Zeke thing later, but. Like, among Survivor fans, I think this is the most controversial. I don't know if this one crossed over into the rest of the world like some of the other stuff did. But yeah, among Survivor fans, this is like the moment. And you pretty much have to define your stance on where you, what you feel about this and why you think it happened. And that's why it's a, it's always dicey to talk about this because I know I've, I've heard people say, I listen to you guys talk about Survivor and I just want to call in. I want to argue and I, I always forget you're not live. I'm listening to you pre-taped. So I know people are be chomping at the bick. They're going to rebut what we're saying here. And I'm not entirely sure all four of us are going to say the same thing. I'm curious what everybody thinks about this finale. I, I suspect we're all going to come to the same conclusion that we like the ending, but we're going to differ on what it says about the show and how we got there. But anyway, yeah, this to me, this is the most controversial moment. If you are a Survivor fan, you absolutely are forced to take a stance on what you think about this. Can't wait. (laughs) All right. So let's dive into this. This will be a a ball of happiness here. All right. So it's the finale and there's uh, five people left. And it's now four against one. Again, we're still, people just remember, you know, the Samoa finale as just being Natalie against Russell at the end, but it's not. 75% of this episode is get Brett out of here. Brett cannot steal our win. And that's how we lead into it. To be fair, this is a, a, a genuinely funny Russell moment that Mario, even you acknowledge on your funny 115, where <laughs> Russell sort of comes to this uh, sort of dresses down Brett as he is not the Messiah that the rest of the Foa Foas have uh, prophesized him to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that comes right before the first challenge. Let me, let me go through the previously on Survivor, because that's important here, because I've been charting this the entire season, how the editors are portraying this uh, storyline. Here's how they portray this storyline going into the finale in the previously on. 
the start, Russell controls everyone and he makes all decisions and everybody does what he says. Okay? And here's an exact quote from Probst. One thing that every player has in common, they all take their cues from Russell. So, if you're wondering why fans tend to think Russell called the shots, perhaps you could blame Probes for flat out saying it word for word right here. And then we talk about uh, Probes says Galoo was winning the game, but then Russell Swan, he was the glue that held them together, and then they fell apart after he left. Now, that one's probably fair. I'm cool with that one. And then we get to Eric, Flip Eric being voted out right after the merge. And this is where Natalie will again get 100% credit for this, where Probe says Natalie got them to vote out Eric. It was 100% like it was 100% Natalie's doing. So that's how we're telling the story here. And then basically everything that happens after that is because of Russell. Russell found idols. Russell controlled the game. Russell got people to flip. Russell was awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> my favorite sentence where, where Probst almost breaks the fourth wall here and starts talking about the edit of the season, where Probst says, but then Brett, who had been virtually unheard of the entire game, <laughs> came out of nowhere to win two immunities. So Whose fault like is acknowledging that? The edit. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure the other Galoos had heard of Brett during the season, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the storytelling as we're going into the finale here. Everybody's out to get Brett, and Brett just suddenly appeared. We had no idea he was even there, guys. Yeah, and I think Jeff described the other three. He said, uh, Natalie was the nice girl. Uh, Jason was the social conscience of the tribe, which I think was a title that left with his diarrhea many, yes. many days ago. And then Mick, the leader who couldn't rally team challenges, but he could do it as individuals, which... I don't think so. That's a pretty feckless description of Mick, but they had to give him something. Yeah, there was another line in there. He says, Mick, who did nothing and was terrible, but has proven he's okay in challenges sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Way to to sell him. That's pretty much what they say. Mick, who has sucked so much ass this whole season, what a failure as a player and a human. But, you know, he might win. He He threw that rock one time. You remember that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, and this is where I repeat the question that I we I was asked earlier. Someone, one of my readers, wrote in and said, "Please talk about who the fans thought was going to win Samoa going into the finale." And I had answered this in uh, an earlier part of two hours ago or whatever, where I said I thought probably Jason was the one. I'm changing my answer when I'm watching this again today. I'm like, God damn it, I think Brett's going to win. Brett is going to win this season. He's going to come back because they're building him up as such a huge comeback story. That's my personal answer. I remember now. I thought Brett was going to pull this out. I in no way thought a player like Russell could ever win. Natalie wasn't even on my radar. I was 100% Brett. How about you guys? Paul, you're the one who has the photographic memory. Do you remember? Did, your, did, 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 did Emily's mom spoil it for you? <laughs> no, but it just is one of those things where it's like I, I think just a little more careful handling of the season – and you just throw in Brett a little bit more, you think, okay, well, maybe this is how it does end for Russell. I definitely do not think I was all in on on Brett beating him, but I think having rewatched the first episode, Brett does get like the first uh, confessional of the season, does he? Or is the first or the yes. second? Yep. So I remember rewatching those first couple episodes um, before the finale being like, well, maybe. Like, I, I don't know what the hell they were doing for the middle, like, you know, 10 episodes but maybe this is what happened so i think it definitely seemed like more and more of a real possibility and like michael or like uh what's your name michael mario what the hell is your name like mario was saying um it it kind of 
as you're watching this finale, gives you a real option to understand, okay, maybe this is how Russell doesn't win. Like, this is the the viable alternative, because it was hard to really see that for Mick, Jason, or Natalie. I remember that as much as we were just lampooning Jeff's description of him, I thought I, I think I had been putting my money on Mick. Because, <laughs> it, it, honestly, because I think that Russell, I thought, even though it was such an unconventional edit, I thought, like, okay, uh, we haven't had anybody, like, this extremely dominating in airtime before. I'm not sure if this bodes for a winning game. Jason had sort of, you know, dropped off the tail end there. Natalie, like you said, Mario, was virtually, even though she has these scenes that we now look back on, they weren't really recognized at the time. And Brett, I was just thinking, he'd get a, like you said before, he'd get a much bigger edit if he was going to be really this big contender. So he sort of by default settled on Mick of like, oh, maybe this is sort of like why they emphasize the leader twist. It's because the leader of Foa Foa ended up winning. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I was pulling for Mick at the end, in the beginning of this episode, but I suppose I was. Because, I, I mean, guys, he did really well in challenges. How about Jay? <clears throat> How about Jay? Were you still rooting for Fincher? Well, you know, of course. Wait, wait no, wait, no, I, I can't tell anyone. It was weird at the end. It, it wasn't a matter of who I could root for, but it was one of those things where you sort of, you know, you sort of just were fed Russell and fed Russell and fed Russell. So it was kind of like, well, I guess it has to be him. But but at the same time, you're looking around for like, who could it be? And so you know, there's Brett. Because he's, you know, got this big episode. But really, you're kind of like, who else could it be? Could it be Mick? Like, I, I remember trying to talk myself into Mick for a while. Wow. We have two people here who were trying to make Mick happen. I mean, <laughs> it, wa- it was hard, and it wasn't a thing. But Can that be, can that, can that be on the back of our uh, work shambo shirts, is Mick happens? <laughs> I'm just trying to put that, that the two things together. The fact that Mick's pants are always down. The fact that Jay just said... It's hard, and there's not really a thing there. Keep it's going, Paul. You're almost there. Yeah, you're almost to the joke, Paul. Keep going. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I give up. <laughs> okay, so, so we start the finale, and again, it's everybody just trying to beat Brett. That's the only storyline going on right here. And we even start at the start of the episode. There's a scene that I'd forgotten was here where Russell pulls Natalie aside and says, you know, if Brett wins immunity, you're next. And she's like, oh, my word, why? And he's like, well, you know what just happened to Shambo? That's going to happen to you. Like, we need Mick, Jason, and me to beat Brett in the immunity challenges. So if he wins today, you're expendable, little Southern Belle. And she's like, oh, my word. So I kind of forgot about this, that there's a lot of pressure on Natalie and Brett here. Like, one of them is probably going to go. And so it's, it's, I forgot that Natalie was actually in a little bit of danger here. Thank God for Jason's gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> yes. Well, he is the social conscience, so he took a dive for Natalie. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So uh, we go into the immunity challenge, and this is the speech that Mike talked about earlier, one of my favorites, and I'm not obviously the biggest Russell fan, but this big buildup of speech about how unbeatable Brett is. He's won two or three in a row, I forget, and he's unstoppable, and he'll kill anybody on the jury, and he's like, man, you talk about going up against Brett, and it's like you're getting in a ring with Mike Tyson. And he's like, He's not Mike Tyson. He's Brett. <laughs> it's just a really funny speech. And I will tip my cap to Russell for that one because I wrote a funny 115 entry about that. And that is the entry that I originally mentioned CGI Brett. And it kind of took off and became its own thing where everybody started calling him CGI Brett who read the entry, 
Well, meanwhile, that wasn't even the focus of the entry. It was just that Russell quote. So that's where it all starts from. It's this one really funny Russell quote right here. All right, it's the uh, final five immunity challenge, and this is the one where they, hey, guess what? We're going to run on an obstacle course and get puzzle pieces and solve a puzzle. Yeah, Paul, how'd you feel about this one? Oh, it was the best challenge I've ever seen in 19 seasons of the show. This is really a turning point for how uh, how exciting challenges should be. <laughs> you know, it's funny as I was taking notes for this episode and I'm watching this in the background and I'm like, okay, obstacle course, puzzle pieces. And I look down and I look back up and literally like 20 seconds later, they were already solving the puzzle. So I don't know how fast we went through the obstacle course or the editors just didn't care. But all of a sudden we're at the puzzle and hey, guess what? Brett wins again. He is Brett. Yep. And now, uh, so... Almost to go back on the threat that Russell made to Natalie, he immediately goes to Natalie and says, look, I promise you I'll get your name off the chopping block. Um, But he also says that secretly that's because he feels like, I don't know if he had an epiphany or something, but he realized, he thinks that, oh, I want to take Natalie to the end now. Maybe Natalie's sort of the new Shambo in his mind that, oh, no, I need to drag her along because there's no way she's going to get more votes than me. So now we're going to have to get rid of Jason because he's now sort of the weakest link by default who's not a GOAT. Yeah. Russell has decided. He's like, I am going to win the next immunity. So it really doesn't matter who's here to help because I can win. I'll take care of this Brett Punk. So he's like, I'll just bring you to the end, Natalie, and and I'll beat you, and that's fine. And she's like, oh, that sounds good. And so, yeah, this is uh, Jason is now suddenly on the chopping block just because Russell doesn't feel he deserves to be here anymore. He's given up. He's, like Mike said, shitting himself. And he's like, you know, we really don't need that in the in the, in the camp. So they're going to all of a sudden blindside Jason. Yes. Shambo had ass breath and Jason has breath ass. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the old switcheroo. <laughs> But yeah, and then, but this is this is also where we get. I mean, again, if we're talking about like the, Russell sowing the seeds of uh, not exactly handling things the right way to people who he's blindsiding, I really do feel like one of his big mistakes in the game is not only getting rid of Jason, but the way he gets rid of Jason. Where we here we get Jason being like, Russell and I have had an alliance since day two. You know, I feel comfortable with what he's telling me. And we see that when he gets voted out, like the, his final words essentially boil down to like, I'm pissed that Russell didn't tell me I was going. Yeah. And that's the one thing I was trying to get across earlier, that Jason and Russell were one of the tightest pairs in the game. And Jason was almost guaranteed to be in almost every strategic discussion, even though you didn't see it. You see on, saw enough hints that I think Jason was his number one ally and they were the strategic partners. And so Jason up to the vote here is even saying, I, I have no worries about Russell. We always tell each other the truth. So he has 100% uh, confidence in Russell. And of course, when Jason is blindsided, you know who he's going to take it out on. He's not mad at anybody else. He's mad at Russell. And hey, this might come back and bite Russell, little things like this. It's so interesting as well because, you know, Jason is the only FOA FOA person to go back to Ponderosa because the other three end up making it to the end. And, you know, we don't see too much of the strategy in U.S. Ponderosa, but I do wonder if some of the Galoos sort of turn to Jason as sort of a, a matter of opinion of like, hey, we have a certain image of these people, but we only know them for a certain number of days. You've been with them the entire time. What do you think about them? And I wonder, maybe in a different world, if maybe Russell tells Jason ahead of time, tries to sort of coach him before going into the jury, maybe Jason talks him up in a certain way, not to say that's going to convince some Galoo people to vote his way, but 
I would think that Russell would at least maybe earn his vote in the end, which who knows could have swung things in a different direction. Yeah, no, I think Jay, I think Jason was way more of a pivotal character than he gets credit for in this season. I think you're probably right. He's the one that goes back and he's telling all the jury who you know how it really works on Foa Foa, what the dynamic is, what Russell's really like, and obviously he's quite pissed at Russell when he shows up. But yeah, I, I've always did think that Jason really gets the shaft here, just in in terms of edit and just importance to the season, to the point that he just abs- absolutely gets murdered in the edit these last two episodes. And like you were saying, you might have thought Jason might have won fan favorite, except for these two episodes. And like literally like every scene of Jason in these two episodes, this one and the last one is Jason's weak. He's given up. He's terrible. I hate him. He's worthless. You know, he has the shits. It's like there's nothing good about Jason. They just talk about how terrible he is. So, yeah, I just really think he's the one that gets screwed more than just about anybody, at least until the final vote. We'll get to that in a second. How about you, Paul? You a Jason fan? Um, well, I did appreciate that in the, the recap of the season, they, they call him out as a Fulbright scholar and as a fellow Fulbright scholar, I feel like I should have more connection with him, but he is pretty boring, almost as boring as Nick or Mick. <laughs> I don't even know his name. God, I'm sucking at the names today. My God. Well, I thought you were talking about Nick Brown and I was going to call you a huge racist all of a sudden, but if it's Mick, yeah, it's okay. No, not, so that, that's not that, not that, not that. <laughs> That's right. I forgot you were a Fulbright scholar. So you and Jason are basically like the same guy. Pretty much. Pretty much the exact same archetype. Paul, you really are the social conscience of the historians. <laughs> I try. So any final thoughts on Jason before we move on here? Anybody? I know he doesn't inspire a lot of emotion, although we had a lot to say about him in the first episode or the first part of this uh, podcast when we with the stuff with Ben. So I just, again, just think it's a shame that he petered out into being such a nothing character because I really think he was more important to the season than he ever gets credit for. This isn't about Jason, but I do think it's a really pertinent comment that comes up in this tribal council, which sort of gets derailed when uh, Brett has the gall to say, uh, oh, I actually envy the position the Foa Foas are in because they don't have to win immunity every time to survive. And Jeff is besides himself at the idea that, you know, Brett would want to be on the other side of that. But Brett says something at this point, you've got to be humble in this game and not feel too strong on my own abilities to potentially screw that up. Which, again, uh, if you're looking towards maybe one reason why Brett, for example, doesn't vote for Russell, I think that's very key what the, uh, you know, what the picks are designers put into the code for Brett's character to, to say at this very moment. <laughs> okay. So let's get to the final five here. And uh, again, it's still beat Brett or no we're final four now. Yeah. So we're down to the final four and it's still everybody beat Brett. We cannot let Brett get to the end because he'll steal all these votes. All his cronies, all his buddies are on there. They're over there smiling and winking at him. Like he's going to win every single jury vote. And so that's the thing. And Russell will make another, um, it's a Boston Rob-like move here. Again, I'm not sure if this really costs him that much, but you can kind of see the things where Russell starts to overplay towards the end of the game. And this is something that Boston Rob did in All-Stars, where now Russell's like, well, I'm going to assume that Brett might win immunity here at the Final Four, and then he might turn on me. So I'm going to go promise him. I'll go to Brett and I'll say, you know, even if you don't win immunity, I'm going to take you to the Final Three just because you deserve it. And Brett's like, oh, cool. And so Russell has made a promise here that he's not going to be able to keep later. And again, it's very similar to what Boston Rob did with Alicia back in All-Stars. And just little things like this where Russell kind of over, 
politics, over strategizes, makes promises he doesn't have to keep. Like you don't see Natalie doing stuff like this. So I just wanted to point that out here. He's making deals to people that he will not keep later. I can understand where he's coming from, though. I agree that, like, I don't know how you would ideally approach it, but I'm assuming what's going through his head is if Brett wins immunity once more, he's probably got the game locked up, but Russell wants to be sitting there as well, at least, Mm -hmm. to sort of plead his case. And the basic assumption you would make, you know, there's no reason to vote anyone out anymore to face down Brett. Brett's already won all the immunities. And so you would think that, okay, maybe the next biggest jury threat would be Russell. And so I think he definitely has this paranoia in his head that should Brett win immunity, he's on his way out the door. And I think at this point, Russell just wants to make it to the end because, like you said, to your point, he pretty much thinks he's got this locked up, maybe even sitting against Brett at this point. So I understood his thinking. I do agree that I don't know if the specific approach of saying, like, hey, even if you lose immunity, we're going to the final three is a good thing. But I also don't know how much Brett was actually legitimately believing that deal, you know? Yeah. It never does come up later. I just wanted to. I like pointing out the parallels between Boston Rob and All Stars and Russell here. There's, you'll see some things like that that happen, and this is just one that I, it always reminds me of that Alicia scene that didn't need to be there. All right, so this is it. We got the final four. We got one big challenge that's going to be a million dollar challenge. And hey, before we do that, guess what they have in this season? And I forgot. I know Paul knew that they had it here. They have a rites of passage. They have a torch walk in Samoa. Just so we can see Mike Barassi one more time. <laughs> yes. So, okay, I, I, I'm bad at stuff like this. Um, how many torch walks do they do after Samoa? There's a certain point I know where they just stop doing them. How many more are there after this? They stop showing them at Redemption Island, and I think they stop them all together maybe around South Pacific or One World. Okay. Yeah, right, because gonna... with they, I think their excuse for cutting it initially is once they have the Redemption Island duel back, whatever, and then um, and after that, it kind of drops off. Okay, well, just from my personal perspective, and I've said doesn't this before, it become? How... We, we, do we talk about how it becomes like an, a secret scene or an additional scene? Yeah, it became a secret scene during Redemption Island. I don't remember if yeah. it was during South Pacific. Yeah, it eventually morphs into just being a chicken dream, one of Shambo's chicken dreams, where she dreams of the people. As they're going to their torches, I think that's like one of the low points in the show. Well, that was when I knew that, like, you know, it, 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 later on, like that that the the survivor main survivor fan base at that point and myself were sort of at odds when you know I was complaining that we don't have the torch walk anymore, and someone says, "Well, you can see it in a secret scene on CBS.com," and I'm just like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't uh, watch those. I 100% agree with you because there what did become a certain point when they stopped showing these torch walks and I was like outraged I'm like how could you stop that that's the important part where we wrap up the entire season and I go read message boards and it was like 90% just the opposite opinion where everyone's like oh well good riddance I always went to the bathroom during that part anyway I'm like what like that was kind of when I realized that I'm not really the market for survivor anymore when I realized how many people hate this segment Well I put forward the theory and maybe this is a bit you know too general but i wonder if the uh, the like the rise of social media when it comes to current players on survivor seasons mm-hmm. might have sort of rendered this obsolete i do understand where you're coming from like i think in the season it serves as a nice 
wrap-up. But I feel like in real time, when you're seeing these people outside of the game posting anyway, you don't need to necessarily remember this first boot because you see them on Twitter posting about the finale, you know? Well, that's true, but I don't think the vast majority of the Survivor audience deals with social media. Like, I think you're talking about a very specific section of the online fans, but I don't think that's the vast majority of people that watch Survivor are doing that. Right, and that's what you're talking about as well as the is this the small subset that also is is uh, understandably angry about the, the you know the yeah. admittance of that section as well. No, no, I, I agree. But anyway, there is a torch walk here, and I'm not calling it fallen comrades. Just again, if you're a historian's listener, you know that is a punishable by death offense. It's not fallen comrades. It's rites of passage, and they go and we get to walk and see all the torches of all the people that have been voted out and we get to hear them talk and right off the bat is marissa my old friend marissa who i cannot possibly do the it's, voice because i'm you, shredded you don't even know how to pronounce her name you guys are such great friends marisa yeah. marisa, marisa. so anyway in in uh, exchange or in, in the place of me imitating her mike please insert a clip of like a uh, mira sorvino from mighty aphrodite talking here instead Okay, sure. I'm talking to you. You could, you could hey, have, a, you could have hey, a family. You could have a hey. husband and a child. Or All something. right. Would All you right. want no, the hey, child hey, to hey, think hey, of like this? Stop it now. Stop. Now listen, I don't like possessive men. You I'm come in here. Possessive. You don't want to do anything with me. You're telling me what to do. I want to talk. Do you want to do it or not? I want to talk. I paid you. I want to talk. Oh, no. I want okay. to I then bought the time. Back. No, I'm giving you back. Keep the refund. Keep the money. No. I Got it. You know, when so, I woke up this morning, I was thinking, you know what I need more of is a reference to Mighty Aphrodite. That's right. We haven't heard the the, the words of Judy come in a while. <laughs> Don't cut that. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, That's a great yeah. movie, by the way. So go I see it anyway. It. Yeah, Mighty Aphrodite is really funny. And, and Mira Sorvino totally deserved an Oscar, even though she has the most annoying voice, annoying Marisa voice ever. Oh, my God. Agree so much. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we go through the uh, rites of passage here, and we as AKA the parade of the bit players, where we get are reminded of all the tiny characters in Samoa that got no airtime. And it's funny because my wife was sitting down watching this with me today, and she's like, "I don't remember these people. Who's Ashley? Who's Liz? Like, I don't remember any of these people." She didn't so, remember Ashley's cardio. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did love at the reunion when Ashley's like, this brought me closer to my dad. And you're like, all right, I guess that's the third thing we know about you after six <laughs> episodes of you. But it's like all such like subpar, like boring ass trivia facts. Like, I watched Survivor with my dad. I do cardio. Okay. I went glamping that one time. I went glamping <laughs> once. Okay, why are you on the show? <laughs> Yeah, so it does drive home how little known some of these characters are in this season. Although, I, do, I did circle this at Eric's Torch. Russell specifically says, and remember this, everybody, who everyone loves assigning who got Eric voted out. Right here in the Torch Walk in Samoa, Russell looks at Brad and says, Galoo got Eric voted out. We didn't do nothing. <laughs> so he even says it in his own goddamn words right there, that Galoo did it. You guys voted your own out. So, I just anyway. thought he got swallowed up by the tree gods. <laughs> I did like his montage showed him getting clotheslined by the clothesline. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yes, Galoo made the big move of the season, for anybody who's wondering. And then we uh, go down the rest of the torches, and we hear uh, uh, Fincher 
saying that he only got voted out because everybody else is an idiot, which is a perfect John thing to say. <laughs> and then and Monica, you know, where we always hear something nice about the people who have been voted out, when the first thing we hear about Monica is Russell saying, Monica's the fakest one here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway oh and then in shambos we get a montage of her imitating a chicken which is just perfect that's another reason why i miss this because they the editors actually usually do a good job of like boiling down a lot of these people's characteristics into two or three slow-mo scenes oh yeah no absolutely i i've loved every torch walk that's ever been on the show i just love it here so and i even kind of wrote in my notes like samoa really does feel like maybe one of the last older school seasons and I kind of had a lot of those little flashbacks and feelings as I'm watching it with the torch walk and just little stuff. Like some of the nonsense they would add to the show later wasn't quite here yet. So a lot of people think of Samoa as maybe the turning point where a lot of bad things were introduced to the show. I'd argue it's really maybe the last season where some of the bad stuff wasn't quite here yet. And with that being said, we are now at the final immunity challenge, a.k.a. Brett's last stand. Whoop, whoop. All right, Paul, you probably like this one. So you can explain this one. What happens here? I did like it, and actually this is one that they give a lot of, I don't know if it was a secret scene or something, but they talked about they got this idea, which the whole premise of the challenge, if you don't remember, is that they each start with a, like a, they're holding a a pole in their hand with a little platform on top, and they have um, an idol type figure on top, and then as the challenge goes on, they have to add another chunk of pole, another chunk of pole, another chunk of pole, until it's this really, really tall pole balancing the idol in the air and then once it drops off you're out last one standing wins and jeff at some point in one of these videos that i was talking about explains that they were like in samoa some village and this was some kind of carnival game that they played <laughs> and so that's where they got the idea from this it's a pretty cool challenge we'll see it in future seasons at especially at redemption island duels so uh no complaints about this one it's kind of has that endurance like feel that i feel like a final challenge should have with a bit of a twist to it. So no complaints for me. I'm, I'm much higher on these challenges at the end of the season. Yeah, what I... Types of, go ahead. What types of carnivals are there in Samoa that has this type of, like, competitive atmosphere to it? Do they not shoot the water <laughs> into the clown's mouths or anything like that? I'm just picturing what a Samoa carny would look like. Oh, I, I can't tell you what carnivals are like here, gentlemen. Not on this podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to know where the pants are in a Montanan carnival. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is the game where they hold the big pole up with the, the statue on top which is also known as the Montana Caber Toss right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that I just wanted to say that okay so yeah and I was going to say this is a really fun challenge I really liked watching it and and I, I will say I'm, I'm the biggest critic of what, Samo, what Survivor did it's starting in the tw- seasons in the 20s but even when there are seasons and things I don't like about Survivor Challenges like this, they're so good at portraying on TV. And just because the editors of the show are so fantastic with what they can do with just raw footage of like two people competing in an endurance thing. And this one in particular is just a fantastic challenge. And you got stakes where they're holding up the statue as long as they can. And, and of course, because it's like a, it just works out perfectly this way. Mick, of course, the leader falls out first and then Natalie falls out. So it really becomes Russell against Brett in a million dollar showdown. 
where, I mean, Brett is going to win Survivor if he wins this challenge, and Russell knows it. And again, it's so well edited and timed and the music and just, it's one thing I can never be more complimentary about with Survivor, how good they are at portraying challenges like this. And I just wish they did ones like this more often where it's just, you know, mono against mono, endurance, who just wants it more. And it really, it doesn't even matter who's involved, who the two people are. It's always so gripping to watch on TV. Well, I would argue that I think in this sort of teen era of Survivor, when they were segueing into the final three, they were sort of doing this mixture where the final immunity challenge was somewhat endurance-based, but also based in dexterity. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the China final immunity challenge where they're stacking the plates and the cups, or the Samotion one that happened in Token Chains, or holding the ball like they did in Micronesia. So I feel like we're starting to segue from just flat-out endurance, stand in one place, and just, you know, until you drop, to, okay, now stand in one place, but do this activity at the same time so we don't get another 12-hour challenge. And then we'll segue, even starting next season, into more so, you know, we'll save our big maze challenges for, you know, our final four instead of our final five. Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely a transition here in the challenges. But, yeah, this one... It's so well done, and then it looks like Brett's going to go out, and then he recovers, and then Russell goes out, and he recovers. It's really back and forth, and I think even Natalie says, I can't watch this. It's too stressful. And then finally, finally, the big Russian is cut here, to quote Rocky Four, where Brett drops his statue and loses immunity, and they have finally, finally knocked Brett off his perch and knocked him out of the game. And, and this is where... I mean, I, my personal reaction to this, watching it for the first time, is Brett, his statue falls, and like there's this big dramatic music, and Russell has pulled off immunity, and I'm like, oh my god, Russell is going to win Survivor. And it had never crossed my mind he was going to win Survivor until that moment. And I remember it's just a roller coaster of emotions from here on out, because it's like, oh my god, he's going to do it. And no one like this has ever won before. Yeah, it was kind of scary, huh? Or dark times. No, I... Again, I am a critic of Russell, but I will flat out say I was excited to see it because there was no storyline that Mick was going to win. And to back up what Jay has said, there is no storyline whatsoever that Natalie's going to win. And don't even try to pretend it's there. It's just not there. And so that would be the natural reaction to this. Oh, my God, Russell is going to win. There's literally no other option unless, you know, something dumb happens and they save Brett, which, you know, maybe that's where they were going. But did you guys have the same reaction here when Russell won immunity that he was about to win Survivor? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Like, you know, and I think that a lot of people later on try to play the whole game of like, oh, no, I knew. I knew that it was going to be Natalie or blah, blah, blah. But it's like at this point, once it's not Brett, it's it's you're just looking around like, who else could it be? Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. like that, that's literally it's not like I was like, wow, Russell's going to win because Russell's amazing or something like that. But it was like Russell's going to win because it, it can't be the other two, can it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it can't be stated enough how unconventional this season was in terms of storytelling. Even All-Stars, which, as Mario said, is sort of like the most adjacent example. Amber still had moments in each and every episode that made you say like, okay, yeah, I I didn't really expect her to win, but at least she had moments that you can sort of look back on. There really wasn't much. Again, Jay and I might have sort of been thinking that there was some Mick there, but I'm totally with you guys. Once Russell won, I'm like, well, this just perfectly scripts itself, that he Uh was the one who took out Brett. It makes sense that he would win. So much so that, you know, I didn't even remember this whole Russell offering to force a 2-2 tie for Brett pulling a sugar here. When when you look back on it, uh, it's sort of 
foreshadows a bit what's about to happen in about half an hour or so. I'm curious, Paul, what did you think when Russell won here, besides it being dark? Um, I think I was coming to the terms come coming to terms with the fact that he was gonna win. And it was just like, holy crap. Like, what does this mean? Like, how can this happen? And so I feel like that kind of like shock like the shock doesn't get to 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 sink in long enough by the time we end up getting to the end of the finale, but it definitely was a very like OMG uh reaction. Yeah. And again, that's what we try to do with historians here. We always try to put this into context that, and I, I, this is something I've said before, villains don't win Survivor. And I know people think that's weird. No, no, Richard won. And I'm like, well, Richard won because Kelly was a weasel and nobody respected her. It's like Kelly was really the villain to the players. And people say, well, Brian Heideck won. I'm like, well, they all thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Even Helen thought he was amazing until he turned on her. And then she watched the episode. So like, People that are outright known as villains and are bragging about it and are scoundrels don't win Survivor. So this was a very historic moment about to happen here. And anybody who knew anything about Survivor history would have been moved. And I, again, I grew not to like Russell later, but I was so excited here because I was about to see something we had not seen in 19 seasons of Survivor. So that's really the mindset, at least I was in. I'm assuming a lot of people that knew their Survivor history were like that as well. Then you had the Russell fans. So this was just a big moment, this challenge right here, where it really should just be a victory lap for Russell to the end at this point. That's where you think it's going to go. Well, yeah, but not only that, but but, but the fact that, it, again, it, it's... I think that when people look back on certain seasons, they look fondly on seasons that sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know... What the narrative, you know, that I was talking about earlier with like the things that we can sort of quantify sort of line up with what's happening in the season. And so it's like not only is Russ did I think Russell's going to win, but I was sitting there going like, well, okay, this season has been entirely Russell centric and Russell focused like he's going to win. And this is going to be this epic season of of Russell Survivor. Like it was one of those things where like, oh, it's all going to make sense. Mm hmm. And it's all going to tie up, I suppose. And so I, I was, I was okay with that. Not that I, I was like necessarily rooting for Russell or or something like that, but it was like, okay, this is this all makes sense. This is all, you know, this is all going in the, in in a proper place. Yeah, yeah. I will say, nineteen seasons in, I was no longer rooting for players. To me, that was like that's what you do when you first start watching the show. Like at this point, you're just like you said, this is where the narrative's going. Oh, cool. I haven't seen this. So that, that was my mindset as well. I was very excited to see something that we had not seen. And we did get that, just in a different way. <laughs> yeah, we we totally did. All right, let's get to this. So so uh, Brett has lost, and Brett's going to be voted out. And like Mike said, there's this whole little convoluted subplot where Russell's going to force a tie because he thinks Brett deserves to be there. And anyway, it's all nonsense. Brett gets voted out three to one, just like you know he's going to. So with that, we lose uh, we lose Brett, and we get many, many confessionals starting right now where Russell says, I have won this game. This game is wrapped up. This game is mine. Nobody else could possibly win. I am the champion of Samoa. You shouldn't be. They say don't get cocky in this game, but I'm cocky. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Well, no. This this even happens after he wins immunity, where he's saying like, "Oh, you know, right. it's fitting for me to win immunity because I really have played the best strategically as well." So it makes sense for me to be the final one to wear the necklace. Yeah, yeah, and, and one could interpret that as Russell just stating the truth. One could interpret that as Russell getting a very negative edit all of a sudden from here on out. It really depends on how you interpret that, but. 
before we get to that, um, eulogies on Brett. Anything we have to add we didn't talk about before? <laughs> we have talked about Brett for about ten times more than he was actually shown on Survivor Samoa. Yes. I have Although... waited a long time to say this. No, 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 no. Do not ruin this moment for me. All right. Silence. Brett, we hardly knew you. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. God, that felt so good. I've been waiting a, forever for that. That was our Jay Fisher dramatic reading for this episode. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no, again, yeah, Brett, obviously just a big joke of a character. He never shows up, um, is in nothing until the very end when all of a sudden he gets the biggest edit short of Russell himself. But the other thing that, uh, like, it is not a joke when we're talking about that, that Brett would have won the season. If you, I, I don't know if you guys remember this or if you've seen this, all the post-game interviews where the Galoos would just left and right talk about how amazing Brett was, how much they loved him, how he was, like, the greatest guy, and he was, like, the heart of the tribe. So, like, the, the edit he got was in no way representative of what a big person he was in the game. And I just want to make sure that is known to people, that he was not just a nobody. It's the really more the fact that the editors had to tone him down so that when we get to the end and it's all foa foa, you're not just pissed. Like, he's, you're supposed to root for foa foa. So that's really, Brett ends up in that little uh, black hole there of editing where they must minimize him to maximize the true stars at the end. And I forget if we mentioned this on a previous podcast or hours ago. Did we ever mention his, like, semi- out-of-game connection with Laura Moret that they realized when they were on the island together? I think we did, but you can mention it again since it was like four hours ago. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just that they went to the same church, right? So, like, they, I think they knew each other tangentially. It wasn't like they were BFFs or anything that's on other iterations of Survivor that they do that. But I think they knew each other at least fairly well going in, which obviously I think bode well, you know, had glue not fallen apart, I think they would have stuck together. And also, I think I heard that Brett was the father of Sierra's baby, right? It's a really big scandal, but yes. Uh, she <laughs> voted him out of the family, so that's where oh. she sort of got it from. Yeah, I'm joking, by the way. That is a joke. and I have no idea if that's true or not. It probably is not. But yeah, yeah, Brett and Laura had the connection, but they, I don't think they really like knew each other, knew each other. But yeah, there was this... It is odd that you can get two people cast on the same season from Oregon, of all places, from the same church. I'm not sure how that happens, but okay. But anyway, Paul, I'm sure you have something profound to say about Brett. Nope. Um, Brett in German means bored. So uh, B-O-A-R-D, but maybe it also is just a funny way to spell bored, like B-O-R-E-D, because that's how bored I am from talking about him. (laughs) Paul, unwittingly quoting Norm MacDonald. Good job, Paul. All right. uh, So, yeah, so we're done with Brett, and now it's just a FOA FOA 3. It's just Mick, the leader, the failed leader who kind of sometimes might win a challenge. You got Natalie. She killed a rat, y'all. And you got Russell, and they're going to be the final three. And we open a delightful Russell moment, one of my favorite scenes. I had so much fun on the Funny 115 with this one where this is entirely Russell's story. It's all about him now. And we open the last day of the game with him just berating Natalie. (laughs) Oh, what a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, look, we saw Chris do this a bit, right? Not exactly berate the person, but definitely you could still play the game on day 39 in a way by saying like, hey, you know, you could talk to the jury in this way. This is where Chris said, hey, Twilight, you should really let him have it. 
They would love it if you talked to them in your Frank Twyla way. Instead, <laughs> Russell goes with his Russell tendencies of being like, uh, Natalie, if you want second place, you got to talk a lot better than that. And this is where, like, this is not fun to watch. And, yeah, you know, say what you want to about – I mean, my emotions wavered so much during the course of this finale – I still don't remember what I felt about this day 39 scene, but man, do they really tank Russell, in my opinion, right before the final tribal council here. Yeah. And that is a lot of thing. A lot of people I don't think remember if they haven't seen the season in a while is how hard a fall Russell gets in the edit starting right here, where again, he's just berating Natalie and like way beyond the call of duty. Like, Hey, you should do this where he's just flat out telling her you suck. You couldn't have done this without me. Like, like you're not even going to get second place. You're so worthless. And then he, he starts, uh, like she won't even fight back. So he just gets worse. He's like, don't make me embarrass you in front of the jury, Natalie. I'll make you look silly. Like this game ain't over, girl. I'm still talking here. And then he has the line that I had a lot of fun with on the funny one fifteen, where he's like, I'll put you in the jury, girl. And just like, what the fuck? How is he going to get her in the jury? It's the last day. But anyway, <laughs> and even, even Natalie, you know, in all her patience, she just can't take this. She's like, ease up. Would you wrestle? where he's just berating her and badging her, and it's just really ugly to watch. And so, uh, yeah, this is where uh, Russell flat out tells us again. He's like, I'm going to get, or you know, he not only tells us, he tells everybody. He's telling Mick and Natalie, he's like, I'm going to get this vote, and I'm going to get Eric's, and I'm going to get John's, and that's it. I'm going to get five votes. Game over. I am another millionaire. So, yeah, this is the edit that Russell will get leading up to the finale. I would like to see how Russell would try to put Natalie on the jury. Like, would he pull up? He's like, Jeff, I got this idol. I want to use to send Natalie to the jury right now, please. Yeah. I ain't done playing just yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so they they burned down the camp the last time and last time. And Natalie gives a speech here where she's like, this will be her argument through the rest of the game. She's like, you know, I saw the aggressive people that countered Russell at the start of the game get voted out and I learned I better not do that so I decided to not counter Russell and just do what he says and that was a great strategy because he never saw me as a villain and I was doing everything he did and no one got mad at me and it's a very strong argument for why she's about to win but you might not you kind of might skip over that if you only remember the Russell quotes because there are a lot of Russell quotes (laughs) Let's see. What else? What does he say here? Russell says he's played the best game in history. I did it all by myself. I had no help. No one did anything for me. I controlled everything. I brought these two bums with me. He's like, if I lose this vote, it won't even make sense to me. I won't even understand it. So that yeah, that will be true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very true. So anything else we want what he says or Natalie says before we get to the final tribal council? It's an interesting one. It's a very, very interesting one. Yeah, this is yeah. one that I like for, like, the, you know, usually the Survivor seasons, because I always watch them kind of in loop, like, seasons will around each other. I've seen the same number of times. So I've seen this, you know, Final Tribal Council approximately the same number of times that I've seen Heroes versus Villains and Token Chains. But I remember this one so well. I, beforehand, as each person was getting up there to talk, like I remembered exactly what they were going to ask. I remember exactly what the, where the discussion went. And it's not necessarily the case for the other two seasons around it. Like This one really sticks out in my mind. I just think because there's always been so much discussion and analysis around how this season ends. So I'm excited to uh, talk about it now with you guys. Yeah, and Bef- go ahead. Well, I was going to say, before we get into it, though, I think we should just sort of lay something out here, because there have been conflicting reports. Some have said that the Galoo members went in 
all deciding to vote for Mick, and they were dissuaded from doing so due to Mick's feckless answers and Natalie being able to support her own game. I know Dave Ball in that aforementioned AMA said he didn't know about that. Where do you guys sit? Because I feel like that's going to (laughs) frame our discussion of this final Tribal Council. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to bring this up. That's the urban legend here, one of the great urban legends of Samoa, and we'll hear a lot here that, yeah, that's one that gets passed around a lot, that the Galoos were bound and determined that Russell would not win, and they were all going to give it to Mick, which that doesn't even make sense to me because nobody liked Mick. And Dave Ball in his AMA, and I've heard other people say it as well, just say that's complete BS, that they never plan to vote for Mick. Like Dave Ball says, the dude's going to be an anesthesiologist. He was in med school. He'll be making, you know, $250,000 a year within two years. Like, why am I going to give him the money? There's no, that makes no sense why anybody would have given it to Mick. So I think that's complete BS. I don't think there's any truth to it. I have heard other people um, shoot it down and say it's not true. But a lot of Survivor fans repeat that as fact. They think this is something that is absolutely based in fact and it's written in stone. But the Galoos all deny it. And again, there's no one to really rebut them i don't know have you ever heard anybody say it It absolutely is true laura moret herself said it apparently i think on a on a Ah. recap and it it makes me believe maybe it wasn't the entire galoos but maybe it was like that little her crowd yeah like her monica and kelly maybe they sort of made a pact to do it but i don't know if it represents like john and dave and eric as well well because even dave like in at the the last ponderosa video he just seems very much like i don't know who i'm gonna vote for like i don't really want to vote for any of these people like seems very much like he's not he has not decided for sure who he's gonna vote for yep how about you jay how are you weighing on this i don't really have an opinion one way or the other but I mean, I think that it's tough because I think that, you know, as 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 Paul said with the Ponderosa videos, I, I think that for the most part, it, it, it's again this this dissonance between the jury and what we are seeing, right? Because mm-hmm. all of us are like, well, this is a slam dunk probably for Russell, and it's like the you can see the Ponderosa people even then they were just you know it wasn't even necessarily like completely visceral against Russell, but it was just kind of like they're like ugh any of these people you know it's just this undesirable ending which is so interesting because that's the second time in third three seasons in a row where we've gotten that sort of thing where we don't get anyone uh you know randy s yelling all of you kiss my ass in the voting confessional but you have to feel like some of them were at least thinking that at the time yeah it's this is definitely one that they were not enthused about anybody and again it really ties into the dissonance like jay said that what we see at home is not the reality of what the players are seeing and to quote a a wonderful uh philosopher cardona reality or perception is not reality reality is reality and that's where we're going to get into in a minute here that what the jury thinks and sees is so 100 percent different from what the audience sees and and i'll just flat out say it the audience's opinion doesn't mean shit it doesn't matter what i think or what jay thinks or what mike or paul or any survivor fan who wasn't in samoa thinks because we don't know anything and i'm kind of stealing a quote from dave ball who's basically written in his ama he's like i was there we were there you were not there so you're you have zero percent validity in anything you say about the season because you have no idea you're just watching the highlights and i was there so my opinion is more important than yours and you know, it's a kind of a dick way to say it, but he is right. And so that's the thing. Like what the audience thinks and sees means jack shit here. So just remember that as we're going into it, that what we see on TV is not what the players saw. And that's the important part. 
So first off, I have to say, I will flat out say, I think Russell does a pretty good job in this tribal council. What do you guys think? I completely agree. I think that he he garners a lot of comparisons to Amanda, I think by the pure optics of it all, that, hey, they both went to two final tribals in a row and lost both times. But I would say, and Paul maybe put the earmuffs on here, unlike Amanda, who I think could have earned some votes through some answering some questions better. Not to say that Russell does an absolutely, you know, incredible job, but I feel like he didn't do anything to necessarily, you know, drive people away from voting for him. I think, like you said, Mario, it was more of a thing where people came in already not wanting to vote for him, and so he didn't necessarily, you know, push them further away with some of his answers. Yeah. No, again, I'll be the first person to say, I think Russell does a pretty good job here. I don't think he does anything to hurt his chances. He's, yeah, he's fine. And that I think, um, you know, there, there kind of might be this misconception that you put him in the same boat as an Amanda who just fails at the end, but the damage had been done. Like they went into that tribal council pissed at him and, um, he has some okay moments. I mean, I think Mick is the one who really crashes and burn the most at this, like really just misses the mark. I think Natalie really comes on strong in this tribal council and Russell's somewhere in the middle. I think there's a couple times he, he messes up a little bit. Um, but I definitely do not think his performance really has any impact on whether or not he won or lost this game. No, I agree. I agree 100% with, with well with i guess a little bit paul but but mostly paul but mostly paul in the sense that i mean russell does fine but again i think that this is again something that all of us sort of missed in a lot of ways and and something that you know looking back on it where people are like oh russell dominated the game and then he does well in final final tribal council so it's bullcrap that he lost and it's like again it's not I think that very rarely, because we've talked about times where we think that somebody's lost it at Final Tribal Council, or somebody's Final Tribal Council has 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 pulled them to a win, i.e., like a Chris and and like a Todd and things like that. But I would say for the most part, the jury's pretty made up when they go into Final Tribal Council. So a lot of times it's basically like, don't screw it up more than like you have to win it. And it's like I don't think you know Russell. I feel doesn't necessarily screw it up. But in the same sense, you can see he probably wasn't ever that close to winning. Yeah. Yeah, he makes some strong arguments, some strong cases, but it's really just a, again, dissonance, we keep using that word, how he saw the game is not how the jurors saw it. And everything he's pointing out is a plus for him they don't care about. (laughs) So that's kind of the issue. And although I will take a little bit of, uh, not offense, but I will rebut Paul's statement a little. I don't think Natalie does especially well here either, to be honest. Like, I don't think she, like she steals votes. I think she's likable, but she really doesn't have much to say other than, you know, I, I, I latched onto Russell because going against him was dangerous and that's my strategy. And she's right, but that's really all she has to say. So I'm not entirely sure anybody really does great here, but I do, again, first person to say Russell does not do badly here. He makes some really solid arguments if those are the things that you are interested in. Yeah, and I'll say that I think his opening statement is the strongest of the three, and that's because he has a list he can walk through in terms of things that he did. I mean, I'll disagree with you a bit on the Natalie thing, just because I think that, yes, she does keep going back to this point of how, like, the best move I made was realizing that, hey, all these, you know, weaker women or these stronger-willed women were getting taken out by Russell, so I just sort of played down my image a bit. I mean, I think that's all she needed. 
I think the Galoos were just yeah. looking for a reason. That's the that was the perception was that they thought that Natalie literally did nothing. I think the first time they hear that she was doing that almost purposefully, their ears perk up and they say, "Oh, okay, oh fine." Mick's not giving us anything, so let's turn to Natalie. So while I will say that Natalie's not on the level of Chris and Todd, I do think that she gives the jury what they want and, in essence, gives herself the money in that regard. Okay, and that does bring up one other thing I forgot about. There supposedly is a scene that was left on the cutting room floor, and I'm sure somebody else is going to bring this up, where I think it's Laura asks, uh, like, tell us about us, tell us what do you know about us. And, and Natalie apparently was able to reel off like every single personal detail about them, their lives, and it was like one of the most impressive things. And I think it was Eric, someone said it in his AMA in one of his interviews, that it was so cool the way she was able to do that. You didn't realize that she was so perceptive and just took such an interest in people. And again, it wasn't shown in the episode, but that's apparently, people say that was one of the answers that she really won people over on. Have you heard that story as well? Yes, oh. I have. I can't really recall exactly when or where, but I definitely know that's that's okay. been out there. Good on yeah. Natalie for bringing back Fallen Comrades without Jeff even putting it in as a challenge. Yeah, but apparently there is other stuff here we don't see. And again, I'm again, I will go right back to the thing. It doesn't matter what any of us think. We're just reporters reporting how the season ends. But all right, let's go into this here. We'll go one by one through the jurors and we'll kind of talk about what happens here. The first person, uh, well, first before, I have to point out that Shambo is all dressed up in her Sunday best in her jury outfit, which includes a headband. (laughs) So nice that she has her formal headband on. (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah, so Russell's opening speech is really good. He says, basically, you know, I did everything. Here's exactly how I did it. I controlled all this stuff. And if these two bums did so better, did it better than me, give them the money because I don't think they did. And then again, it's from his point of view, he's right. And so here we go to the jury speeches. Number one, Jason. This is a fun one because I had forgotten about this one uh, where Jason essentially dresses them all down. uh, Because I know he talked in his jury speaks video about like how he would want to vote based on merit. But he essentially outlines to everyone like, look, none of these three are hurting for money anytime soon. And like you said, you know, uh, the anesthesiologist thing makes sense for Mick. Russell's, the secret's already been out that he's a millionaire. I had forgotten, I don't know if this is necessarily true, but, uh, you know, Jason said that Natalie neglected to tell us that, yes, even though she just left her pharmaceutical sales job, apparently she just came from a lot of money from that. So none of them are really hurting for cash anytime soon. Yeah. It's a pretty weak I mean it's a I I, I kind of like the idea of it, but like when he has these like he kind of goes in at Mick and how much money, you know, physicians make and then he goes about Russell and his secret. He's like, "Natalie neglects to tell you she made a lot of money." And then it like it clearly kind of cuts off the rest of what he was saying because it just sounds like so choppy like, "Oh, yep, you got her." You you revealed her. She has a lot of money. Like no specifics at all about like what he's talking about. Should we uh, point out the irony that the Fulbright scholar lawyer yeah. is pointing out people that won't need money in the future? <laughs> hey, <laughs> Fulbright pays shit. <laughs> it's nothing think, but a title. I know the lawyer part is, is the part I'm talking about, and oh, I okay, say this having a sibling who is a federal judge who makes more in like a year than I'll make in four years that yeah, lawyers do pretty well. So anyway, that's Jason's speech. And now we get the fun one. This is one that everyone remembers the Shambo speech. Oh, Oh, yes. Okay. Let me set this up quickly. She first off apologizes for being the one to dismantle Galoo. She's like, my bad. 
She apologizes to America, to the country, about it. <laughs> you guys didn't get to see more Monica and Kelly. I'm apologizing. My bad. And now she goes into the words that that she has some words to describe everybody, and I know you guys can do a better job on the Mick one. I want to focus on the Natalie one because it's Oof. a, boy, did I miss a funny 115 entry here, by the way. Why did I not write about this? Where she says, there's a word to describe you, Natalie, and it starts with a C. You know what it is? And, like, everybody's eyes get like, oh, my God, is she going to call her the C word? And Shambo's like, coattail. And, like, everyone's like, phew, and they let out a breath. Like, <laughs> it's such an underrated funny moment because I guess Shambo doesn't realize that there's certain female uh, slang terms that also start with a C that you shouldn't use. <laughs> well, she, I thought you were going to say chicken. Yes, chicken. Oh, you were going for chicken. Yeah. I thought she was going somewhere much hardcore, more hardcore. And you can see everybody in the jury thinks that too because their eyebrows all go, what, the C word? So just say, okay, let's go to the feckless part. Who wants to talk about that one? I just, I mean, Shambo approaches all of this in such a Shambo-like way where she goes, Mick, wow, you have got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> just coming in with this completely incredulous attitude. And she goes, in a word, would you agree that your overall gameplay could be called feckless. And you know she was trying to imitate that, like, she was coming up with this $3 word on the spot. And Mick, for all his efforts, probably knows he's not getting Shambo's vote, and he says, you know what, I would, I would have to look up what that word means. Uh, and so she just completely moves on from it. But that word will forever be associated with Mick trimming, and I can bet dollars to donuts that I'm sure that's all how we all and a lot of the fan community learned what the word feckless meant. Does anybody, did anybody know what that word meant before they saw it on this episode? Well, on an episode of Montana Mole, which was a show I did back in high school, uh, there is a scene where one contestant picks up a dictionary, or it was like ACT words, SAT words or something, and he picks it up and he says, you are so feckless. And the other kid goes, it's pronounced feckless. So I had heard that word on a reality show, and I, I do not believe it's used in any other context except for on reality shows. Okay, and what does it actually mean? I will be the first worst person to admit I'm a writer. I know many words. To this day, I still don't entirely know what feckless means. Like spineless? Like without... Yeah, basically like, like, like lacking strength, I think. Why didn't she say spineless? Because it's Shambo. <laughs> She's the one who said that reward superseded all of her expectations. Do <laughs> you really expect her to use any sort of straightforward vocabulary? What is like yeah, I, Roger, the thesaurus guy, appear to her in a dream and give her a word? Is like a, one of the, yeah. the uh, when the, the Maharishi gives you a mantra you have to repeat. Is that her word? Yeah, but I think feckless is like more than just spineless. Because like to me, like when you say spineless, you're just saying like um, you're you're like a, a, a coward. But I, but feckless to me is also like it's that, but it's also like you're also just a loser kind of at the same time. <laughs> Okay, so Shambo pulls out the thesaurus word that nobody knows, calls Mick it. Mick doesn't know what it means. I can sure as hell know at least, what, how many jurors are there? Nine? At least eight of the nine jurors don't know what it means. So it just hangs out there. No one knows what it means, and she moves on. She calls Natalie the C word, and then she won't let Natalie answer, and she's like, that's it. You two are done. I'm voting for Russell. Good day, sir. Yeah, she, no, well, I love this as well because, again, in true Shambo fashion, you know, Natalie tries to give this – legitimate answer to her saying you know 
the 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 c word response and shema goes i'm calling major bs on this sentence i am cracking up inside like you have no idea and then she's like she said the jig is up natalie mick no way on god's green earth are you getting my vote thanks for playing bye see you never it just suddenly makes me realize Shambo should play Willy Wonka if they ever remake that movie because she's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah, she basically lives inside of that creep creepy tunnel that they take. <laughs> yes, her and the chickens. That's the whole dream is just that tunnel sequence. <laughs> well, it has the chickens getting their heads cut off, so I think that's where Shambo possibly got her connection with chickens from. I had no idea chickens could get their heads cut off. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know they could fly. I just saw them get their heads cut off. <laughs> So anyway, that's the last we will see of Shambo this season as she retreats in her formal headband attire back to the bench. Next up is Brett. Now, Brett is one of the more underrated jury questions here. Bro down. Yeah, Paul, why don't you explain to people the homoeroticism of this one? Well, I don't know if you, you know, Brett asked about going on a, if, if you want to go bro down with going on a little bro date. That's what he asked Mick. Like, what would we do? And I guess it's his way to figure out, like, how much did Mick really know him? Okay, Mick, being the most boring person in the world, starts this date out by saying that we catch up on the news. Yes! Like, we wake up, we watch the news. Yeah, I just picture, you know, uh, Mick and Brett kicking back and, you know, uh, checking out CNN together. Like, what in the hell? I think I have a new theory that I think Mick is an alien. Uh, that just was like told very generic things about the human race. And so when he was, you know, probe for questions, he's like, we will check the news. We will talk about girls and sports. We will eat. I will not define what the food we eat is, but we will eat food. Like he just gave, as Paul said, the most blase, generic, vague description of a day ever and does not appease Brett at all. <laughs> Today I learned that Mick is Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> doesn't really get how human culture works. But doesn't he say he would nibble on his ear at some point? That's how they date? Yeah, well, that's, that was his uh, joking Tyson-like answer. And then he decides to change to the, the button-down serious answer of <laughs> news and, and girl talk. Yeah, I mean, that is a feckless way to handle that answer, to be honest. And then Brett asks nobody else, right? That's the end of the question. Just a bro date. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we bring up everybody's favorite, Purple Kelly, number four. Purple Kelly comes up there and she uh, criticizes Natalie. She's like, a, you know, as a female, I don't appreciate that every time you something happened, you'd run to the males for help and you couldn't do anything on yourself. And and then that's one thing. But then she really comes down on Russell. And again, you think she's slamming Natalie. But Russell, she says, um, you know, you're always lying, cheating, stealing. Are you like this outside of the game, Russell? And he's like, I am nothing like this outside of the game. And she's like, three words. How would you describe yourself outside the game? And this is where, where you get the, if you're drinking Coke, it'll come out your nose here, where Russell says, outside the game, he's most known for honor, integrity, and loyalty. <laughs> and Kelly just basically laughs at him. She's like, I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, Russell does not win good points with Kelly here. She does not buy his crap at all. Maybe I was speaking a little too early when I said he does a great job. Maybe on this one, he's not so great. Yeah, this is the one that I was going to highlight, so this was not good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What, well, I guess what would have been an optimal answer for him to like split the difference and be like, hey, I'm a businessman. Like, I'm, I'm not as uh, savage as I am out on the island because it's a game, but I still like, you know, make decisions for my family. Yeah, and I can totally reach the top shelf when there's groceries up there. 
<laughs> yeah, I think the right answer with that is like, you know, I, you know, I went, I went out of my way to do what I did to win this money for my family, and I definitely think that's the trade I have in real life is that I'll do anything, um, you know, to help my family and. Um, unyielding and blah blah blah, but you don't come in and be like, "Oh, I'm actually the most honest, integrity-filled person you'll ever meet in your life." Like I'm an <laughs> angel. Like it doesn't work. This is the question where you totally should have deflected and, and ended it with San Dimas High School football rules. <laughs> Try to distract her a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Kelly is probably not going to vote for Russell. She thinks he's a piece of crap. Speaking of people that think Russell's a piece of crap, here comes Monica, number five. And what does she say? What's her jury thing? Uh, basically, she goes to Mick and Natalie and says, tell me why the other two people shouldn't win. Yeah, I, wa- I want to see passion. I want to see people who really want to be here and why don't the other people deserve to win. And if I recall, we only see Mick's answer, right? He just says, well, Russell's a dick. <laughs> and Russell's like, I ain't no dick. I did everything. And they start bickering. And Monica's like, all right, that's good. Thank you. And we never actually see Natalie's answer, right? No. Well, she did kill a rat, y'all. So we got that. <laughs> All right, number six juror coming up here, Danger Dave Ball, who comes up with it. Actually, I actually like this question quite a bit. And of course, for someone so profound and a deep thinker like him, he says, what do you think your chances are tonight, honestly? And uh, what Mick says, eh, 25% in a very feckless way. (laughs) And Natalie says, 30 to 40%, y'all. And Russell, this is where we really start seeing the chinks in Russell's armor that he really might not win this thing tonight. This is kind of the the first or second instance where he even admits that things are not going well for him tonight, that people are kind of ripping on him and he wasn't expecting that. And he's like, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot higher, but I think it's maybe down to about 55% now. Just It might happen, it might not, which is a very, I think, honest answer. I'm kind of surprising coming from him that he's not cocky here. Yeah, I'm surprised and be like, 69%. <laughs> Am I right, Brett? That's a bro date, man. <laughs> Is Russell Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> a little bit. Okay, the number seven juror is Laura, who just comes out here and says, what did you learn about me that enabled you to beat me? And Russell gives the great answer, well, you were the best, so I had to beat you, which is a good answer. And I'm guessing, like I said, this is where... We don't see it in the episode, but people in the interviews have confirmed that Laura probably goes to Natalie here and says, what did you learn about me that enabled you to beat me? And I think this is where Natalie probably reels off all the details about everyone in the game and how much she knows about them. And again, you would want to show that because it gives away that maybe she's going to win. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of odd that it's not here. Russ, as it is on TV, Laura's question is cut very short. Yeah, suspiciously short answer from one of the bigger characters from the Galoo side, which is interesting. Yeah, although at one point she says F. Shambo, if I recall, right? <laughs> hey, look, at the reunion, if the finals were uh, Russell Shambo and Jason, Laura said she'd vote for Shambo, which would have been incredible. <laughs> and then Shambo would have punched her. She would have been so angry. Like, I didn't like the handwriting you used when you voted for me. <laughs> you C-word, you coattail. Okay, number eight juror coming up is John Fincher, and in... In, uh, I'll turn to the fancher here. Uh, Jay, what is John's jury question? Don't know. Don't, oh. <laughs> this is are like you a, imagining you were on a bro date with him? How, how far were you guys into the news in your bro date? <laughs> Look, Doesn't John just want a hard sell? Like, yeah, he wanted. He didn't ask anything for Russell. He he was like he just went to to Natalie and Mick, and he wanted he wanted their hard sell of his vote. Which is interesting that he ends up voting for Russell. 
<laughs> well, because I, I think it's because he's like probably leaning toward Russell. So he's basically saying to Natalie and Mick, he's like, give me a reason, yeah. you know, change my mind. But but he actually does he, he does admit at the end here he tells Natalie he's like look Natalie you said that you basically like you purposely tucked yourself under Russell's wing which I admire and he basically says like I don't want to interrupt you but I just want to point out right now that you are highlighting some strategic thinking that a lot of us wanted to see tonight which again is very strange that he's speaking on behalf of the jury but not himself since he ends up voting for Russell. Well, I'm John Fincher, and I always vote correctly, but these rest of these doofuses will not vote correctly. They're not rocket scientists. All right, so eight jurors down, and again, uh, I, what was Mick? Mick doesn't even have a hard sell. He's like, well, I'm a good guy. <laughs> Maybe not the yeah. hardest sell. Yeah, okay. he's, he's, just, he's just, I'm Mick. He's like, you can't get a more stand-up guy than me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally, I'm a stand-up piece of cardboard. <laughs> I like consuming food with the humans. Perhaps we may consume hum- foods after this with other humans. I heard I would be edgy if I pulled down my pants. <laughs> this is what these humans do. In Montana. Montana and Montana adjacent states and counties. Mon- Montana must be an important state, seeing the size of the state. <laughs> and I love Lisa so much. Yeah, it's this big sky country, and I came from the sky, so it was only natural I landed there. <laughs> it's the day the Earth froze all of a sudden. He's Klaatu. All right, so uh, here we go. The number nine, the final juror, and this is, I have to say, I know it's, it's corny. I turn out to get wrapped up in Survivor so much, but this is one of those speeches that I love so much. And it like almost brings a tear to my eye, and I know that's, I'm going to get totally made fun of, but... Eric's speech here, building up Natalie and why she deserves to win, is one of my favorite moments in Survivor history. And one of those moments where people who really like Russell and think he deserved to win think that Eric needs to roast in hell for this stupid speech. (laughs) What do you guys think about this one? Well, I think that he deserves his own entry on the Funny 115. Perhaps about his, you know, thing with trees? (laughs) Anyway, how about Mike or Paul? (laughs) I mean, this is, I mean, this is really interesting because we get these in future iterations, right? This is uh, what David Murphy does with Boston Rob. This is what Spencer does with Tony and Kagayam. But this is the first time I can really imagine. It's almost like the anti-snakes and rats where he's saying like, no, you're good. Like you are important and you don't think that you are. It's in true Eric fashion. It is very, very dramatic. Uh, and over the top and very crisply delivered. Uh, but I think he does a good job of essentially laying out these general principles of Survivor, of how there are so many different ways to win the game. And I think we were gonna we're gonna talk a lot about the reception behind this outcome. But I do feel like there were a lot of paradigms at work going on here as to what a winning game of Survivor constitutes. And I think what Eric's speech sort of does here is it serves as a nice microcosm of this idea that sort of Jay was talking about before quantifying a winning game that, you know, there are so many ways to win this game and you have to win, you know, what you can do to play a winning game is going to be different from the person sitting next to you. And essentially that's what Eric is saying, which is, you know, you may think you're the least deserving, but actually you might be the most deserving because you didn't play with this negative characteristic 
or this negative characteristic. And you mentioned the uh, perception is not reality. Reality is reality, which is a really fun way to look at the genre of reality TV in general. So, yeah, I, I do feel like, again, because there have been future instances of it, it sort of gets forgotten upon, uh, you know, in Survivor history. But I, I think it's fun, and maybe it's just because I enjoy Eric as a character, funny 115 entry or not. I have a weird paradox when it comes to jury speeches like this in the sense. And, and I think that it, again, it goes back to this thing of as a viewer, you quant, you can, you, it's a thing you can quantify, right? Like whenever someone makes one of these speeches, it's usually good TV. And it's usually one of those jury speeches or I guess questions, even though they're usually not asking question. They're just grandstanding, but it's usually a jury segment that we remember, right? Going even back to the original season, right? Where Sue Hawk gets up and gives the famous snakes and rats speech. And it's like, it's, you know, the snakes and rats speech is considered one of like the biggest survivor moments of all time. And it's literally Sue getting up and not asking a question, but literally telling the rest of the jury vote for a particular person. Mm -hmm. And so I can't sit here and say, this is counterintuitive to the game and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I love these things viscerally and I kind of love it when, you know, they get up there and they make this grandstanding, you know, speech that, you know, puts one person down or two people down and tells everyone to vote for one person. You know, there, there's something in me that likes that. But by the same token, I'm going to say this, I hate these. <laughs> well, I, and yeah. I hate them because it, it's this whole thing where like, then it becomes this like, it becomes this sort of bodying and checking with the, with the jury where the jury then is basically, they're not talking to the survivors that are there. They're talking to each other, basically saying, Hey, no vote for this person. So then it becomes kind of like above them, you know, which, which sort of gets carried on. Like, let's just now have a jury conversation instead of questions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just this grandstanding that I'm, I feel like a, they're, they're grasping for a moment, but B it's this whole like, let's not try to make the survivors talk. Let's just talk over them because we know better. Yeah, I'd see, I know where you're going with that. And I, I kind of agree with you on a sense because I hate when someone comes up there and says, vote for this person. You all need to vote. They're the best player. I think Eric's speech is a little different because he's not specific. I know it's all semantics. You can argue, you can nitpick. He's really not telling the jurors how to vote. What he's doing is making Natalie's case for her. Like it's almost like a uh, like a self-esteem speech. You'd hear at self-esteem camp. You are a good person. You are a valuable person. You should stick up for you. Like that's what it comes off more to me. That's why I can maybe be more forgiving on this one than the others where like David Murphy says he was the best player. Vote for him. Like I, it doesn't feel like Eric's pleading to the jury. It seems like he's really trying to build Natalie up to make her present herself stronger. I, on that note, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, Jay, in terms of, like, it does feel a little ooky to say, have people come up and be like, listen, you you know you should vote for this person. Let me convince you. You would think that the, that's the finalist job. I think I like it because there's a section in the middle where he really points out, you know, uh, you know, Natalie, people call you weak. They say you're undeserving. Why are those characteristics any less admirable than lying, cheating, and stealing? And again, maybe... I don't know if he intended this or not, but I really like just what that represents in terms of, you know, people say, well, whoever, you know, did the most blindsides should get the win. But there are so many other things 
that, you know, juries weigh upon in terms of qualities that are good or bad, and it depends on each person and each season. That I, I at least appreciate the fact that Eric really underlined that, because that's one of those other elements in Survivor that I feel like really goes unsaid, especially as we move from season to season and jury to jury. Right, and, and, the, and, the, and I'm not trying to make the argument that bad and or not a part of the game or something part of the game these sort of speeches and and all that sort of stuff but it's just you know just just me personally i'm just always just kind of like oh here we go the big speech you know where where someone's going to do a thing and and it sort of becomes disingenuous and i'm and i don't think that eric is particularly guilty of this so i think that he gets a pass for this but there's a lot of people that like you know we are very very much in this era of people can be brought back for future seasons Uh and so then it becomes very, you know how like we've talked about how like Eliza and certain jury members are like, you know, sort of learning how to like become a personality while they're on the jury and have been eliminated from the game. And it's like, you know, I feel like when you're in the jury, you're sitting there going like, well, crap, I didn't win the game or I didn't make the final four. or I didn't make certain objective that you wanted to make within the game. And you're thinking about trying to get brought back on a future season. And you're like, I know if I come up with some huffy, puffy, grandstandy jury speech, maybe that's a talking point. One thing that I wanted to bring up here, why I think the speech might be a little different than other cases, because you guys all make good points and you're absolutely right that you could you could read this speech so many ways, cynical, you know, helpful, positive, negative. One thing that I want to bring up that I don't think it's mentioned enough is players like Natalie do not often get jurors sticking up for them. It's the females in particular tend to get ripped apart and the males. Oh, he did all the moves. He's amazing. And especially these under-the-radar younger females do not historically have jurors sticking up for them. And that's why I think this one is especially powerful and noteworthy because players like Natalie do not generally get help like this. And that's no. why I just think it's so interesting. And you see in her eyes, she starts crying because it's she's not expecting this. And it's so heartfelt what Eric's saying. is like, you don't believe that you belong up there. Maybe that's why you're the most deserving. Maybe humility is an underrated skill in this game. And it's just he's saying these things that you would not historically hear. So it's just I think the dynamic of this one is what makes it special for me. Here's a question for you. Do you think that... Eric's speech swayed any votes <laughs> or do you think that the jury was locked in mostly where they where they're going to fall I my personal answer and I don't know anything about this but jurors uh, people that make it on survivor yeah people make it on survivor they're type a they're hard-headed they're pig-headed they're stubborn I don't think anybody's jury speech has ever swayed anybody I think so, he was just doing this for him so I don't think this made any difference so, so, but, but, and that's fine. And, and I actually uh-huh. like that because, okay, you know, spoiler alert, Natalie's going to win this thing seven, two. And it's like, so m- the majority of the jury is going to vote for Natalie. So, you know, you got, you're looking and you just talked about it. And I think you're 100% right with the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great speech by Eric in the sense that he's sticking up for Natalie. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a sub genre of, of survivor uh, contestant that doesn't get stuck up for in a lot of ways and all that sort of stuff. But in a way, is Eric just reading the room? (laughs) Um, The way I would answer that personally is I think every other vote was an anti Russell vote. I think his is the one pro Natalie vote. I think he's reading the room. He knows Natalie's going to win. I'm pretty sure. 
I think he's trying to sway the view, view of the jurors in the sense, I want your vote in your head when you go to sleep at night to be pro-Natalie and not anti-Russell. I want you to realize you're voting for a winner and not against somebody. That's, that's what I think he's doing. He's just trying to sway their rationale more than their vote. He knows where their vote's going. I think he's just trying to get them to think about it differently. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree with that. I, I have the general mentality that I think jurors vote for whoever they respect and respect is an umbrella term that can imply likability. It could imply strategic acumen. It could imply social gamemanship. I'm not entirely sure, but to that point, I think what Eric was trying to maybe say was like, Hey, you know, you can still vote for Natalie and be less a vote against Russell and more a vote for someone who you respect in a certain regard. And that regard is that, you know, she possessed a quality that not a lot of people have in the game of survivor, which is a feat upon itself. So do you guys think the, this, this speech swayed anybody? No, I, I, I was thinking of it as, as he was basically sort of in a way he was saying maybe what, maybe not what everyone was thinking, but maybe I, I think, I think you put it correctly. He's giving everyone the, it's almost like they're coming up with their cover story. Yeah. You know, from some sort of crime in the sense of, okay, we were all at Jimmy's house, you know, at 4 p.m. when this happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's in the sense of they all know they're, they're going to vote for Natalie, and a lot of them are voting for Natalie, not for Natalie, but because they don't like Russell and, and who's Mick. So, like, you know, it's this sort of uh, thing going on there. But I think that, you know, Eric is basically saying, look, it's okay that we're voting for Natalie because she did things too. And it's sort of like the, yeah, that's right. It's okay. You know, when we're going to do this thing. Yeah, that's well. And I think specifically for like the finale in the TV audience, it's like, like the best thing to have for Natalie win is to have that speech in there. It's like the perfect transition. Like the which first is time funny, finally which get is, something that makes sense. Which is funny because I was firmly convinced that Russell was winning for mm-hmm. some reason, like even after this. So like Eric gives a speech and I'm just like, yeah, whatever guy. <laughs> well, it's really interesting, though, because on that note, Paul, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I did not the first time I watched it. But when Jeff brings the votes to L.A., he does a rare thing. He sort of gives a weird preamble before he reveals the votes about how, like, Survivor, you know, is a world that the players create. They create the rules behind it. It almost seems like, to your point, Jay, Jeff was sort of coming up with his own cover story on behalf of the <laughs> yeah. show and essentially saying, like, hey, you know what? You might not like this outcome, audience, but it's the players. They were the ones that, you know, created the system that they were going to judge these players by. One, two, three. He did it. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, which again, is, is really funny that because now that you mention it, Mike, like, that's, that's hilarious and probably correct. Because I think it's pretty well known that Jeff probably didn't like the outcome of this vote and all that sort of stuff. But it's like you guys created this television show and slanted it in such a manner that it is cacophonous. And now you're going to like apologize for it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, reading, th- reading through the, the EW articles that Jeff did back then, yeah, like you said, Jay, he was uh, he was saying like, you know, no shade to Natalie, but I thought Russell played one of the best games ever. He flat out said that he thought Eric in particular was going to regret his vote down the line. I will say I think Jeff approached the reunion a, 
a bit more fairly than I think you would assume. Uh, he does give Natalie credit in a good number of places, but yeah, if his uh, you know unbiased blogs are any indication, he was definitively in Camp Russell going into that <laughs> vote reveal. I also want to mention this as opposed to the reunion and the the final reading of this vote, because now we're getting to the nitty gritty at the end of the season, and I know we're going to talk about Russell for like. 80 bajillion years. But I want to I want to also point this out, people, with the timing in the sense that this is Survivor Samoa, the 19th season, and the 20th season was Survivor Heroes versus Villains, which I know that everybody is like excited for us to talk about and and, uh, you know, uh, digest because it's well, a lot of everyone's one of their top like two, three favorite seasons usually. But you also have to remember the timing in the sense that Survivor Samoa was filmed, you know, in the summer of 2009. And then Russell, so Russell was in Samoa all the way to the end. And then they brought him back for Heroes versus Villains. That gets filmed before Samoa starts airing or like mm-hmm. it, it sort of overlaps a little bit. So by the time the Samoa reunion is going on and the reading of the final vote, Russell has been on two full seasons filmed of Survivor. And so Jeff has seen him twice. Jeff has seen him for 80 days, so I think that just adds to this whole Samoa thing. On that note, because I guess we're sort of segueing into the vote reveal, I can't remember because I've gotten conflicting reports about this as well. At the Samoa reunion, because I know that I, Russell was pretty sure he had lost Heroes versus Villains at the final yeah. Tribal Council. Did Russell go into the Samoa reunion where he was extremely emotional, thinking that he had won that at least? I, that's what I think, and I was going to bring that up. Uh, and I guess I'll bring it up now in the sense that when you go back and you look at the reunions, especially for Heroes versus Villains, which I know we're not there yet and all that sort of stuff. But like Russell looks very defeated at the Heroes versus Villains reunion because this is kind of like the end chapter to like this year long saga that he's had within oh. Survivor where it's like, you know, I think that, you know, he thought he won Samoa and then he goes, you know, so like you, he played Survivor for 40 days and he's like, all right, I won. And then he gets like a couple weeks off or whatever. And then it immediately goes back and plays Survivor and he gets all the way to the end. And I mean, I think he thought that he had a good chance to win the game, but I think that he sort of read the ending of Heroes versus Villains as, well, I'm not winning that season. But then he's like, well, at least I won Samoa, right? So it was kind of one of those, like, I'm playing with house money at this point. Yeah. And then, so, so I think that he's he's going to the Samoa reunion going like, well, I've just played a shit ton of Survivor and I lost Heroes versus Villains, but here's my win. Let's get my win. And then he doesn't win. And now he's like, I didn't win at all. See, I was going to say just the opposite because I was watching for that today. I was watching the Samoa reunion as he's they're announcing the votes. Russell looks pissed. I think he knows he lost Samoa. He does not look happy that entire time. That's one thing. And again, I don't know for sure. You could be right. I could be right. But just from body language alone, I would be shocked if he thought he won Samoa. He looks well, so upset. But here's the thing. Maybe he thought he won it. And then, you know, how like when you get to the reunion, you know, you like get into the hotel and you, you know, you get backstage and you go all those sort of things like Maybe he learns through the grapevine earlier that day that perhaps he doesn't win Samoa, but I think yeah. that he thinks he wins it. I think he thought he won it like up until maybe that day or the day before or. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some sort of thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that so it's still fresh when he's thinking like I didn't win it. If, if that's the case, like he either thinks he's won Samoa when the vote gets read 
or he has just learned through the machinations of the day and everything like that, that he has not won Samoa. Yeah. And again, I've been to a lot of these finales. I talked to a lot of the players. A hundred percent. They almost all know what the vote's going to be before the reveal. They may have just right. learned in the last day or two. So yeah, if he didn't know, and I don't think, I mean, if he knew that he lost and I personally think he did, it would have been something he had just learned like within yes. the last 24 hours. He yeah. thought probably for, you know, the whole time he was playing heroes versus villains and, you know, the months leading into as, as the show is being aired, I won that season. I won that season. I won that season. He probably got to the reunion and all that sort of stuff. And he learns like I didn't win. It's like, yeah. what? And that's when he starts crying. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we'll get to this. Get reveal. We'll get to the reveal in a second. So I just want to go over Eric's speech for people who have not don't remember it. Just I'll I'll give a little uh, a short version of it here. Just because I think it's really important, and I think this is one of the most, just because how important this vote is, this becomes an important speech, just in the, the annals of history here, where basically Eric says, Mick, you were the leader, but you failed. You deserve nothing. You did nothing for your tribe. They needed you. You failed at everything. You're responsible for every loss. You're not going to win. You're terrible. Then he says, Russell, and this is a good quote I like. He says, unethical. You're just unethical. You got the right place in the game, but in the wrong way. And he's like, and you're so proud of it. Why? Why are you proud of this? So going back to the thing that Survivor is an ethical game, which is really what it went back to at the start of the game or at the start of history where Survivor's always been about ethics, like which lines are you going to cross and which, how far can you go before the jury revolts? And Eric flat out says, you've gone too far and I don't get why you think you're so, you're so happy about it. And then his speech to Natalie, and I, I hope I can do this justice. I would have Jay do a dramatic reading if we would have prepared this ahead of time. But he, he says, used up his one. Oh, damn it. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, Brett, we hardly knew you. Damn it. Okay, yeah, he says, Natalie, people will call you weak and passive. Why is that wrong? Like, why do people praise Russell but take digs at you? And then he says, he turns to the jury, perception is not reality. Reality is reality. What you see is not what's really happening. And he says, you're sitting up there, Natalie, and you're in the final three, and that makes you just as dangerous as anyone else there. And this is the quote that always gets me because there's a parallel to an earlier moment in Survivor history I wanted to point out where, where he says, Natalie, you'd say you're the least deserving one up there. And just maybe in a world of arrogance, and we cut to Russell, in a world of delusional entitlement, and we cut to Mick, maybe you saying you're not de deserving makes you the most deserving. And that makes her cry. And the moment in history, do you guys know where I'm going to go with this one? Who, other, who also said that right before a final vote? If I can stump Paul, I'll be excited. This is something that's happened prior to this season? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll just I'll save the suspense. Africa. Kim Johnson, why she takes Ethan to the end over Lex at the very last vote. She says, because Lex feels like he deserves it, and you don't feel like you deserve it, and that's why I'm taking you to the end, because humility makes you more valuable. So I'm just pointing that out right here. That's what really does it for Eric and for Natalie. Then he and she starts crying and he says, you'll get my vote, Natalie. I hope you win. So it's just it's a really neat moment. And that's the moment you you either think, ah, oh, whatever, this guy's grandstanding or, oh, my God, Natalie's about to win this. And she didn't even expect it. And then we go to the votes and we only see two of them. We see uh, Eric voting for Rattley, of course, because she killed a rat, y'all. And then uh, Shambo votes for Russell because she's nuts. And then we go to commercial, and right before we go to the final vote, I love, if you pay attention, you'll hear the music in this scene. They put in the music from The Apprentice for some reason. It's like the boardroom reveal. Did they get the tapes mixed up and live in the studio? <laughs> yes. I don't know. 
So anyway, anyway, now we go to the live reveal and you see Natalie and Russell all made up and they're in the live studio and here we go. Russell looks absolutely devastated. He clearly, I think, knows he's not going to win. And I think it's very fresh, like Jay said. And here comes the reveal. Natalie wins seven to two, like it's not even close. And oh my God, did the fan base splinter at this exact moment. Whew. Yeah. I mean, Mara, you can speed to this first hand because you were the ones that directly <laughs> uh, interacted with the Russell fans. But yeah, if you even look at like the YouTube videos affiliated with Survivor Samoa, back then, rampant, rampant comments about how Russell should have won, Natalie's the worst winner ever, this is the most bitter jury ever. Even someone like Dalton Ross still to this day contends that, you know, this was one of the worst outcomes in Survivor history. Russell's one of the best to never win, most raw players in Survivor history. I mean, the fan base broke wide open at how this season ended. Yeah. Yeah, he's not understating it. For anybody who wasn't there, this is the moment. Like, you might think Boston Rob losing All-Stars was a big deal. And yeah, that was to an extent. There's still, to this day, a lot of people think he should have won. But it was never the violent split that happened right here. And it was weird because if you'd grown up with Survivor and you'd seen All-Stars and you'd see these grading a-holes lose jury votes, it just happens sometimes. It's not that surprising a thing. It just happens. That's how human nature kind of works. But... With Samoa, it was like you had a lot of people maybe who had just started watching the show or just a new fan base. And this was like their first slap in the face of reality that sometimes the big dominant move maker doesn't always win. And yeah, absolutely. Just they just split. And I would say it was 50 50 down the middle, but it was not. It was like 90 10 Russell fans. And then it was flamed by probes flat out saying that Russell should have won. And then Russell himself, I don't know if people know this bought a domain a website called russell got screwed.com oh yeah and, like everyone was going to that website and russell was paying for it and fanning the flames that he got screwed and it was just such a crazy time to be a survivor fan and just i'll talk about me personally later but i wasn't actually actively writing about the show at the time i remember just watching this episode and being so bemused like oh my god russell just lost and then I kind of did, you know, the math in my head. I'm like, well, of course he lost. They didn't like him. Like, <laughs> duh. Like, I was falling for the edit, too. And so I'm like, okay, within about 10 minutes, I made peace with it. Okay, well, I get why he lost. But, man, I bet the fans are going crazy. And you log on and you see everyone just screaming and yelling. And, oh, man, what, what are your guys' experiences? I'm curious. Where were you when this happened? I was uh, throwing a survivor party, and there was probably a group of, like, 10 of us. And there was a couple people in the, in the mix who had just started watching Survivor with me that season and um, were just, like, livid. Like, they were, like, so much on Team Russell and didn't understand it. And then there were a lot of us who, uh, um, you know, like, who understood it more and, like, got it more and were happier with that outcome. And then you had my mom, who's, like, very, like, kind of casual whatever, and she – something Natalie did in the episode, I can't remember, pissed her off for some reason. I have no idea what she would have done to upset my mom. But I remember then I was, like – she made some comment about, like, Natalie, and I said, I remember saying, we know what some of us here are rooting for her. <laughs> and then that made my mom mad, and she left our part – or she, like, left the party and went upstairs. And she later uh, confided in my brother she couldn't believe that I would stick up – that I would stick up for her. <laughs> So wait, is, this this is the episode is that split your though. family apart. Yeah, sorry. yeah. So it is con- it is it is confirmed that people in Montana were livid. Yes. 
Yeah, I was. Uh, I did not have a party. I was. I was not the biggest fan of Russell, so I was sort of team anyone but Russell. So I, I was surprised, but happy to see Natalie win. But I think that, to be honest, this show absolutely shot themselves in the foot with the way they told the story this season concerning the outcome. I really do feel like part of the blame from this fervor is due to the fact that we saw very little of Natalie doing really anything that bore fruit, you know, for those votes in the end. We saw so much of Russell that by default, people were sort of rooting for him because they said, we see so much of him, we are invested in him as a character that I think it's absolutely understandable that people were shocked that he didn't win. You know, it's it's your main character getting killed off in a pre-Game of Thrones world, you know, and not completing that hero's journey, even though he was a villain. It, it was It's truly insane to watch. And yes, we have had instances before. We had Amber defeat Boston Rob. We had Danny defeat Steph. So we've had instances before where the story of the season has been how this person lost, but never has it before and never will it again be such a giant story of how one person lost and it was beyond belief that survivor at that time could tell a story so centrally focused around one individual who does not go on to win the game yeah i would say it would be like if uh katie beat tom six to one at the end of palau (laughs) like wait wait how'd that happen (laughs) how about you jay sorry uh at this time i was I, i i don't watch survivor with people you know, that, that's not a thing that happens. I think I was watching and I think my wife was watching, too, uh, at the thing. And I just looked at her and I was like, well, it's it, I mean, Russell's got this. It's a thing. And then he didn't win. And the thing is, is that I just I just remember, like, standing up and like just walking around. And the thing is, is that I never was rooting for Russell, just like you said, Mario, where you're past the point where you're rooting for people. But like in your head, you're just like Russell has to win because the whole season's about him. We've like seen Natalie like four times and, you know, Mick three times, you know what I mean? Like, like it is so the, the, the thing between the final three is so there's such a chasm between Russell and the other two that you're like, okay, this is going to be Russell and all that sort of stuff. And, and he doesn't win. And I just remember it was just shock. And it was just one of those things where literally I, I sat there and I said, why did I watch this whole season? <laughs> and I just I just sort of didn't get it. And so I didn't get into the, you know, I didn't log on to RussellGotScrewed.com. And I, you know, I don't know if I wrote anything super angry about it. But I remember at the time there was, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile it in my head with what I saw and all that sort of stuff. Like I understood in the sense that like, I mean, you can see what a, how negative Russell was toward everyone and sort of the bashing people on the way out and stuff like that. But I just sat there and said, but he got 90% of the screen time. He should win. And the fact that he couldn't, you know, I, I, and, and in my head, that's what I was thinking, but like, I couldn't rationalize it. So I think I sort of got on the whole, you know, Natalie didn't do much. And I guess Russell did more, but like, I, it's not even like I valued everything that Russell did, but it was again, for the fact that since we didn't see Natalie do anything, I sort of gave the impression of she then wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. So I sort of was, I, I remember writing several times or, or listening to things. And I, I think like even Bill Simmons, like talked about it on his podcast with, you know, who, Jacoby or whoever he talks about uh, for reality people. And they were basically after this Russell vote came down, they were basically like, why do all the mediocre people win survivor? 
And I remember even then going like, well, maybe they're right. And it's like, it took me a couple of days to like process it and then finally go, you know what? No, Russell was super mean to everybody. And that is ultimately the thing. And, you know, you can't ever forget that, that this game may change, but how people think about somebody really matters a lot. In fact, it's imperative and and paramount. Well, that ties into the question then. Why did Russell lose Samoa? I think it's more complicated than just he was disliked. I think there's a couple more factors. Do you guys have any theories? I have something I want to share, but I'll let you guys go first. Why, why do you think Russell lost to Natalie? I mean, I think for me, it again, comes back to I fondly believe that jurors will vote for whoever they respect the most. And if you look at the two votes that Russell got, he got the vote of John, who I think, again, had this sort of opinion of like, I value gamesmanship. Russell played the best game, in my opinion. Shambo, I think, just respected him as a person. But I think that the activities he was doing might have sort of devalued him as a person in front of others to the point of where they were saying, like, I don't feel comfortable voting for him. So I wouldn't even say if it's like a dislike. I think it was just more so like a, as odd as it to say, like a disrespect. Like mm-hmm. the the maneuvers you were able to pull off do not overwhelm the just weird taste you left in our mouths of you as a person. How about you? Yeah. It, okay. To me, it just it like comes down to what survivor is at its core. And like, you just like, it sounds so simple, but you just like, don't get to be that much of an a-hole and piss that many people off and expect to win in the end. And a lot of times, like even going back to the, the Tina Colby debate back in the day. Um, You know, Tina had the connections with people. She had, was a more likable person. And a lot of people watching that season saying, not understanding how can you give it to her over Colby? It just came down to the fact that there was someone else they could vote for that they liked more, that they respect more, that they had whatever the other, you know, things out there. If there was a Christian bond there that, People like Laura and her crowd felt more connected to Natalie for that or whatever it may be. People liked Natalie more. They wanted, they would rather have Natalie be the winner of their season than someone like Russell. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure Mario's going to launch into something and, you know, try to put us all to shame and, you know, all, all, all well to you. But I, I think that, you know, there's all these complex things. And I, I think that, I think that one thing we can't, uh, disvalue is the fact that this is the 19th season of Survivor, and Survivor is going well into its you know mid to late 30s and seasons and all that sort of stuff going on here. But at this time in the Survivor world, somebody like Russell has less of a chance to win in the sense that you know people do value good gamesmanship, but I think that Survivor Survivor morphs through the years. You know, the Survivor of season 19 is definitely not the Survivor of season two in a lot of ways. But I think that there's more in common that Survivor has from season 19 to 2 than season 36 has with 2. And and I think that Russell is going to start sort of a new heuristic and a new thought toward gameplay. And, and future people who play the game like Russell are going to benefit from Russell having played this game and, and forged this mm-hmm. path. And I'll talk about this later. But Russell himself you know, is it a slight disadvantage because he's of this of this thing and he's sort of blazing this trail. That being said, I think that one of the main reasons why Russell 
does not win, and I don't think you can convince me that it's not a main factor, is the fact that Russell was so like needlessly and excessively mean to everyone out there in the sense that, you know, he, he found all these idols without clues. That's cool. That's a plus good on you. Aces, Russell, baby, don't rub your, everyone's face in it, you know? And when people are leaving, you know, there, there's, you know, you, you see it even in like survivor 20 when he's out there where he's like calling Rupert a dumbass and, you know, just all these sort of things. And it's like, look, maybe you think Rupert's a dumbass. Okay, fine. Maybe don't say it in front of everyone. You know, and it's it's just the 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 excessive beating people down or kicking them as they're leaving that like it just and I think Mike put it the, the way it's not that they, they necessarily like disliked him, even though I think that's a factor. It's the fact that he just leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth at all times with everything. And that comes into play, I think. Yeah, they'd say one, one interesting thing is that I, I was just reading Dave Ball's AMA on Reddit the other day and. He was saying, someone asked him, did you hate Russell? And he's like, I had no connection to Russell. I couldn't hate him. Nobody knew him. Like, he was his own little world. Like, nobody had a connection with him. So, hate is the wrong word. Just, he was just a cyber to us. We had no connection to him whatsoever. So, it's, it's hate is to an extent what happens there. But there's a couple things that I wanted to say, because I've been waiting, like, since we started season one to get to this little monologue I'm about to do here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here we go. So I'm hitting mute. This is your Eric speech right now. This is my Eric speech. Reality is reality, Mike. So anyway, I'm going to paraphrase something that Dave Ball has said in interviews because it's something I have said for many years is that as fans, it doesn't matter what we think. Our opinions are meaningless. They are valueless. They are not based in anything in reality. We're being seen, you know, edited footage. We're seeing highlights. We're seeing what the show wants you to see because they want to drive the narrative a certain way. But again, what we think is meaningless. So it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what Mike's, Jay's, Paul's, Jeff Probes. It doesn't matter anybody's opinion other than the jurors who are the ones who decide who wins the game. And they have been insistent and were insistent right from the start that Russell was not the winner of their season. And there's several reasons for this. I don't want to get too much into it, but there were allegations that the producers were handing Russell idols. They were absolutely going crazy about that in their post-game interviews and stuff like that. And Dave Ball has said that in the past, although he doesn't blame the producers. He's like, well, it's their house, their rules. They can do whatever they want. But that doesn't mean that we have to say this guy was like the greatest player. And you just watch. So, again, it doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what Russell thinks. It just matters what the jurors think. And if you read their clues throughout the season, Russell makes no connection to them. Russell isn't really friends. They don't know him. They don't they don't respect him. Um, Kelly or Monica, I forget who says yeah, you're only there because of idols, which has nothing to do with Survivor. It's just you have these magic sticks that negate votes, which has nothing to do with Survivor. So again, the jurors have been very insistent from day one that they were correct, that Russell is not the correct winner of their season, that the way they view the show is different than how you view the show, and basically fuck you because you don't, your opinion doesn't matter. And as much as Survivor fans want to hate to hate to hear that, they're right. That's the thing. That's the jurors are right. Screw you. You weren't there. We were. We know what happened. And uh, the big thing that I want to say about this is that I want to back up what Mike says. It really comes down to respect. At the end of the day, the jurors, you think, you think they're voting for the person who played the best game. But that 
is really kind of a misnomer. That's a myth. That's not ever what it's been about. What it comes down to in human nature is you're about to award somebody a million dollars and say that they bested you. They are your superior. How well are you going to be able to sleep at night saying, knowing this person is the one who bested you? And so that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day. Were the jurors going to be able to go to bed at night knowing that this guy who they think was shady, who was getting help from the producers, who was just a jerk, who made no effort to know anybody, who was clearly part of a group of FOA FOAs but was taking all the credit for everything, made no effort to even pretend that other people helped him, do they really want to go to bed at night saying this guy beat them? And you're saying, well, that's just bitter. They should vote for they should vote for the best player. Well, that's wonderful in this ideal world that everybody lives in, where you think that you can separate emotions from survivor, but you can't do that. People, that's not the way that the human brain works. Survivor is not a board game. It's a game of ethics and so call and psychology and social politics. So they were not going to be able to go to bed at night knowing that Russell was going to win. Russell was going to be the star of their season. He was going to gloat about it. He was going to talk about how they were dumbasses. They just knew it. And you wouldn't either. That's the thing. Anybody who's listening to this, you might say, well, I'd still vote for someone if they played the best game. No, you wouldn't. That's not how the human brain works. Maybe one out of 10 people could maybe do that. The average person, if you know this person is going to rub it in your face every day for the rest of your life, there is no way on God's green earth you are going to award them that title. So that's the one thing that I want to get across to people. It really comes down to, can you sleep at night knowing this person was your superior and I don't know many people who could sleep at night know, knowing that Russell was going to be like that, knowing he was your champion and he was going to brag about it the rest of his life. So those that's the main thing I wanted to get across. And there's one more thing. I know Jay's still muted, so I appreciate that. But And this is something that I've never I'm heard. I'm not, actually. I'm <laughs> showing restraint. Keep Thank you. I've never heard anybody mention this other part, and this is why I'm so excited to bring this up. When I, I mentioned before in our Guatemala podcast, I was friends with Rafe. I knew Rafe before he went on the show. I knew him when he was on the show, after the show. Since then, I've known other people who go on the show. I know lots of people associated with the show who know players, who know what they talk about off the record, behind the scenes. There's one thing that never gets brought up in any interview I've ever heard, and that's, it fascinates me because it's so prevalent, is that the main thing on Survivor when you're playing is and I don't know if fans realize this, is that Survivor is a TV show. It's not a game. And when you're playing, you're constantly thinking of how it's going to be portrayed on TV. And this is something that Rafe had told me, and I know other people have as well. And listen to this quote very carefully. Rafe said, you know, we got out to Guatemala, and we're all excited to play, and everyone was thrilled, and then Stephanie pops up. And Rafe said, instantly, everybody hated Stephanie, and nobody wanted her there. Do you know why? And I'm like, why? He's like, because if Stephanie's there, the story is going to be all about her. This season is about Stephanie. And he says, that's something we used to think about when we're playing. You're constantly thinking, how is this going to be shown on TV? What's the storyline? How do I fit into the storyline? And think about this for a second. Galoo was maybe the most dominant tribe in Survivor history. They never lost anything. They, they dusted Foa Foa and everything. And they were so good at that. And they knew it. And then Russell started coming back, or Foa Foa started coming back, and Russell started coming back, and Russell started getting these mystery idols that nobody ever done before, which is like a first. And you know darn well they were thinking, if Russell wins this game, 
that's going to be the story of Samoa. It will be the story of Russell because this is what the players do. They think of the TV show. How is it going to be portrayed on TV? And there is no way this douchebag Russell, they were going to let the story be all about him and how he was the best and he was doing things nobody had ever done before because, again, he had no connections to anybody. No one liked him. They knew nothing about him. He made no effort to respect them or treat them as equals. So that's what it really comes down to, the story. And again, people will say, well, that's bitter. And like, that's not bitter. That's just human nature. These are all type A people that get put on the show. They've sacrificed a lot of their lives to be out there. Galoo is dominating. Everyone wants to feel like they were a part of the story at the end of the season. That's really what happens to players. They, they want to feel valued. They want to feel like they were a part of the season. And had Russell won this season, it would have been Russell was there and there was a bunch of other bit players. And there is absolutely no way anybody would have been a part of that. So that's the one thing about psychology I want to get across, that that character thing and the storyline. Like, a good player, had Russell done something like this, maybe it would have helped. He gets up there, and he says, well, you know, this was great. I did really good. I made all these great moves, and I you know, outsmarted every one of you. And here's why it was important. And maybe he would go down the list of the galoos. Like, Laura, you were so good. You dominated everything. We had to get you out because you being there ensured that we could never win. So you were so important to the story because you falling ensures that Galoo would not succeed. And it sucks that you fell, but it had to happen. It made you important to the storyline. And he could go down every single person, point out how they'd be portrayed on TV, why they were important, how they mattered, how they had value to the story. And just maybe you can sell your story as their story, which I think is the important part. So... I know that was very wordy, but I've been saving that up for so long, this, the story. Think of that when you're thinking of Survivor, that it's not a game show, it's not a strategy game. Above all else, it is a TV show with a storyline, and the players want to feel like they were a part of the story. Can I offer a slight counterpoint to that? No. Yeah, no, Jane, go ahead. Sure, whatever Jane, you got. You, Jane, you ignorant slut. Um <laughs> I agree. Like everything you've said, I agree. And we've said things like that over the podcast and seasons about we try to hit the fact that this is a TV show and not a game. You know, it it is a game, but it's a game that exists for the fact that, you know, it is a TV show. And I'm not going to say it bugs me, but it's it's always tough. You know, I, I used to listen to so many so much survivor content over the weeks and weeks when survivor came out. And I sort of started listening to less and less because I was sitting there going like, you can't analyze it like a like a, like a sporting event or something like that, because it's not a sport and it's not even necessarily a game with, you know, it's got some rules to it, but like they're, they're, they're very little and they're constantly changing because producers change it and you know, all that sort of stuff. You just kind of have to experience it for the show that it is. But one thing I want to say, Mario, even though I agree with basically everything you said, you talked about how like they felt, you know, the jurors felt like they had to wrest this season from Russell. Like they were like, this guy, if he wins, he's going to be the story of the season mm-hmm. to which I say, yes, but he's still the story of the season yeah. anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But that's not how they saw it. They, that's why, if it, yeah. it's not a coincidence, every Galoo, almost every Galoo member cut ties with Survivor, wanted nothing to do with it because of the way they were treated. And that the yeah. show was completely 100% shown as Russell's story, even though they tried their best not to let it happen. Right. And they got vilified for it, and they thought the show did them dirty. Because here's the thing, like, Guatemala, you know, like, 
is Stephanie like a major part of that season? Yes, she is. Right. And, and as much as, you know, they, they don't want it to be, or, or, you know, they, they were like, Oh God, you know, now like, like Rafe said, like Stephanie shows up at that temple at the beginning and they're like, Oh God, uh, now we're going to have this Bobby John slash Stephanie slash probably Stephanie uh, centric season and stuff like that. But it's like, I think that while Stephanie is a part of the season, I think that, you know, Rafe and Danny and some of the people near the end were able to kind of rest it. So even though, you know, Guatemala is a story about Stephanie, I think that it's equally a story about Rafe, uh, Gary Hogaboom, you know, that there are these these people that that made that season. And so it was like it's a season and Steph was a main player in it. Right. Whereas yeah. like it goes away. And if Steph wins, I think you're right. I think that narrative gets shifted to it's all Steph all the time. Whereas like Samoa is this anomaly where like the season was about Russell and then they were like, no, 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 we're not going to make it about Russell. We're going to not have him win. And it's like, no, screw you. It's about Russell anyway. So, you know, I understand. I understand what you're talking about is the psychology of them as they're voting for for Natalie and, and basically saying we are not going to give Russell this. We're not going to make his season but it's like it became his season regardless yeah they did their best and it didn't work and yeah and then again that's what gets interpreted as bitterness but i think bitterness is the wrong word it's it's human emotion people have to understand human emotion a little better and how it works and that's why i think people just don't talk about samoa in the correct way they don't really delve into the issues of what really happened it has nothing to do with they just they got outplayed and they didn't like it. No, it's a bigger picture than that. They just wanted to feel like their story had not been taken from them. You can also see that, again, going back to this reunion, and you can just see the body language that's going on, specifically with like that front half of the jury when the crowd keeps cheering for Russell and keeps mm-hmm. supporting these claims that he's making. Like You could just see them... You know, not even react to him and to the point. And compare that to you know when Natalie turns down Russell's offer, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about eventually. Uh, you have Dave Ball, you know, clapping her on the shoulder, and you have some jury members clapping. So it's not like they were completely devoid of emotion throughout. But I feel like you can sort of see in that moment, you know, them sort of saying like, "Damn it, I wish the season had been told in this way." Yeah. You know, they're they're essentially maybe saying on the inside, like, you guys are were not given the story that we experienced out there, which explains that dissonance, that disparity between how the audience is feeling, understandably so, and how we're feeling, understandably so. Okay, I'll go. Um, and this is something that I have mentioned on other ones, and I know that I've said that literally like five or six times in this podcast. And the reason also, Mike, why I let you talk is people want to hear you talk more than me, so, you know. You've got the voice, though. You have a much better voice than I do, so. (laughs) We'll give them what they want. But one of the things that, okay, so I, you know, it's gone, it's it's been said on this podcast, you know, many, many times. I do acting. I I act. I I act in shows. But the thing is, is that in order to act in shows, in theater, you have to be cast. And so there's this whole sort of thing with casting for shows. And I think that it goes back to this, this bit of psychology that isn't necessarily like, uh, uh, like brain theory, but just more of like how our brain processes in the sense that like we as human beings, there's all this stuff in the, in the world that we have to like process. And we, we, uh, that's what our brain does and like through the things that our eyes take in and our nose takes in and, and taste and all that sort of stuff is that we take in all this information and then our brain 
literally it's like full-time job, you know, other than the basic things of like keep our body systems, you know, moving is organizing this information and making sense of it. So like as humans, what we're doing most of the time is we're just trying to make sense of the things that are coming in. And I think that because of that, we have this natural tendency to try to put order to things that are hard to put into order. And, and case in point, when you are auditioning for a role in, 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 a, in a play or a musical or something like that, you know, sometimes you look around at the people and you know some of the people and you're like, you know, that person's a better actor than I am or that person's a better singer than I am. So, you know, if I lose the part to that person, it sort of makes sense. And you always think of like casting a show as this sort of meritocracy in the sense that like the director is going to pick the best people for all of these parts. And if I'm one of the best people, then I'm going to get a part. And the thing is, is that that's not true at all. Like you, you, you'd like to hope that's the truth, but a director can cast like their buddies in the show and that's totally valid. And I, I think that what Mario was talking about in, in the sense of like, you know, people always think like jurors are going to vote for the people who played the best game or, you know, the people who, who did the hardest or made the biggest moves and stuff like that. Like there's no reason, there's no rules for a jury jurors vote. Like we all think that there is because we're trying to compartmentalize and make sense. But it's like the juror can li like literally Greg saying pick a number between one and ten or one and a hundred or something like that. Like they can literally base their vote on who got closer to the number they're thinking in their head. There is no rhyme or reason to how a juror has to vote a million bucks to somebody. And I think that what Mike and Mario have talked about, like the respect thing, that is literally the umbrella for which people do vote. Most of the time that being said, again, we're just like this person played the better game. They should get the jurors votes. And it's like they don't have to. They, they really don't. And that is like a thing that I think creates such maddening, you know, cacophony in the human brain is that, you know, we think that this is how it should be organized. And yet the, the reality is that's not how things get organized in this game. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just like the beauty of it is that like that's the way this game was developed how many ever years ago that we always you know we talked about way back when during the borneo era what would survivor have become had the jury given that money to kelly and and how would juries have evolved after that like it is entirely in the hands of the jury members and people don't like as this game gets more and more complicated people don't like you to boil it down to the simple fact of they get a vote for whoever they want and that's how you win the game. All the other stuff is fluff. And so however they vote, that is the name of the game. And it's really hard for a lot of the, you know, really big strategic fans out there to um to really come to terms with that. But at the end of the day, that's what the game is. That's what the game always was, and no matter how much it evolves, that's what it always will be. Well, I just want to defend jurors a little bit here in saying you're saying that they can vote for wherever they want and they don't always have to vote for the best person to play the best game jurors would dispute that they'd say oh no we're always voting for the player who played the best game if you didn't make me want to vote for you you didn't play the best game so they can rationalize it any way they want it really it's just a dissonance in how the audience sees that term and how the jury sees that term well yeah i'm not sitting here suggesting that like the jurors are like well you know i really should vote for this person but mm -hmm. <laughs> they wore a purple shirt one day and i will not vote for them like i know that they're not doing that but the thing is they could they could yeah and it's a, with, entirely within their right. Yeah. 
And that's something, again, that's very hard for people's mind to wrap around that, especially if you just started watching Survivor. Now, if you know Survivor from the beginning, you maybe have, have seen enough about the show to realize how it works. But yeah, this is a very hard concept for people to grasp when they first started watching the show. And so Samoa, prime example, just the, again, the absolute shitstorm that it caused. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I could say, do you, do you think the jury voted for the right person? And I'll always say the same thing. I'm like, who gives a crap what I think? My opinion's not important. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, whoever won, won. That's how it goes. And then you just, like Jay said, there's milestones. You see how the jury voted, and you go backwards and figure out how you got there. And that's really all, as a fan, all you can realistically do. Anything else is, I mean, in my opinion, you're just talking just to hear yourself talk. Like, you, and no, but no fan has any opinion that has any validity whatsoever, to be honest. To be fair, though, like... You know, you're right, Mario, in the sense that it doesn't matter what we as the fans think. It only matters what the jury thinks because they were the ones that were out there. They were the ones that lived it. They're the ones that actually have the votes that matter mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. And we as the fans, we weren't out there and we don't have the votes. And we're only seeing this highly edited product that is probably not even close to the real truth of the thing that went out there. But that being said, this is what they have presented us, right? Yeah, And the thing is, is that if a lot of people really got mad and said, boy, Russell really deserved to win that game based on what I saw as a fan, I think that there's some validity to that. And that's where I think that things can get kind of wonky in the sense that, you know, Survivor presents the season as Russell did a lot of stuff. And I'm not going to say like they said that everything he did was great because I think that we did illustrate the fact that they kind of hit him pretty hard near the end with the with the nerf stick of like eh, it wasn't the greatest but mm -hmm. at the same time they didn't really give us a whole ton of pro natalie either nope. and so you know if 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 a fan's like from what i saw russell played the best game it's like yeah maybe from what you saw he did i mean at the end of the day it doesn't matter because we're not the jury and we didn't play the game and all that sort of stuff but i i think that you know there is there is something to be said of if a fan watches the product and says, boy, it looks like Russell was the best player out there. Like, yeah, that's what we saw. <laughs> well, that's a shitty product then. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, and then that's why I, I know Mario, you have, you know, talked up and down over probably like 11 plus hours at this point about how there are enjoyable elements of this season, but I'm sorry. This, this is a season that I can never get completely on board with just because there was so much potential. There were interesting people. There were interesting things going on. There were other stories that could be told. But instead, we got given this narrative that proved ultimately unsatisfying. And that, to me, much like Russell with these juror members, will leave a bad taste in my mouth. Even, even re-watching this and knowing the way that it ends, just just looking at, back at it all, there's just there are so many opportunities where they could have highlighted things or not shown the umpteenth Russell I'm in control of this game to the point where, you know, say what you want to about Russell, but part of me feels kind of bad. Like, it's understandable why he might have thought that he would have won because look at the way he was presented. Look at how much mm -hmm. airtime he was getting, you know? So it's, it's, it's a highly unorthodox way to tell a season that I am not on board with, unfortunately. Yeah, see, I'm kind of in the minority that I really like Samoa. This is one of those seasons I've always liked. Even on this latest rewatch, I really liked it, although it's not so much for the ending. The ending, why I like the ending is is <laughs> about four years before Samoa aired, I had written a chapter, and it was on my website, basically how assholes can never win Survivor jury votes. And it was just sitting out there, and all of a sudden this, this vote happened, and I'm like, oh, cool. 
And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, doubly cool. That just backs up my chapter I wrote. I could just link people to that. I said, hey, I look, I called Samoa before it happened. So like, I, I like Samoa just because it backed up my writing and backed up stuff I had said before. But as a product, I know I'm kind of in the minority that I really like Samoa. I think it's a good season. There's a lot of old schoolness about it that really attracts me to it that gets lost in the next couple seasons where it's almost like the last kind of oldish school season for me. So I know I'm in the minority, I, I, but I do like Samoa. I, I think it's a fun product. I know most people don't. But, of course, the elephant in the room here is you have to point out that this season is different than others because it's really, at the same time as being a standalone season, it's also a commercial for the next season where we got to hype Russell for this 20th anniversary Heroes versus Villains. So, again, it's just a lot of weird stuff going on in this season that didn't happen in other ones that make it sort of an anomaly on the timeline, I think. So what do we what do we need to do now? Do we need or do we need to eulogize Russell? Do we need to eulogize the season? What do we need to do right now? Well, before we do that, can, should we talk about? We talked about the reunion, but I, I feel like we should talk about this deal that Russell tried to broker because I feel like if people haven't watched the season in a yeah. while, this sort of gets washed over amidst all the other times Russell will appear in the franchise. Okay, yeah, go ahead and talk about that, but keep in mind, I think we're at the five and a half hour mark on this podcast, so <laughs> feel free to be Listen, somewhat brief. If they're listening at this point, they're in for the long haul, so like, right. I'll expound. Uh, so basically, Russell, as you said, is crushed. Whether or not he knew this was going to happen, this was essentially like something he really dreamed of happening, you know, not happening. And it got to a point where, in the middle of it, you know, he's, he does spectacle things. He uh, says he offers Jason new socks and throws them into the fire because Jason uh, talks against Russell, saying, you know, hey, you know what? People like Russ who act like Russell in office environments or team-based environments are hated in real life, much like Eric says. Why are we, you know, rooting for them there? Uh, but Russell says, I want to make a deal to Natalie. And he says that, look, Natalie, I will give you $10,000 if you essentially abdicate the role of sole survivor and let Jeff announce me sole survivor. And so we take the commercial break to sort of mull it over. I believe the offer gets up to $100,000 in the time in between. Uh, Natalie turns it down. Uh, she says that, you know what, it's, it's, uh, the experience is worth more than like whatever cash you want to put out there. Jeff, probably salivating at the idea of giving Russell something, says, I would have taken the money. You're all crazy. But yeah, it, it, it sometimes get for, gets forgotten. But in you know his very first time playing, Russell tried to uh, pay his way quite literally to the title of Soul Survivor. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in this reunion show. There's a, in general, we don't touch on the reunions too much on historians, but this one in particular, people should watch. Just knowing the context of the show, how it split the fan base, how angry it made people, it's just very interesting to watch. You know, it's like a Roman gladiatorial arena that the uh, players saying, yeah, Natalie won. And the audience saying, no, Russell won and probes in the middle trying his best to broker all this. Yeah, it's 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 just a really interesting reunion show. And, and that's this coming from someone who doesn't normally watch the reunions. Yeah. And what I will say is, again, in Russell's defense, like this is something that like he very clearly cares about. Otherwise, I don't think he would be doing this. And maybe this is just me. I feel kind of sad when he does this because I feel like it's it's out of desperation. Yeah. And you know someone like Russell would like not be this desperate, essentially coming to Natalie on his knees offering her money just to get called Soul Survivor if he didn't if that title really didn't mean something to him. And so it is kind of heartbreaking 
you know, I think, you know, what he did might have deserved the loss at the end of the day, but it still doesn't make it any, you know, less heartbreaking to see his uh, aspirations sort of crushed in front of him to the point where he's he's trying all these last-ditch efforts to just get the name foisted upon him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's especially sad when you know the timeline that he had already lost Heroes versus Villains, and then this reunion came and he loses this one too, and you realize he's about to get humiliated in two seasons in a row, so... I mean, even someone who doesn't like Russell in particular feels bad for him in this instance. It's really a very a uh, humbling uh, act of a man who clearly really this is really important to him. So I'll be the first to admit that that's a sad scene to watch. But to, I guess, put down this this concept as well. And, and again, we're going multiple. I'm going multiple seasons in advance here. But let's compare Russell to like Boston Rob. In the sense that, you know, there's less time in between in the sense that Russell plays two seasons back to back, whereas Boston Rob played season four and then season seven and stuff like that. But Rob gets this reputation for like being this, you know, monster dominator kind of player, you know, especially after all stars and he doesn't win. And everyone's like, well, Rob was kind of like this jerk to Lex and, you know, the whole thing, and blah, blah. And he didn't win. And, you know, Russell does this thing and his jerk doesn't win. And it's like, but the thing is, is that. Russell comes back a couple seasons later after Heroes vs. Villains uh, and, and, and plays again, and he doesn't do very well again. Whereas, like, Rob is able to actually kind of turn around and win the game. But what you argue is, is that Rob still t- has some of his, you know, brashness and all that sort of stuff. But Rob learns, and you can see that, you know, he adapts his game through the time, whereas it just seems like Russell's just, he just went out there with the same strategy. And it's like, you know... Maybe, maybe change it up. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not working for you. Yeah, I mean, he is he has one type of strategy and it works really well the first time. And then maybe not so much the second time, although people argue he played really well in Heroes versus Villains. But that'll be, I guess, a whole different argument. Anyway, I don't yeah, I don't want to talk too much more about Russell because let's let's wrap this up. Unless you guys have anything else to say, let's talk about Natalie for a second here. Yeah, well, I have a couple of just quick Russell things to say. Uh-huh. It, leads, it leads into a much larger subject. First, just on the, the quick note of Rob versus Russell, I think we should also note that uh, Rob Mariano had 12 seasons off yes. between All-Stars oh, yes, and yes. his ending. Uh, yes. And he, had, he not only did he get married, but he had you know a couple of kids at that point. It's which not would, the same. Yeah, it's not the same. It's absolutely not the same. But the thing I want to end you know talking about Russell on is, and this is going to span multiple seasons, but let's introduce... A man by the name of Jim Early to the Survivor Historians podcast, oh, shall we? Man. Oh goodness. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on mute here for a while. Go for it, Mike. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, uh, in Survivor Samoa, there was a, a poster on Survivor Sucks by the name of uh, Missy A E, M I S S Y A E, who just started posting in the spoilers board, which was common. That was a very frequented place, especially back in those days. Uh, and But this person, Missy A.E., basically leaked how Survivor Samoa was going to go. You know, I think there were some some loose details in the middle, but knew who the final three were, you know, knew Russell Swan would get evacuated, those types of things. And then when Heroes vs. Villains rolled around, oh, okay, basically the same thing. That was actually probably one of the most spoiled seasons ever in terms of an exact boot list happened, an exact order. Then Survivor Redemption Island they came out knowing, you know, the first couple of votes that happened there. 
there, there must be some sort of common denominator there, right? Someone who played for the entirety of Samoa and Heroes vs. Villains and the beginning of Redemption Island. And it turned out that Missy A.E., uh, alias of one gentleman, Jim Early, had gotten sued by the production company behind Survivor in early 2011, right before Survivor, you know, in the early rumblings of Survivor Redemption Island, for, you know, releasing this content, spoiling the content of the season. Jim Early, in Retribution, decided to out his source, and his source was none other than Russell Hance. And there have been disparate claims as to what happened. You know, Jim says that he was in direct email contact and phone contact with Russell, where essentially Russell would tell him what was going to happen on the season. I think Russell has uh, said that he felt like he was tricked by Jim Early, but there was a big lawsuit that happened in early 2011 uh, where Early essentially outed Russell you know, as the one who had, whether intentionally or unintentionally, spoiled all of his seasons, essentially, to this one person who then leaked them onto the internet. So for those of you that are wondering, why hasn't Russell been back on U.S. Survivor? That may be a reason. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. So anybody have anything to say about Natalie? Remember, she won. (laughs) I mean, I, what I will say is, well, and I'll, I'll take the J note and stop talking for a little while as well, because I'm sure people are annoyed with me at this point. But, you know, uh, to take what we said about, like, feeling bad for people in general with Survivor Samoa, like her hater, you gotta feel terrible for Natalie White here. More than any winner before her, even someone like Amber, she was raked over the coals by a very, very hostile fan base to the point of where she understandably like doesn't want anything to do with survivor anymore because she essentially came out to an audience of people saying you don't deserve to win you're the worst survivor winner ever which is understandably crushing uh so i just want to speak from that perspective that my heart goes out to her that you know she won a million dollars she is a survivor winner just as much as boston rob is or kim spradlin is or tony is or parvati is but due to the fan community, especially at that time, uh, she has definitely hit the bottom of a lot of people's winner rankings, and she has promptly, you know, sort of been forgotten in the Survivor community because she understandably removed herself after such a negative reception. Yeah. I just, I'll say it short and sweet that, you know, Galoo really got screwed over by the editors and the fans, and people treated them like crap when they're like, Look, we voted for the best player, same as any other juror. So the glue has really got a, a, a short stick here. And uh, Natalie got it even worse. So I just think it was terrible what the show did to Natalie, what the fans did to Natalie. And again, I, I'm a big fan of celebrating anything that's good. Anybody that won Survivor, hey, it was cool. Good job. And all these seasons that were good and amazing and great events. So I think it's a shame to celebrate. You know, some winners were good, but Natalie sucks. Natalie can burn in hell. So I just... Uh, would like people to hopefully regret maybe if they had partaken in those behaviors and you acted like a bad person, perhaps you cannot do that to other winners, people that succeeded in Survivor in the future. And I just uh, I felt bad for what happened to Natalie. And again, it's too late now. She's gone. She doesn't want anything to do with Survivor. But like Mike said, she is a champion. Same as Vesepia, same as Tina, same as Brian Heideck, Boston Rob, any of them, Earl Cole, Tom. And they should all be uh, champions. So congratulations on winning, Natalie. I wish the fan base had been nicer to you at the time. I could and say I'm more, sorry that Mario yeah. creeped near your book. 
<laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I was pro Natalie. I have more to say in theory about Natalie, but you know what? We've been going on a long time, and and she's a victim. In short, she's a victim of what Survivor is now trying to manipulate for future seasons and what they're trying to get under this umbrella of what the jury considers respect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they changed a lot of the show because not so much always about Natalie, but winners like Natalie that probes has specifically tried to push the show into a way where people like her cannot win anymore because it does not make a compelling TV product. Unfortunately, that's the reality. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And I, and I think that we talked about this and I, I forget which podcast, but I really do feel like from here on out, even the more controversial winners like your Michelle Fitzgerald's or your Ben Bergens, they still have narratives that I feel like, you could still trace through the season as, you know, the ways that they could have won. I feel like maybe the show decided to to look at the way the audience was reacting to the way the story was being told here and saying, okay, that was an interesting way to, to shape the narrative, but now let's at least give our winner a bit material so that people can sort of look back and say, okay, you know, if we have to point out moves that they would have made to win, even though, as we talked about, that's not necessarily the be-all, end-all as to why someone would win the game, you can at least point to a few moments from an audience perspective that would justify things. Yeah, it, it, they, they get into a, a narrative perspective where they sort of split the difference in a sense. And in a season like Michelle and, and, and things like that, um, they show a lot of, well, they show a lot of them and a lot of narratives like as the season's ramping up, but usually like the, the episode leading up to and the finale is less about them and it's more about why the other people lost as opposed mm-hmm. to them winning. So they kind of do a they kind of do a a, a, a one two punch kind of on that. All right. And with that, I believe we may have officially wrapped up Samoa, which is nice because now people will stop emailing me about it. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> it won't take long to start bugging you about twenty. So uh... yeah, I was gonna say they're they're just gonna follow it up with when's heroes versus villains because, like you said, Mario, I feel like th- this is one of the seasons that people have been waiting for us to get to. Yeah, I mean, any poll, any fan poll ever, heroes versus villains will end up usually number one as the favorite fan season, if not number one for sure in the top ten. It's not my personal favorite. I don't know where you guys stand on it, but. There is so much to talk about. It's going to be fun to delve into, especially because I'm sure you guys are aware of this. There's a uh, certain player that's coming back, known as the Dragon Slayer, who we get to talk about again. I'm very, very excited about that. And and Sandra, too. <laughs> well, yeah, this is first of all, I'm just excited to be finally on a podcast where Paul can talk about Sandra, because that's something <laughs> that I have been waiting for. But yeah, I mean, I'll say that, you know, I when I was watching it at the time, I I I liked Heroes versus Villains, but I would say that maybe it was like at the bottom of my top ten, just because I was on so much Russell fatigue at that point that when I watched the first few episodes of Heroes versus Villains, I'm like, great, they toned him down a bit, and then once he started hiding the machete and obviously becoming a bigger part of the storyline, I'm like, oh my god, it's been six months of Russell at this point. So I'll admit that soured me a little bit. Rewatching it has definitely bolstered. I mean, this is. This is a fan-freaking-tastic cast. I re- I'm sure we're going to be talking about it in the first part, but I remember there were just so many people when I was clicking through those pictures on CBS.com during the cast release that I was just so freaking pumped about. All these old schoolers. You get Tom Westman coming back. Uh, it, it's just it's a really exciting 
group of people, and the pre-merge is just incredibly erratic. And the post-merge, while it is straightforward, has some fun moments in it as well. And it's it's a really interesting way for, you know, the show to really reference itself, which it does a lot nowadays. But I feel like that was one of the the first big times that the show really went meta and acknowledged 19 seasons that came before it. So I'm excited to talk about it as well with you guys to, to revisit it. Is it too early to point out that Sandra and Courtney have almost no airtime for the first eight episodes and what a waste it is? Save it for the next podcast, Mario. Okay, okay. I thought we might be running short. I was going to fill it with some extra time here. Yeah, yeah, that's what we need. We need some filler right now. That's exactly <laughs> what we need. Yes, Jay, you were making a point. Uh, well, to that point, I would say, well, yes, but also, you know, and there are people that you don't like. I mean, obviously, in an all-star season, there are people that you like more or less than others and stuff like that. But, yeah, they don't show Sandra and Courtney for a while, but they've got other people, like... <laughs> They, they do okay. They're going to be all right with personalities on Heroes versus Villains. But, but uh, you know, I was just going to say perfect casting for Heroes versus Villains. You've got, like, all the heroes, such as Colby and, you know, uh, all, all, all the Tom and, and Stephanie. And you've got all of just the best villains that Survivor has to offer, like Coach and Russell and Danielle DiLorenzo. Boy, I hope she gets far. <laughs> okay, we'll save that for next podcast. Any more <laughs> thoughts on any more thoughts on Samoa before we wrap up here and and say uh, Godspeed to Natalie and the Galoos here? No, my uh, there's been a stiff breeze blowing through the studio and my pants are down, so I need to get in front of a warm fire. I'm I'm going full Montana, Paul, for the entirety of like the six hour podcast. You act like that's weird that you podcast with your pants down. <laughs> okay. Why is that weird? Before we sign off here, Paul, how would you explain to Russell, if he were one of your kindergarten students, what happened when he lost Samoa and how he should not start Russell.GotScrewed.com? Russell, when we lose, do we say we got screwed? No, we have much nicer words we can use. We're going to do better next time, okay? We'll see you next time, Russell. <laughs> and with that, I think we will sign off. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm the feckless Paul Oslison. And we will talk to you again soon when we cover Heroes versus Villains. As always, my word. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Okay, just turn around, eat your eat your snack. Eat your snack, eat your snack. Eat your snack, buddy. Oh gosh, oh my word. Oh I'm sorry. Oh, this is pitiful. Oh my gosh. Oh Lord, have mercy. Oh my word. Okay. If we don't win this time, there's always next time. <laughs>